Here we go. Patricia, my darling Patricia, I can see all my dreams in your eyes. Your smile is as gay as a bright summer day. You're much fairer than Aaron's blue skies. Oh, Patricia, my lovely Patricia. You could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love with you. Oh, Patricia, my darling, Patricia, I can see all my dreams in your eyes. Your smile is as gay as a bright summer day. You're much fairer than Aaron's blue sky. Oh, Patricia, my lovely Patricia, you could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling. Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love with you. Patricia, my lovely Patricia, you could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love. I'm falling in love. I'm falling in love. And hello, everybody. It is Saturday night, April the 14th, year 2018. Hello, Patricia. Hello, Walden. Hi, everybody. It indeed is Saturday night, and guess what? On Tuesday is income tax filing day. Ooh. Boo, Patricia. Boo. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> Before Walden and I got on the air, I asked him if he could remember which of the Republican candidates of the 17 people up on stage during the debates promised income tax returns on a postcard. And I thought Ted Cruz, but it turned out to be Donald Trump. Ah. And as of December, yeah, this past December, our Treasury Secretary, Steve Mnuchin, promised it for this year. It didn't work. <laughs> We're not there yet. <laughs> In fact, some of the pages are added. So, Okay, hang on to hope. There's time left. That's right. That's right. We got three more days before we have to file. 
That's true. Maybe we'll have a postcard by then. Oh, dearie me. Dearie, dearie me. Okay. Oh, and I have, as I promised, the 1940 income tax. It says income, individual income and defense tax return. I do not know what defense tax was. What was that? I think it was for I the build. I think it was for the build up for the country. You know, we were trying to trying to get ready for the war. Income and defense tax. Oh well, and it was for gross incomes of more than five thousand dollars from salaries, wages, dividends, interest, annuities, and for incomes from other sources, regardless of amounts. Five thousand dollars was the threshold. I think it I sounds he- pretty interesting. Yeah, I think I heard in 1940 only 5% of the U.S. population qualified to pay a federal income tax. Well, that, that sounds pretty good. Mm-hmm. The uh, labor earnings, current, you know, the translated for today, that $5,000 in earnings would be 181000 for unskilled labor, and 242000 income for production worker compensation. However, if you had to pay, holy cats. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my word. Oh, my word. What did we do? PDF, 1940. Hold on. Um, I do have the highest one was... Uh, uh, uh. Where did you go now, dear people? Goodness gracious. hundred and... Da, 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 tax history project. It almost looked like around 78%. It was, yeah, it was 79% mm. if you earned $5 million or more. Mm. And 79%, I want to tell you, was quite a chunk. The... I got... Gosh darn it, what did I do with that? I had the whole... And, and, and I know in the mid 50s it went up to 95%. Isn't, doesn't that make you scared? <laughs> <laughs> it makes me very scared. <laughs> very scared. Where is my, oh dear, history, history, history. Well, Tax I, ha- history. I do Tax have the history. phone off the hook, everybody, so once. Patricia, give me the green light. I'll put it back on the hook. We have a brand new phone. So it'll be interesting to see how you sound on my new phone. So that's that's You have a new phone? Uh Uh-huh. I have a new phone. So. So. So so when people call in. This is interesting. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So when Patricia yeah. gives me the green and light, we'll 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 open the lines up. So, that. oh, <laughs> we're we're green lighted. I want to know. Oh, we have two themes this week. Your favorite or most memorable radio ad, and the best cowboy. Who do you think was the best cowboy? Seven one four five four five two zero seven one, and you haven't guessed. All that's in my refrigerator. I have a question for you. Yes, my dear. Harriet Nelson. Yes. What was her former name? Well, her her name as a band singer was Harriet Hill, Hilliard. Right. 
but I don't remember her given name. The one that she was I don't think with. she would have made quite the splash. No. Peggy Lou Snyder. Peggy, Peggy Lou Snyder. I found that all by myself. Wow. <laughs> wow. Oh, well. Oh, well. Yeah, and we, we do need to tell people that Chuck McCann died. Yeah. Chuck apparently did a fair amount of radio work, and I didn't realize that. Um, he was He's highly recognized for his television children's yes. work, but I did not realize until I read his obituary how much radio time he put in. Yeah, Wasn't he his obituary. Started, his, his started in 41, he told us, on, mm-hmm. on a local show. But uh, mostly he's known for TV, especially the... Uh, the local kids show in New York, it was 90 minutes a day, five days a week. Yeah. Yeah. And they didn't and have... With and, and they didn't have... And they didn't have a budget. So, this is the funny story. I heard one of our talk show hosts who had Chuck on told a story. They knew... They knew the, the route of the, of the, the garbage trucks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so... They knew on Thursday the garbage trucks would be going into the nicer areas of New York. So Chuck and his buddies would hijack the garbage truck and take the stuff off and use a prop for the TV show because they didn't have any money for the props for 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 the, the, the local kids show in New York. So that's how they used to get uh, props for the for the TV set. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That is clever. I applaud them for their ingenuity. <laughs> the end. Yeah. <laughs> and we also oh lost another radio personality yesterday. Really? Art Bill passed away. Well, who? Art Bill. Say that again, please. Art, Art Bill, the all-night talk show host for many years, the one that he, oh. who dealt with aliens yes. and all those. He just died yesterday. Uh-huh. Yeah. That was another surprise. The aliens got him, huh? Yeah. Another surprise. He was really into that stuff. He really was. Actually, I remember the days when he used to be a all-political talk show host on K-Don Hour Las Vegas, but he finally figured talking about aliens got more, more audience, so. It sure did. Yeah. He talked with a lot of people about all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Seven one four. I'm not going to tell you. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. But I I know for sure Art couldn't have done the show that Patricia and I do. You know, ours is too eclectic compared to his taste. Which we're, we're too wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> we are ever so wonderful. Dan sent an email and wanted to know what super spectacular stuff we had planned for tonight, and I said Walden and me. <laughs> I think that's that's true. That is ever so true. Oh, the phone is ringing. Oh, heavens, we have a caller. <laughs> Hello there, you're on with Patricia. Hello. Hello there. Hello. Yeah, we're barely hearing you. The phone line is not clear. I shall dial again. This was Rich from New Jersey. Okay, Rich, give us another shot. Oh, I thought I recognized your voice. Yeah. Okay. Huh. Okay. I wonder why. Well, give it another shot, Rich. Um, let, let me 
let me click onto the station and see what we got. Okay, we'll see if that works. And it does any better. Yeah, it's a little bit better, yes. Thank you. Good. This is still the handsome Rich from New Jersey. Well, hello, Rich. How are you? I'm good. I hope everybody there is well also. Well, it's 85 degrees here in California, so most people probably like to, in the Midwest, like to throw snowballs. I guess most of the Midwest is still buried in snow. Uh, I don't know about the Midwest, but here in New Jersey, the weather today was gorgeous. It was well into the 70s. And we were thinking summer thoughts, although by tomorrow I understand it will be cold. <laughs> Spring had blossomed in New Jersey. Oh, my goodness gracious. You, yeah, by the by, I just... You are not getting the blizzard. I'm barely talking to Patricia. She's, she's on my list. Uh-oh, 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 uh-oh. Including uh, I know why. wonderful singing adventure, and did I hear back from Patricia? Not a word. Spoken... <laughs> I can only assume that she thought to herself, oh, my God, this man thinks he can sing. <laughs> they let him out. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? Wait a minute. What did I miss? You sent what? Oh, that I had sent you an email with the link for my cabaret performance, and I was hoping to hear back from you, not to mention uh, you know, personal notes that I had sent along, but that's okay. It doesn't... I, you know, I don't <laughs> love you anymore. You know, I love Walden instead. It's okay. I'm sure Walden will be just as happy to have balance of, you know, some woman who ignores. I am. <laughs> I am so embarrassed. Uh-oh. Oh, my God. Somebody. Just, I, um, you oh. turn to Bronx. Chief. All right. Go to Bronx. I will Security, do my homework. Right? Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm so Go sorry. To, what? Where is Patricia? <laughs> it is. Say that again. Uh, Bronx cheer. <laughs> <laughs> I am so sorry. Oh my goodness! I'll anyway, do my homework. So wait a minute. Wait a minute. So wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait. Remember that you sent those links. So wait a minute, Patricia. Patricia, did your kitty cat eat your yes, homework? Solomon. Did your kitty cat eat your homework no. or what? No. Okay. <laughs> no. Anyway, it's all my fault. I am. Oh, sorry, Rich. I'm. I did well, not even remember that you sent me those links, and I didn't listen yet. Of course, you're a wonderful singer. Now I'll go make sure. Oh, sure. Humiliated you into doing it. Other than um, other than my monumental failures, how are you? I'm wonderful. Wonderful. Had all sorts of doctors' visits this week. Some tests. Uh, they told yeah. me that I'm still here, so that's a good sign. The, the only downside, it costs you money for them to tell you that. That's the only that problem with that. Well, you know, it's worth the money to find out how wonderful you can still be when you're old and fat and ugly. <laughs> qualified. I am eminently qualified in the OF. Well, you know, but but what can I say? What can I say? What can I <laughs> anyway. say? I just was, I, you had touched on a subject that was dear to my heart. I heard when I first turned you on yes. that you were discussing or asking a question about commercials. There indeed was yes. a commercial that absolutely stayed in my mind since I was probably all of about 10 years old. I couldn't tell you who does the commercial. Uh, there were two sets, actually. One was, of course, the famous Bert and Harry Peel for Peel's Beer mm-hmm. in New York area that was... Ah, and Ray, who were wonderful. Yeah. If anybody had the pleasure, they of were great. Them. Yeah. 
It was fantastic. But this other commercial was about trying to keep listenership in radio. And the, the comment, uh, you, you hear this woman singing, who listens to radio? Yep. There's 99 zillion people, that's all. And they do a news report, a fake news report. The, the helicopter is bringing in the uh, maraschino cherry. <laughs> uh, Lake Michigan has been drained and refilled with ice cream and whipped cream. Uh, yes, it, it's a 40-ton cherry, and they're moving it in position over the top of Lake Michigan, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it was just a wonderful commercial because it extolled the virtues of listening and hearing and using your own mind to fill in the blanks, to fill in all of those wonderful little things that don't actually exist. I loved it. Ice cream. Ice cream. Yes. Well, you know who you know who did the commercial. I do not. Patricia. It's a, uh, I would say Stan Freeberg. Yes, it was a Stan Freeberg commercial. There you go. And it was Sarah Vaughn that was the singer. That was really yes, Sarah Vaughn. Yeah, <laughs> wow. First of all, I'm impressed that you know the commercial. This has been a favorite of mine forever. Oh, uh, oh, that is a wonderful, wonderful commercial. So I wanted to share that thought with the, the listeners. It's, uh, it's a great commercial, Rich. That's a great nomination. You know, Patricia always felt that Stan was a much better commercial. Advertiser, spokesperson, than he was his normal comedy routine. So I think he was the most creative advertising man in history. Yeah, I, he was fabulous. Indeed, I fully agree that this was great stuff. And uh, you know, who else can come up with something like that? No, fantastic. Anyway, he, I didn't intend to stay online because eight, you have a listenership he, that is absolutely eager to get on with you, <laughs> both well. To uh, give one more chance to for Patricia to be uh, humiliated and embarrassed. <laughs> well, she turned. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. was disappointed. Let me say it. Oh yeah. Much more sweetly will I display my displeasure. Oh, not get a okay. chance. Anyway, okay. I just want to wish you guys well. Okay. You too, Rich. Alrighty. Thank Give you. Have a great week. All right. Bye bye. Day one. And as they learn from the guide from the married man, if, you know, somebody finds out that you're doing whatever it is you're doing that you know darn well you shouldn't be, deny. <laughs> Wasn't me. Did you say so? I heard it. This looked a lot like me. I, I mean, I've always been surprised by that. Looks so much like me, it's amazing. No, it wasn't me. Anyway, have a great week. You too, Rich. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Rich. Good night. Oh, I am so embarrassed. Oh, I now, to if go you and embarrass it, myself tonight. If you if you want to talk to Patricia about something, the number is seven one four five four five two zero two four. Be gentle with her, please. Yes. We only have one Patricia, so. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so delicate. <laughs> oh, oh, today is today is X. Spouse Day. Go figure. And with that. I have no idea. <laughs> I guess you're supposed to honor your former spouse. Uh, ex spouse day? Or okay. me or me ex yes. Ex spouse 
day. I see. Or maybe do some April Fool stuff. I don't know. <laughs> Hello there. I, I do not know. You're Ira Patricia. Hello. Hello. This is John from John, are you in Texas? Yes, I There we go. I don't know. Uh-oh. Excuse my... John, you're pressing buttons. Well, we hear ourselves. That's good. Um. Okay. Can you move the... Can you move the phone just a little bit, John? To do what? Can you move the phone at, uh, at, at two degrees? Well, yeah. I'll try. Okay, that's, that's better. That's better. That's better? Absolutely. The only, the only problem I have right now, I don't have to put my son's computer on. Move the phone one more time, John. We, we, you're breaking up on us, so see if you can move it the other way. There you go. <laughs> that's not so great over here. Uh, John, do you have a house? You're you're on your cell phone, right? Yes. You are. Maybe you could use the house phone. David. Oh dear. <laughs> oh my son. Okay. Oh. He's watching Netflix. <laughs> Hey John, why don't why don't we hang up? Why don't we hang up and you call us right back? Okay. I'll... And, and then that way maybe we fix the uh, echo. Okay, thank. Okay. God, I think he still had his speaker on on the phone while he was trying to talk to us. I agree. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So John and had a, a significant delay. Yeah. Well, at least we know we're alive. Okay. Yes. Hmm. We would know we're Today alive. Today is National Pecan Day. Are you happy with that? Absolutely. Pecans. We will try again. Hello there. Y'all with Patricia. This is any better? Oh, much. Hooray. Yeah, I don't have to put his computer on mute, so I've got... Well, that, that, that definitely took care of the echo problem. Except we lost him. Oh dear! We'll wait. This we'll is wait. terrible. We'll wait. This is John, who is ordinarily calling us from Maryland, but is calling us from Texas because he's visiting his son. son. And I do believe we lost him. We'll, we'll give another five count. One. Yep, we did. I heard the click. Okay. Yeah. I, okay. I know John will make it. Seven one four. Yes. Go ahead. You know John will what? I yeah. know John. Seven one four. Five four five two zero oh, seven one. If you want to get on, talk to us. Tell me who your favorite cowboy was, or your favorite or most memorable radio ad. That is much better. Oh, I have to stand up. I can't stand. I have to hold on to something to stand up. Oh. Oh dear. Oh dear. We'll make this quick, John. <laughs> How are you doing in Texas? Well, so far, my son took me to a Texas barbecue place, and we had a barbecue. That was yesterday when we got out of the airport. Okay. And we came in, and it was pouring down rain. And 
The oh dear. town crew weren't allowed out of the terminal because it was lightning threat. So we had to sit out there on a the runway till the kind of cleared up. Then wow. we got in, and uh, they got. I was the first one on the plane. I was the only handicap on the plane. Uh-huh. I was the first one on. I had seat one, row one, and I was right across from the lavatory, which was great. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> great. <laughs> Flew into Texas. It was pouring down rain, and I was first one on the plane, but I was the last one off. The wheelchair was waiting for me, but there was nobody to push me to the baggage. Oh yeah. Picked up. So, oh, I have to move over here. I'm all right now. I'm leaning across the table. Well, you go ahead. You can sit down, John. I think we'll be okay. I hope so, because yeah. I don't want you to hear the expert yeah. from the computer. Well, go ahead and sit down. We'll, we'll, we'll make it. We'll, we'll make it work. <laughs> yeah, we don't want we don't want you, you know, Patri- boy, boy. you know, we don't want Patricia to feel bad if you fall over, John. So we we need. Oh, to, I don't want to fall. No, we want you to be comfortable. So much. I'm all right now. Good. I call back three or four times daily. <laughs> I'll use another phone, but they can hear me now. Good. My son, my son just came in. Perfect. But uh, yeah, and he took us to a barbecue place, and we I had a barbecue sandwich with coleslaw and an iced tea. Uh... But we got to his house, and uh, like I squared away, he took us. Well, we I, when I got to bed in the evening. I tried to fall asleep, but then a big thunderstorm came, and it was throwing a hail all over the side of that. Wow. And after that cleared off, I fell asleep, and I slept all night. And I got up this morning, and they were going to go to the Blue Bonnet Festival down here in Texas. Blue Bonnet, the Blue Bonnet, Mm -hmm. the state flower. And... Him and his wife took us out to breakfast at Denny's. He had a nice breakfast. And they came back. The weather wasn't so good. It was still threatening and it was showering once in a while. So they had to park their car out in a field. So they, I, I couldn't maneuver that with a walker. So I stayed home and my wife went with them. Okay. I stayed, so I stayed home. But so far, that's it. Now, tomorrow, my son says, i got to get up early. we got to go to church. He wants to introduce me to his pastor. Okay. So I'm going to do that. And then hopefully the weather will clear up and I can go out tomorrow because I'm stuck in the house again. <laughs> You're getting cabin fever. <laughs> yeah, I had cabin fever all winter. You know, I couldn't get out. And, uh, so what city are you in in Texas, John? City? Yeah, what city? Brenham. B-R-E-N-H-A-M. Brenham. Okay. That is the... Uh, it's a, it's about sixteen or 17,000 people live here. Mm. It's all... And it's oh, all really spread small. out. Because in Texas, everything's spread out. Like he's got a neighbor mm-hmm. down the street. Down the street. It was about a quarter of a mile. And he has an oil well pumping in his backyard. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, you have to excuse me for one second. 
That's okay. This is Yesterday USA. We got John from Maryland, who is really in Texas. Patricia from Florida. That's right. <laughs> and Walden, Thanks California. Tomorrow. And stuff. Yeah. Tomorrow, if the church may be to be all right, they can, they can take me somewhere. They were telling me about the oldest bank in Texas. It says on the sign when you walk in the door, guns are welcome. <laughs> <gasps> oh, my. It has never been robbed. The bank has never been robbed. But anyway, well, I thought... after tonight. <laughs> and they, believe me, out in front of the bank is fishing posts for horses. <laughs> I mean, we were out here in the boondocks. <laughs> Oh. Do people still or, ride in to do their banking on horseback? Some people do, yeah. Oh, my. I mean, oh, my. This is fun. Now, I wanted to give Bill Bragg a call and see if I could come up and visit. Yeah. But I asked my son, David, I said, Dave, I said, how long does it take to get to Dallas? It's, he says, oh, it's a, probably seven or eight hours. I said, what? You see, now you got to remember, Dad, Texas is big. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. I don't think I'm going to be able to. Oh, I'm, I'm sure you would love to see the house. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I was telling them about it. Maybe things will change. I don't know, but so far I'm going to That's a long trip. House. Yeah, that's a long <laughs> my trip. Son's, my son's got a brand new car. He's got a, still got dealer tags on it. Wow. He got a, Oh, Wow. What do you call them? Um, same as mine, a Honda. But he got an SUV, and it's really nice. And he was with little places. Well, he took me to ATB Supermarket. Everybody in the whole state of Texas uh, shops at ATB. I have no idea. I never heard of it. Well, Bill Bragg can tell you. ATB, <laughs> so if you look in the center, well, if you look in the center field, uh-huh. Houston, where the Houston Astros play, you'll see a big sign on the ah. center field wall, ATP. Okay. So it's it's really big, and they sponsor the uh, Thanksgiving Day Parade down here. In okay. Houston. So it's a it's a big organization. So he took us up there today, and they showed he showed me this big bin, a bin full of Maryland crabs. They were live. <laughs> Melon crabs in Texas? Yeah, and they were live. You could pick them up and put them in the bag. You had some prongs there. But I, I didn't get them. I didn't want them to do all the trouble with <laughs> crabs. But they have them there, H-E-B. But uh, hopefully I'm going to be here for 14 more days, so the weather will get better. It better. Yeah. It be- if, so, not, if not, John, you should ask for a refund. Yeah, I told I told my son I jinxed you. I brought bad weather from Maryland. <laughs> Maryland had two good days in the 80s, and then it's going to drop 20 degrees. This storm coming out. It just passed through here, and it'll go up to Ohio Valley into Maryland. So. Dan sent Patricia and I a weather report. It looked like most of the Midwest is being hit with pretty a cold front, so I'm... It's snowing in the Midwest. I mean, in, yeah, in the central United States. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. below Wisconsin, Minnesota, they're all having snow. 
Oh, dear. But anyway, that's... Oh, crazy. dear. Crazy. Well, John, I'm so glad you got to, I'm so glad you got to talk with us tonight, and that you're having a good time with your family. This is great. Thank you. Yeah, man. They're trying to. Well, they took us out, like I said, this morning for breakfast. The weather out. I, I mm-hmm. go to the Blue Bonnet Festival. My wife and and uh, they brought me back a bottle of barrel popcorn. So hey, I snacked on that. For <laughs> great. <laughs> Great. Well, John, you have a wonderful time with your family, and maybe we'll get to talk to you next week. I'll still be here. Perfect, John. I hope. Okay. Thank you, John. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'm glad we got the phone all worked out for John. Yes, I should have asked him to mark the spot where he was calling, talking with us from. <laughs> 714. Just make a little X on the floor. That's true. 714-545. Two oh seven one. So I talked to Patricia. She's here, here for a little while. She's a little I poopy. Here. She's a little poopy tonight, but you know, she's no, a trooper. Just sleepy. She's a trooper. Poopy, just droopy. You know. Yeah, I'm not poopy. I'm droopy. Droopy. How how how's the refrigerator? Yeah. How's the refrigerator holding up? Is it still working? It's wonderful. Oh my goodness. Yes. Excellent. Good. Good. You're going to guess what I have in it? I am. Can you tell us what we have guessed, what we have gotten right on the refrigerator? That way it helped me. That way it don't duplicate. Well, I would have to go back over all well, of Well, okay. I know we got carrots. <laughs> I know we got carrots we in there. carrots and cheese. And, and cheese. And cheese. Lettuce. And lettuce. And salad dressing. Yep. And olive oil, uh, right? No, no, you keep guessing olive oil. Well, I know how much no. you love olive oil. I, I, I always think you're going gonna... to... I know, but you don't put olive oil in the refrigerator, and I wouldn't have any use for it. My mom, you know, you have influenced my mom so much that she has stopped putting the peanut butter in the refrigerator. We have it up, up in the <laughs> counter space. This is good. Where did, where did she put it instead? In the cupboards, in the, next to the uh, syrup. And, uh, That's exactly where it belongs. And, and, good and, person. And the Heinz 57. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's where she got it, up there in the cupboard. That's, that's where it belongs. <laughs> You'll, can, you, can you find it? It took it taking me a while to put it that way. I can I can't find it, yeah. but I'm so used to looking in the refrigerator for it. I I keep forgetting it's uh-huh. not there anymore. What what made her decide to change out of the refrigerator? She looked it up, and they recommend once you open the jar, to put it to leave it out out of the refrigerator. So after she after I told her that we were having our next great debate, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Did anybody win? Well, I guess you're winning on this one, aren't you? <laughs> that, was, that was a rhetorical question. <laughs> okay, Walden, yes, your ma- favorite radio ad. Your favorite radio ad. Uh, how about the one I th- the, how about the one I think of first? I mean, because it's, it's a it's a heartwarming thing. Because a little boy, I I just love the way it was, uh, Franklin McCormick used to do the Wheaties ads on Jack Armstrong. 
Okay. I know. I yeah. know. I know. But I no, just no, 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 no. I had to. I had to stop and think and have it play in my head. Yes, that was a good commercial. Very good commercial. Mm-hmm. So I what? I have a really goofy. Babe. Okay. It's really goofy. One that is most memorable to me. I'm not sure that it is um, my favorite, but mm-hmm. it is most memorable. Is the White King commercial? Oh yeah. Where the announce, yeah, the announcer keeps telling people that it's going to, they're going to love White King and they're White going to King. love Laundry Day and <laughs> love washing clothes with White King. Um, it's clear he was not a homemaker. <laughs> I don't know anybody who ever fell in love with washing clothes by hand, one step removed from beating them on a rock because you've got a different kind of soap in them. I don't think so. But they ran it, and that was Chan Du the Magician. That's right. Chan Du the Magician. The Magician. Yeah. It was strange. Okay. So you got Harriet Hilliard. Peggy Lou Snyder. Yeah. Don't forget. Right? Peggy right. Lou. Okay. Peggy well, Lou. I have, mm-hmm. Someone I have a surprise for everybody. <laughs> Margaret Thatcher helped invent soft serve ice cream. No. How do you like that? The, yes. No. She originally, yes. Margaret Thatcher originally worked as a food scientist after she graduated from Oxford, and she had a degree in chemistry. And one of the projects she worked on was figuring out how to add air to ice cream so that there would be more volume with fewer ingredients and making it less expensive to make. And the result was soft-serve ice cream. How about that? My mom loves soft-serve ice cream. I do, too. Yeah. I do, too. I just thought it was melted real stuff. I didn't realize <laughs> that we were eating air. Did you know we were eating no, air? No, I did not. I did not know. Didn't either. Uh-uh. I, uh-uh. Well, how about the flu that hit in the... When did it hit? The famous one, 1917, 1918. Yeah, 1917, 1917, 1918 flu. Yeah. Yes. It began in an American military base in Fort Riley, Kansas. And the troops brought it around the world. Isn't that wild? Wow. That's so scary to think. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I mean, just traveling back and forth. I mean, look what happened with the measles out in Disney World. Yes. Disneyland, I'm sorry. Yes. Disneyland, a single kid who showed up and had measles and infected so many kids who had parents who refused to vaccinate them. Right. Un, unnice, you know. Hello there. Who's there? Yeah, I'm with Patricia. Hello, this is Bubbles. Bubbles? <gasps> Bubbles, how are you? This is Bubbles in Alabama. Oh, I'm just bubbly. Is this, bu- is this Bubble Smith? <laughs> how are you guys tonight? <laughs> we are ever so good. And what are you bubbling at tonight? Oh, this I is my sister Barbara. I should I should tell everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just and she's in Alabama. Just playing with puppy and um, 
calming him down because he he feels and he 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 knows that there's a storm coming, and he does not. Oh, <laughs> poor little guy, poor big guy. Actually, he just runs it. What are you? When are you? When are you supposed to get hit with the storm? Oh, probably later on tonight. But he senses it, you know, long before it gets here. Yeah. So, is puppy gonna oh, sure. is puppy gonna sleep with you just to protect? You're gonna protect them from the storm? Actually, he, he well, he sleeps in my room with me, but he's in a, an extra large cate, uh, crate, and he feels very comfortable there because he's uh, that's his little safe haven, actually. So uh, at night, he's not in a cage. I don't like kennels. He's in a, a, a crate, and I make, I make padding for him. I mean, he's got some fluffy padding on the bottom of that crate. So he's quite comfortable there, and that's where he spends the night. And when I'm not home, um, I just point to the bedroom, and he goes in his kennel. Now, the, are there, good, pa- are good there, puppy. Are there padding on the side or just on the bottom? No, no, just on the bottom. And it's very smooth. It's okay. like hard plastic. But if there's um if there's a storm coming, he either runs in my closet mm. or um goes in his crate. That's that's his little house. He really likes it. And sometimes, you know, he'll go in and just take a nap in there. <laughs> <laughs> that's cute. So okay, that's now cute. let me ask a question. Okay, let me ask a question, Bubbles. <laughs> okay. How how he is a watchdog. I mean, if he if he gets nervous with storms, how would he do with the little burglars outside? Oh, I think if if he thought that I was in harm, he would, he definitely protects me. Okay, that's for sure. Okay, he is my dog. Okay, wouldn't you say, Patricia? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> no, he he's just uh, even the vet says the vet says. Actually, and he told me this twice, he said that um, Lexi is the luckiest dog in the state of Alabama. (laughs) Well, he's got more stuff than I do. (laughs) Oh, he's got a very large toy box. Yes, he does. He's got every kind of... We're doing... He he has about... We're doing Ed tonight. We're doing ads tonight. Tell me what your favorite ad oh. of all time is. Like on TV? Yeah. Because um, you didn't listen to radio. Oh. Talking old-time ads? Yes. Any, yeah. t- any ads. Oh, I, I, there was a, yes, there was a, a commercial about Considina tomato paste. And they uh-huh. had somebody dressed as oh I think it was Beethoven or so, <laughs> um, on the piano singing a like a, a beatbox song to um, uh, some some kind of um, song about Considina sauce ba 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 you know it was and then there was one more. And uh, I think it was I think it was Alka Seltzer, and the guy says, uh, and every time I saw it, I, I would just bust up. He would say, um, "This it helps you wake up bright-eyed and bushy-tailed." 
cute. That was a plop plop commercial too, and they had quite a few of them. George, mother's coming next week. Plop plop. The fizz <laughs> and the fizz on the on the Alka Seltzer. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right, George, I got an, a mink coat this week. Plop plop. <laughs> right, it was it was a, a really good campaign, a very good um, campaign. So my dad broke okay. out laughing. Right, my, my dad broke up laughing mm-hmm. tonight watching a TV ad. They were talking about it must have been for a mattress company, and they said. If you buy this mattress, you'll sleep like a baby. And you had pictures of all these old folks who who turned out to be miniature babies sleeping on this mattress. You know, you'll have a good night's sleep. <laughs> That's cute. That's Aww. cute. Yeah. Well, I just wanted okay, to be hello. Hello. Yeah. So have you gotten your po- have have you got your poem all written for for Mother's Day? It's a free verse, Walden. It's it's a um. Mother's Day free verse. Um, it's a, it's more of a composition type of thing about Mother's Day. Is that acceptable? Um, Patricia? No, I don't think so. What? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Walden is king of the show. I'm only the queen. Oh, Walden? but I'm bubble. Well. I you have to negotiate it with the queen. She if 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 she if she allows it onto the uh, onto the air, I'll I'll let it go by. But uh, if, if she she'll have final say. Cause after all, she is the writer of the show. Hey, wait a minute here. <laughs> <laughs> I've been working for weeks on this thing. <laughs> well. <laughs> It might be added to your book. What? When your book comes out, we can add it as a bonus feature. Oh, there you go. Okay. All right. That's acceptable. You're all happy now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you go forth and polish some more. Oh, uh, may I? <laughs> yes. Yes, I just, I, I just added one more thing to it tonight. And some of it is actually okay. true, Walden. Some of it? Oh, yeah. So is that going to be, we have to guess what what's, what's not true? Uh, well, you could do what you want. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, you could guess which is true, and I'll tell you whether it is or not. Oh, okay. How does that sound? I think it sounds like a winning proposition to me. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I just added one tonight. Perfect. I, I, re, I remember it, and it was... It was pretty funny when it happened, you know, and I, I think back of, about all the things that happened um, during my my days when my kids were younger, and it's it's pretty funny. I mean, the things that my son would tell my daughter, and she'd come crying to me, Mommy! <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I think you'll like it. Oh, well, we will enjoy it. Oh, I'm sh- I'm sure. I'm sure. Okay. Well, All right. Have fun. Okay. Keep working on it. Good night. Good night, Bubbles. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> okay. There's Bubble Smith. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. This is our number. We want the favorite or most memorable ad, particularly on radio. And the best cowboy. Walden, who was the best cowboy? 
the one that comes to mind for me is Roy Rogers. Yeah, that one popped into my head first, yeah, too. Yeah, I just who, think... Who would I, be second? Oh, probably Gene Autry, because I got a chance to meet him, and, you know, but that's, yeah. that's just me. Hello there, you're on with Patricia. Yes, this is Marilyn. Hello, Marilyn. How Marilyn, are you? Marilyn in Texas. Yes, Converse, Texas. How are you doing, Patricia? I'm doing well. Thank you, Marilyn. How about you? That's good. I'm doing pretty good. Converse. You know, I always think of I think of the shoes right in the city of Texas, you know? Oh. Because there is a Converse. There, there are Converse kind of, shoes? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Never thought of that. I know. I didn't know that. Well, that's why you tune in and listen to the show. You get to learn that there is a Converse <laughs> shoe. <laughs> Educational. There's one thing I wanted to ask you, though, Walden. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, uh, is there, uh, can I listen to your, your and Patricia's, he runs from Amazon, the Amazon dot? Yes. Ask, when you, when you, when you, I guess, ask for the podcast, just ask for the Saturday night show. Just call Alexa, play the Saturday night podcast, and, and it will play. And there's six hundred there's six hundred and fifty of them up right now. So it's play the Saturday night podcast. Uh huh. The Saturday night podcast, and and it'll play it for you. Okay. And we're uploaded each one today, and we're uploading another one now. So um. Oh. And there's six hundred and fifty of them, and so I'm working on getting more up there. Well, I try. I thought I tried that particular. Thing, but it wouldn't let it wouldn't let you it wouldn't work right right, right. so yeah you have for the Saturday night because when I ask for my Amazon Echo that's what I do and it finds it and if you want to find Frank Brzee's podcast that's the Golden Days Radio podcast oh so that's the two that were and then we're going to be uploading the interviews on, an, on another podcast so hopefully a month or so we're done on that one but uh okay that's where you find us, Marilyn. Okay. You can hear Patricia. All 3,000 hours of her. There's one. There's <laughs> 38,000, yes. Um, there's some that I was. 3 million hours about, so far. About when Ralph named those two chickens Patricia and Walden. Yep. Remember? Yep. Yep. Do you, do you have those out there, too? I got almost everything out there, yes. Oh. Oh. We have. We 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 start, we're going back to this week. We started to put up the one from two thousand nine, oh. Ju- July of two thousand nine. Okay. You know. Can you imagine when you? Can you imagine that far back, I, Patricia? Two thousand nine. No, I can't imagine <laughs> it either. <laughs> That's nine years. How long have we been doing stuff together? I think we. To Christmas of two oh seven, I think. Wow, you know that sounds about right. Yeah, but the the regular Saturday night shows started. Well, we started consistently December two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. Yeah. Okay. So you you just asked. Oh my! The night podcast. Uh huh. Just after the Saturday night podcast, 
and those should we that those should we where we where will be. Okay. Pretty simple. All right. So how's everything? Are you are you getting rain too? Yeah. Well, we got rain last night. In fact, we got a little hailstorm last night. You know. Wow. Yep. That's nothing to sneeze at, because I remember one year Bill and Kim had like $40,000 worth of hail damage on the, with the sky, sky roof. It gets knocked out. Oh, wow. You know, so it's, it's pretty wow. vicious stuff when they start coming down. Yeah. Okay, memorable radio ad. Which radio ad sticks in your head? Mr. Clean? Oh, very good. I don't know. Really? Interesting. Now with the senior Don Cherry, the senior Don Cherry who also, uh, with the professional golfer who sang that. Oh. That's a good commercial. I, I, I like it. <laughs> Just a minute. You know that. Yep, yep, yep. 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 Very good. You talk, talk about diverse occupations. My word. Thank you to the roadie checks you must have made off of that. Just singing that one jingle. Yeah. I don't think he made a lot of money on that. My bet would be he got paid one time for it. Hmm. Wow. Well, nowadays. Is he available? Now, is he still with us? Yes, he is. Uh, now, so now, we, now. We meaning. We. Sorry. Go ahead. But. Nowadays. When somebody do come, they do get royalties, residuals and royalties. Really? Well, yeah. they get paid for it, right? Oh, yeah. They get, yeah. Yeah. Mm-mm. My bet I'm is he got I, paid one time. I'm going to go back. Some, maybe one day we can call maybe maybe Walden as part of we this time. You call him and find out how he got paid, please. I'll drop him, I'll drop him a note through his website. Because uh, we can get it that way. We'll find out. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to listen to y'all's show. Now. All right. And All right, Marilyn. Be good. All right. Okay, Marilyn. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Be safe. All right. Bye-bye. Yep, we had him on the show. Okay. And uh, uh, he sent me a CD. He's quite a good singer. No doubt about that. Really? Oh, well, yeah. I guess if he landed a... A commercial. He must have done more than one commercial. Well, that's the one I know. Did he mention any? When, yeah. No. Did he mention any other? No. 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 Huh. Well, okay. My my dice roll is that he got paid one time for it. And what what do you think? I think he got residuals for it. Really? Yeah. It, it would have done a really good thing. Well, no, because the television commercials are sung by women. Ah. Mr. Clean, Mr. Clean, Mr. Cause the, Clean. Because the one I, the one I have here on, on yesterday, it, it's a duet with a man and a woman. Uh-huh. So. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Mm-hmm. Huh. Okay. All right. We need to find out only because I'm curious. And I'm positive everyone on an international level is curious how <laughs> Mr. Clean's commercial got paid. Sure. We'll drop, we'll drop Donna a note and find out, you know. We can do that. Yeah. We can do that. Okay. I got some other stuff here mm-hmm. besides Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
let me see. Henry Ford. We covered this one time a long time ago. Henry Ford was the one who invented Kingston briquettes, the charcoal briquettes that we use on barbecues. Oh, I did not know and that. he discovered it. Oh, we did, we did that a long time ago. Yeah. I wouldn't expect people to remember it. But he discovered that there was money in the wood scraps that, you know, fell from from the production lines. Right. He had fires going and furnaces, and there were always partially burned charcoal wood chips. And he put them all together and sold them as briquettes. No kidding. How about that? That's amazing. Yep. That's a Ford product. And... He had a real thing about the little nursery rhyme, Mary Had a Little Lamb. Yeah. You know the song, Mary Had a Little Lamb, Little Lamb, Little Lamb. He bought the schoolhouse in Massachusetts that was supposed to have been the very schoolhouse mentioned in the Mary Had a Little Lamb rhyme. He also had the building moved onto his property, (laughs) and that was probably up in Michigan. Mm -hmm. And he... He personally wrote and published a little book detailing how he knew the school was the right one. Wow. And the practical end on this, he refurbished the schoolhouse and put it back into use. I wonder if that's the one that, remember, Ken Golf was um, taking tours of different buildings onto mm-hmm. the, uh, yes. and I'm wondering if that's up there. Museum. Yeah. Yes, 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 in Dearborn, Michigan. Now, that, this made a transition, which now makes sense to me. When Thomas Edison made the first recording of his gramophone, yes. his voice recorded, Mary Had a Little Lamb. And Henry Ford and Thomas Edison were intimate friends, and now I understand why he chose that particular one. Very good. I like that. That's good. That? Good, good. Now... A piece, a piece of information I can't came across. No idea if it's true, but um, Henry Ford had a menial job before he went into manufacturing and made a squillion dollars. He had some kind of a basic job with Thomas Edison. He actually worked for Thomas Edison. No kidding. Yeah. Isn't that fun? <laughs> Fun. Okay. Presidents. Who was the Tennessee Taylor? Uh, Andrew Johnson. Very good. I knew you would know that one. I had faith. By, I had faith. By the way, the, it, by, the, by the way, just before we get into any more presidential stuff, I guess there's a the new the brand there's a big time singer out. That she's brand new. She's a, She's number one on the pop charts. She is a history junkie. She loves presidential history. I guess if you have them on the show, she can recite all the presidents backwards from 45 to 1. I can't remember her name. Why would we ask him to do it backwards? I don't know, but she just shows her smart. She just loves histories, and she loves presidential history. I guess she's the current rage as the number one pop singer in the country right now. And what's your name? I can't think of it at the moment. I don't know. I mean, I only heard it once. I don't know her. You know, I'm I'm, yes. I'm of a different generation. You know, what can I say? 
I know. But if we if we if we, if we oh Google it out, I bet we probably could find out. Anyway, back to financial history. Back to stuff. Um, let's see. April twenty first. April twenty first. Everybody can get into a national park for free. Just show up at the national park on April twenty first. And the other free days, this this is really bad because the park system has now discontinued the ten dollar senior citizen for ten dollars a year. It wasn't even per year; it was a, a lifetime pass that you could get to all of the national parks for ten dollars. Wow! You were sixty five or over, and they have discontinued that. It costs forget how much it costs now but it's my brain tells me it's like eighty dollars that's a lot of that's a lot of big dollars yeah. compared to the ten dollars but anyway three days this year as opposed to many last year april 21st september 22nd and november 11th they're all freebies my mom saw a heartwarming I story yeah, my mom saw a heartwarming story this week. Um, you know, we're on like tomorrow, the seventy third anniversary when Jimmy Weldon and the other guys went and opened up Buchenwald. And this week at the Simon Wiesenthal Center, which is the uh, a tribute to the Holocaust here in L.A. the museum, two of the survivors who were part of the family got to reunite after seventy three years today, uh, this week. Oh my gosh! Oh my! And that's a, that's a heart twinge. Yeah, and the interesting story: the, the little boy was mm-hmm. on the train, and the mother knew what was going to happen, so she delivery she, she delivery pushed him off the train, and that saved his life. Oh gosh! I wonder how she knew. So few people knew, I knew. what was happening at the other end of the I know. transport. I know. But my, well, my, she had to know that nothing good was happening right. the way um, it was all set up. Right. Wow. So, I mean, my oh, wow. mom just saw that article this, in the paper this week. Mm. Okay. I have a first lady question for you. Yes. You Go ahead. You're going to say something. 714 <laughs> 2071. That's what I was going to say. It's the phone number. I thought you were going, yes, I thought you were saying something profound. <laughs> well, I guess that is pretty profound. That's pretty good. Okay. This would be a giveaway if I told you the whole line and asked you the question. So I will just tell you. No, I will ask you. We had a first lady who chose to carry a gun instead of having Secret Service protection. <laughs> Okay. What do you think? It wasn't Annie. I don't think we ever had a president called Annie. You know, Annie gets your gun, the, the no. musical. No. No Annie Oakley. <laughs> <laughs> she would have been an interesting first first, pre- first lady. Wouldn't she have Annie Oakley as her first pre- first lady? I don't think so. Well, <laughs> you know, we've had some really interesting people. Uh, as first ladies, who who did some extraordinary things. There was one who was out in cattle country, 
but I can't recall which one. It was quite far back. Mm. Well, my guess would be... Who packed a rod instead of Secret Service? Probably Teddy Roosevelt's wife. Uh, well, here's a here's a here's a guess that should be wrong. Mamie Eisenhower. <laughs> <laughs> You're correct. It was wrong. Bennett <laughs> <laughs> uh, Surf and the other people. I think it was on what's my line. Uh-huh. Listen, I've got a secret. It's what what's my line used to ask. Um, I. It, it's not Charlie Brown, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> he'd have yes. to say yes. yes. He'd have to say yes, you're right. Yes. <laughs> and then he'd get another question. <laughs> so that was funny. Okay, Secret Service discharged. She chose to carry a gun. Boy. Lady Bo Johnson. No, but that's a great guess. That's a great guess. No, it was not Lady. Hello there. You want to take a guess? No, I don't want to take a guess. I don't want to say hi. Hi, Ron. Hi. This is Ron from Arkansas. Ron, how in the world are you? I are wonderful. Oh, my gosh. You have been through the mill, sir, and I have missed you so many bunches. It's so good to hear from you. Yes, I have, but I'm 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 doing well. I really am. Things are coming along very nicely. Still in rehab. Uh, I don't know how much you know about what happened. Well, don't for the family, you might as well explain what happened. I think you you, you might as well explain it because most people probably on the Saturday night show haven't heard you in such a long time. So, take it away. Well, first of all, how am I? I'm on this phone. How is it, how, is it coming through? Okay. I think it's doing pretty good. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, I moved down here in, in the middle of December, and um, we spent a few days with my son living in his house because we weren't didn't have things quite ready here. Uh, we finished moving everything in here and moved here the day that the day after we moved in here moved in here and then the day after moved in here in the afternoon I had a went into a seizure of some sort, had several of them, as a matter of fact, broke both shoulders, uh, ended up in the hospital, um, and spent two or three weeks in the hospital, part of that intensive care. Uh, came back here, I lost, I could not even stand up when I, after I came back here, couldn't even, my son was bound and determined he was not, I was not going to go into nursing home. So he, he, made, he made that happen. Um, and he was a brick about the whole thing. He really was. He was wonderful. Um, he was a tremendous amount of help, he and my wife both. Um, so when I came back here from the hospital, I couldn't even stand up. I'd lost all my muscle tone. Uh, I'd lost all my appetite, couldn't eat. It was just, it was terrible. And, um, so then things progressed um, to the point where now I'm still in rehab mentally. I'm, I'm, I'm really about, really back at 100%. Um, I've just about got 
my rehab has probably got a month or more, a little more to go. Um, my shoulder, we had the, the doctor repaired one and replaced the other one. And um, so came back here. Uh, I, 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 I'm in rehab now. Um, I've got use of the arms, both of them. Um, they're getting better and better every day, uh, getting more and more use of them every day. So things are coming along very nicely. And uh, I love Arkansas, by the way. I love it. And uh, uh, one thing that I will tell you about Arkansas is our weather is very interesting. We have roller coaster weather here. We had 85 degrees. We had 85 degrees um, Thursday. And we're going to be in the 30s tonight. Wow. Mm. Uh, so, but, but, and one thing about, one other thing about Arkansas is, uh, I thought we had changed a little weather in Illinois. You know, we always thought you, if you didn't like uh, the weather one day, hang around, it might, it would change the next day. We have roller coaster weather here, as I said. And, um, we've, you can actually experience all four seasons in one day here. <laughs> yeah, really. Interesting. Yeah, very. Ron, are you able to sweep in a bed, or you st- are you sweeping in a chair? How are you handling the uh, the swe- sweeping part with both your shoulders and everything? Not the bed yet. Uh, I'm sweeping in a, in a, uh, a, a lazy boy. Okay. And becoming quite a lazy boy, actually, because I've got my days and nights mixed up, and I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, so, but I can't really. I tried to sleep in the bed one night and it wasn't didn't work well. I haven't tried it for quite a while. Probably try it pretty soon because it's getting more and more better normal and back to normal as I was saying. It's interesting, it really is. But um, the the interesting thing, another interesting thing here is the cost of living is is much less here than it was in Illinois. Taxes are less here. Um, it's just, it's a whole new world down here. Nobody gets in a hurry. Um, everybody that I've met has just been wonderful. Um, the, 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 the people I've worked with from our, uh, healthcare service, which is in this case, North Arkansas Home Healthcare, and I'd like to give them a plug, though they will never know this. They have been just fantastic. It's been wonderful. Everybody in their office has been just great as we all get out and wonderful help. So I'm, I, I, I'm not, nothing but, but wonderful to say about my experience here. It's really been nice. Terrific. Well, you sound wonderful. You're going to have to really work hard at making people believe that you were sick. Oh, I believe me, I was. <laughs> My son says... No, boy, do I know you were. My son says that when I was in the hospital, uh, after... Um, he said that it was like the movie Groundhog Day every day because uh, every, every time I woke up because I would ask him something and he'd, he'd answer the question and then a few minutes later I'd ask it again, you know. <laughs> so thing, I, I don't remember much of this. Um, the only thing I remember about being in the hospital was that every time I woke up I was thirsty. Just mm. all the time, all the time. 
and I would ask him for a soda and got one every time. It's amazing, Ron, that I think we talked, you Larry and I talked a couple of weeks after the accident, and your response speed wasn't like it is now. I mean, you're, you're the normal Ron we're talking to now. I mean, back you know, when it happened, when Larry and I talked to you two weeks after, it, you could get tell it, it, it wasn't the same Ron. So it's amazing the progress you have made in a really a short period of time. Well, it's only been, what, um, just not quite four months. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's been a, a, a real roller coaster ride, let me tell you. And um, thank you for that, by the way. And, um, yeah, I, I think I can understand that because even after I got here, back here, um, I was not thinking on all four cylinders. Mm-hmm. No. That, that, that is true. But I, I, I really, um, I think it's, it's getting a lot better now. So having said that, how are things in Florida? And tell me about you. I am fine. Florida is hot. We're in the we're in the mid to upper 80s already. Oh my! So we're we're starting yeah we're starting summer weather already. So but I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, I are good. Yeah, well that's wonderful to hear. I I heard a few things about you when you were but that happened before I left Illinois. Some of that was happening before I left Illinois. That I heard some of that. Some of what happened. So, some of you, some of the stuff that you went through last year, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. That was that was when you were in Illinois. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Right. But I do good. I do good. I can stand up and walk all by myself, which is quite an accomplishment compared to where I was. Wow. Well, wow, wow, wow. What can I say? You, you, you beat you. You, you're a cat with nine lives. What can I say? You bet. <laughs> you bet. I, I talked. I talked with somebody at the lab, over at my my doctor's office, my old doctor's office. Right. I had to. I had to call over there, and I talked to the lab, and she said, "Patricia, the last I heard, you were dead." <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I was pretty sick. <laughs> uh, oh my! I guess I really did. I did use up one of my cat lives this time. I think. But thank you for asking. That was a long way to say I'm really doing well. Thank you. I'm glad to, I'm glad to hear that. When I came back here, by the way, from the hospital, I couldn't even stand. Uh-huh. I know. I heard you say that. How are you doing now? I'm doing very well. Uh, I'm, I've, I'm, I've got my balance. is good. Um, mm-hmm. Walking around. Um, uh, I even had difficulty learning to use utensils. I couldn't even use a spoon or fork. Mm-hmm. I've never done that. Mm-hmm. Well, and considering that you had both rotator cuff blown out, I uh, your pitching days uh, have been put put aside for a while. I don't think I'll be doing that in a while. No, I think that that, that, that piece of history is over. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes. Ron, did you fracture your shoulder or or have the rotator cuff, or did you do both? I broke both of them. I didn't fracture them. I broke them. You broke the, the bones were broken. Wow. 
said, Doctor. That is a very painful place to have an injury. Ooh, tell me, and they're still not right. I mean, I'm still having pain um, in my arm. Yeah. That's right. Now... And, and, and we, we we think the seizure was from a, a medication you were on, right? That's what we think would happen, Ron. They think the seizure was, the seizures were caused by um, um, my magnesium level had dropped tremendously low, and uh, that was they think because of uh, a, a medication I've been taking for acid reflux. Wow. And uh, mm-hmm. enough. Um, when I went back to the hospital, they have this. I, I had the both shoulders operated on at different times. Uh, the first one was operated on the, when I was in the hospital the, the first time. I had to go back in uh, a few weeks later to have the second one done. And when I went in to do that, I had uh, lost quite a bit of weight because of my appetite had been not really uh, the best yet. And um, I'd lost quite a bit of weight, and I'd been taking blood pressure medication to maintain my blood pressure. And uh, this is, uh, and uh, this is, you'll find this kind of interesting. When they were taking the vitals on me that day, my blood pressure was 80 over 53. That's kind of low. A little bit, yeah. And so... The young lady said, oh, this doesn't look right. I need to go get another cup and try this again. What well, she did, she went and got a smaller one. My arms are, you know, fairly small. She went and got yeah. another one and tried it again and got the same result. Needless to say, I'm not taking that blood pressure medication any longer. Yes, yes. The other you still, day, you know, <laughs> as scary as it sounds, you still were really in, okay, in an okay area, but, boy, you sure didn't need any blood pressure medication. No, and the other day, Mm-mm. the other day we took it, and it was one twelve over sixty four. It was. It's so low. Tell me the number again, please. One twelve over sixty four. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, that's that's really good. So I'm not needless. Very, very excellent. And I was only taking two and a half milligrams of the thing, you know, so I really. <laughs> wasn't taking very much of it, and uh, yeah. I'm not taking that any longer. I guess not. <laughs> I guess not. I guess not. So, well, Ron, it is just so good to hear your voice, and you're sounding so well. When I heard what had happened to you, my goodness, really rattled me. Do well, you have a favorite radio commercial? Talk about a segue, non-existent. <laughs> Ah, the segue doesn't exist, does it? So we'll just go there. Yeah. I listen to a lot of St. Louis radio, and always have. From the, that was that was that was dating back. And I'm going I'm going somewhere with it. Believe me. Um, even this goes back to the time when I was at school, which wasn't very far from St. Louis. So I just liked it. Yeah. And you're gonna have to help me a little bit, Walton, because Ron is sounding very muffled yeah. to me. Yeah. He was talking about he he always liked listening to the radio. So go ahead, Ron. St. Louis Radio, okay. Yeah. And one of the commercials that I've been hearing recently, like a funny yeah. it's something you we have talked about. It's a roofing what? company. Roofing company. A roofing company. Yep. Roof. And they, 
group. <laughs> and we talked about this? No, we've, no, when we talked about roof. Oh, we talked about your about Walden's father on the roof, yeah. yes. Yeah. We Oof. talked about roof and roof, you know. And that's, Oof. That's, Oof. Yeah, and, and so that's why this came up. And so that's another, that's one program. That, and that's commercial skills, by the way. I really enjoy that. Another one is not necessarily the commercial, but the little jingle they do with it. It's about a, a uh, trailer company that makes uh, uh, camping trailers. Camping trailers, uh huh. Uh huh. Firely trailers. It's just a delightful little little jingle that they use on that commercial. It's wonderfully done. Sounds good. I came across some trailers. They call them trailers. They're they're so tiny. They're the, one of them is called a scamp. They're 16 feet long, and you get bedroom, living room, kitchen, washing machine. They've got everything that does double and triple duty in these things, and you can actually live in them. You've got bookcases and everything. Oh, my. Wow. I know. I know. And, I I mean, that has nothing to do with anything except that you mentioned trailer, and that's what jumped into my head when you said cute. Uh, It's just amazing what they can do with these things. It is. You know that, speaking of trailers, you know that I'm living in a mobile home now. Right. And I love it. It's really nice. This is a nice one. It has three bedrooms, two baths, a huge, nice, huge kitchen. The living room is is, is very nice size, very large. This is just wonderful. It's laid out nicely. Everything is it's all laid out nicely. Um, so is Jackie going to let you have a man cave? I have a man <laughs> cave. I have one already. I have and one. what is in your man cave? Right now, a few radios. And that's all. Mm-hmm. You have a ham radio in there? It, 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 well, no, that's uh, that is actually going to be done. I'm going to actually do that stuff in the living room here. Not in so, your man cave? It, 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 That's sh- part of it. Yeah, my man cave is going to be my, a two-part man cave. Part of it is actually going to be. Okay, okay. So does Jackie get a woman cave? I mean, is she going to take over the living room? <laughs> quite the man. What point Jackie going to get out of this deal? Uh, she's got a, we're, we're, she's going to use one of the, one of the other bedrooms. A man cave, okay. a woman cave. Okay. Yeah, a woman cave, right. <laughs> yep. So you get two, she gets one? Yeah, the, the second one's really going to be a lot of, lots of mo- mostly for storage. Though. Okay. Well. Mm, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, Ron, I just love having heard from you. You are a good guy for putting in so much work and doing so well. Well, I've, I've, I've got so much to be thankful for. Uh, I could not have done this without of my, of my son and my wife. And the, the therapist that I've been working with has just been a delight to work with. That's so, great. So, we are, Excellent. Excellent. I have a lot to be thankful for and a lot of people to thank. 
Well, we're glad you 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 make you're on the road to recovery, Ron. What can I say? I'm getting there, and it won't be long. No. You're doing good. You've got your doing good medal. Yeah, we're on drive. <laughs> okay, Ron. <laughs> Thank you. Be safe. We'll talk to you soon, Ron. Sounds good. Bye-bye. Bye. Been a very active night with the family. 714-545-2071. Oh, I've been tripping over everybody tonight. Okay, the first lady who packed her own rod. It was it uh, Jackie Jacqueline Kennedy? Pat Nixon. But Lady Bird was a really great answer. Yeah, Pat it's Nixon. Not her, but that was great. Pat Nixon? No. Who's on the phone? See if somebody can give you a hand. Hello there. You're on with Patricia. I'll take first ladies for 200 Alex. Yeah, yes. Okay, You good. $200 first lady. All right. <laughs> Which first lady packed her own gun instead of Secret Service protection? Really? Which one? Uh, this is Dan from Indiana. What? Martha Washington. <laughs> no, they didn't have Secret Service for George. No. My mom is actually reading an 800-page biography on George. And it was interesting. The, the, she really think mom really think Mary, George married for money. No. Really? Yeah. You don't say. I know. <laughs> I always believed oh. it anyway. <laughs> I did. Martha was the one who had the money, yes. Yes, yeah. She had diddly squat. I know. She she had all that dessert money. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you know, he, he and his brother had a distillery, so that worked pretty well. Mm. And he did one other thing. I can't remember what else he did that was really interesting. He was a farmer. Right. But, oh, I, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of Dolly Madison. Martha didn't have the dessert. Well, that's okay. You're, you're, you're it wasn't Dolly Madison. Yeah. So who was the first lady who packed a gun? Dan? Yeah, I thought you'd get this out of the chute. Did we lose Dan? Uh, Hillary Clinton. Nope. Bet Truman. Nope. Refused Secret Service protection and carried her own gun instead. Nancy Reagan. Nope. Hmm. I think we lost them. We'll hang up there. I don't know, Patricia. You got me. I had more of my fair share of chances on this one. My goodness, and I thought you would get this out of the shoot. It was Eleanor Roosevelt. Wow, she's such a first yeah, lady. I would... She was, yeah, such a spunky lady. Yeah. Hello there. Hi, this is Dick in San Diego with the answer to your question. Wait, Dick, okay. Uh, Eleanor Roosevelt. You are it absolutely was Eleanor correct. Eleanor Roosevelt, you are absolutely correct. Hi, Dick, how are you? I'm doing well, and I'm glad you are doing well. I've got a Thank you very much. You have a radio or your your computer turned up in the background, the computer, Dick? Computer, I just hit the mute. On. Okay. 
You did. I okay, I... thank you. <laughs> okay, well, I don't want to hold you up. You have other things to do, but I just... Well, thank you, Dick, for figuring oh. that one out. How did, oh, now I'm coming back again. How did I figure it out? I knew it. <laughs> Dick, I have you and I have not talked before, have we? No, we have not. We have not. Welcome to the show. Well, thank goodness. you so very much, and I'm glad you are doing well in Florida. I need to get back thank down you. there again. That's where I used to live. Wow. Oh, where, where in Florida? Uh, I went to school in Gainesville, but I lived in Pensacola. Oh, my gosh, you were way up and out there. I was way up and out. Yes. Uh, you, you had a love affair with hurricanes up there. Well, you know, actually, I never really experienced a hurricane. No kidding. No, nope, never well, had they, a hurricane. They, just they get hit regularly now. My gosh. That my is gosh. what I have heard. I still have friends down there, and I talk to them. <laughs> and uh-huh. But uh, I never experienced one, and I'm wow. not looking forward to okay. doing it, nor an earthquake <laughs> out here. No, 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 no. We have a standard question, Dick. How did you find us? Oh, I've been listening to you for years. Um, really? Uh, I guess I just was Googling a long time ago, old-time radio or something like that, on the Internet, and the, show po- uh, the station popped up. And I've been listening for years. Just never bought call. My goodness. So, so, I want to say thank you for putting the show on. I enjoy it, as I'm you. sure quite a few other people do. Keep up the good work, and I will let you continue on your way. Thank you, Dick. Well, okay. Thank you for calling in, Dick, and welcome to the gang. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> Have a good evening. You too. Talk to you. We'll talk to you again. Thank you, Dick. Good night. Good night. Good night. A new family member. Boy, it's been a busy night for Patricia. Yay. Yay, yay, yay. I think we got time okay, for one see. more call before Patricia should sneak off to the next floor. Yeah. yeah. All right. There we go. Hello there. You're on with Patricia. Yoo-hoo. Hello there. Is there anybody out there? I'm waiting for Dan. Nobody's and Dan, out there. Dan, are you there? Well, we heard breathing. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> We're having obscene phone calls. Oh, oh, hello. Hello there. Hello. Hello. You got, that you, got Dan? back. Okay. There you go. Sorry about that. We're losing. That's okay. okay. There you are. All right. Yeah, I'm what? back. You're back. So you're not getting you're, you're not getting in the snow in Indiana. We've uh, we're uh, calling for flurries tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, Monday morning. Monday morning. So they cancel school, right? When that happens, right? Uh, they've been known to. Sometimes just on the strength of the forecast. So, are you rooting for no school? Uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> now, Dan, when you get a when you get a snow day, the the few times that they did close down the library, do you get paid for that day? Uh, well, that's that's just a little. Uh, it depends 
on what's going on. We we have wow. We have we have the option there. Mhm. Yeah. We have the option of uh we have a couple of options there. Yeah. So if if you have a snow day, I'll call it a snow day, that's what the kids call it. Yeah. You are not necessarily out a day's pay. Yeah, we have a few options there. Okay. That we can do. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, I worry about yeah. these things, you know. Well, I understand, you know, but Hey, hey, Dad, are you getting ready for your big stuff for the Civil War enactment here fairly soon? Is that going to happen this year? Yeah, we'll be doing that July 7th and 8th. Okay, we are June, June, you're only three months away, practically, less than three months to go. Yeah, that's right. We're finalizing, you know, uh, details. We're going to have Abraham Lincoln again. And we're uh, planning on having a little bit of uh, some food uh vendors out too Ooh, yum yes so are you going to have period food that's the plan yes great what's on the menu well we're talking about having maybe a a, a stew cooked uh-huh. out going on and yeah. some other things too but, Corn bread. You know, it will be july 7th and 8th yeah, are you, are you, can we arrange for Abraham Lincoln to be a guest on the show? Uh, we might be able to work that out. Okay, yeah. Uh, I have to. I I got an email from him. Okay. He he's really excited about coming. Well, we'll probably have a Gatling gun or two. Okay. A Gatling gun. Oh. I love it. Oh, jeez. Are you going to fire it? Serious question. Will they fire it? I'm not. Yeah, we 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 uh, have. Uh, we have people who, you know, can fire that off. I have pictures of Lincoln firing off the Gatling gun. Really? Wow. Yeah. Yes. Wow, wow, wow. Lincoln's a real uh, people person. I don't know. Where, where would you get ammunition for a Gatling gun today? Well, we, we have a supplier. <laughs> we darned. have our ways. I'll be darned. Yeah, that's right. Yep. We're planning a big celebration, uh, a big living history this year. We won't have the full reenactment. We'll just have Mm -hmm. different uh, stations set up. The Gatling gun to take (laughs) everything down. Oh, my goodness. That was a a very popular Civil War weapon. That's right. I say popular. There were were quite a few. It was. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, there at the around the time of the Civil War. We're, yes. look, yes, we're finalizing our plans right now. I'll send you oh, a visual what we're doing. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, have you all had um, nice weather down there in Florida and California? Yes, yes, we have. We we had some rain. One day this week, which was a blessed event, we haven't had much at all, and the days are now well into the 80s. It's been mixed. It's been uh, warm today. Other days were cold, like in the 50s for you, you know. Um, oh, yuck. Yeah. Walton, yes. did, you have a, uh, did you have an earthquake out there? I didn't know about it. I, I, saw on Facebook, I saw on Facebook people said we did, but I didn't notice. I did not notice about it. 
So it must have been nothing close. They said it was 5.3 somewhere, but I, I don't know. I never felt it. Uh-huh. You know, so. Yeah, I, I heard about that. Yeah, we're, we're, we've had plenty of rain here. We're seven inches ahead of the year. Wow. You've got hours. Yeah. You need to ship it to In fact, mm-hmm. tonight we're getting more heavy rain. It's coming up from uh, Barbara. Oh, dear. Bubble. I mean, dude, it's coming right out of uh, Alabama. Jeez. Due north. Yeah, she said she was going to get some really stiff rains tonight. Yeah. So... Um. But, uh, yeah, we're okay. having rain tonight. Rain tonight and flurries Sunday night into <laughs> Monday. You got fluffies tomorrow. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I just yeah. call in and say hey. All right, Dan. I'm glad you're okay. Yeah, doing well. Stay warm. And, yep, you do the same. We will. Don't, uh, don't work too hard. We'll try. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Dan. I'll good night. Have a good later. week. You bet. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. All right, family, that'll be it, because I need some Patricia off to Betty Bye. You are going to send me to my room. Yep, I'm sending you all. We have an interview. <laughs> yeah. that we got three interviews that I just did the last couple of weeks. The first one is with Patrick Curtis. He is one of the last three survivors of the movie Gone with the Wind. Oh, goodness. And he also was marries a Raquel Welch. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so, an interesting one-hour interview with, with Patrick Curtis. You'll, you'll people enjoy that first. So, that's what we uh, got. That sounds like fun, yeah. 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 So, my dear, I'm glad you made yes. it through. I'm glad you stayed awake. And stuff like that there. I did stay awake. It's always fun to be here. No matter how poopy I am or I droopy. Know. I wasn't poopy. I was droopy. Droopy. No matter how, we say, hello, everybody, and the lights come on. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yes, it is. So, Well, it is time for me to leave, everybody. Thank you for being with us. I love it, knowing that you're out there. Have a good week. Good night, Walden. Good night, Patricia. And there goes Patricia, everybody. We're going to feature our interview with Patrick Curtis. Uh, we have another one with uh, a author named... Martin Turnbull, who has a book out, a whole series about history of Hollywood. And then Martin Graham, normal presentations. And then after that, we got radio shows. So let's say our prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity of being here. Bless Patricia. Bless all the listeners who called in. Thank you for our, our health. Thank you for the opportunity of being here. Look after the needy the poor, the homeless. Help our men and women to service. Keep them safe, Lord. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. And with that, it is almost oh, yeah, 7 after 9 here on the West Coast, Saturday night, April the 14th, year 2018. So stand by. Jaws Professional. Norton Sick. Alt Tab 1 Patrick Curtis 2 Martin 1 Patrick Enter.
Hi everybody, I'm Wong Hughes, and I have a gentleman on the line who's been around the business for a long time. Patrick Curtis, welcome to our show. Well, thank you, Rob. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Uh, let's talk about Gone with the Wind. When, <laughs> when did it become such a big deal? Was there, like, one of the anniversary, like the 50th anniversary or the 30th oh, anniversary that they found you? When did it be sure it became a, a big part of, you of, know? Well, of, of my life, actually, uh, the first time I was even really aware of it, I, I knew I had been in it, but... but I'd never seen it until I think they had a re-release in 1951, and my friends came over to my house, and uh, um, we all went in into Hollywood. We we rode our bikes to to the streetcar and got on the streetcar and went to Hollywood and saw the movie at the at the Egyptian Theater. Oh wow! And but as we were leaving my, the house, my mother said to my friends, "There's five or six of us, I guess." Or, uh, said, oh, don't forget to watch for Patrick. He's the baby in 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 the movie. <laughs> uh, well, that was not a good, you know. And I didn't know that there were four babies or four kids that played, or four babies and and then Mickey, you know, that played bows. I had no idea. Right. So, uh, you know. So anyway, so I sat there embarrassed every time a baby came on, <laughs> not knowing which one was me. So. I ended up, you know, I, found I was the second okay. baby. Rick Holt was 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 the third. Uh, Greg Geese was the baby baby, the infant okay. newborn. And then came me when the war was over, and Melanie's holding me and says, "Oh, Ashley's coming home. That's me." Right. And then Rick Holt, who sadly has passed away, uh, was the baby waving the little white uh, wooden spoon. And then our pal Mickey Kuhn was Bo at six when he could actually talk. Mm-hmm. When Ashley's holding him, as Melanie died, and uh, Ashley says, "You have to go to bed," and Mickey says, "Why do I have to go to bed? It's light out." So that that that's anyway. That's the first time I was aware of it, and I think in '68 they had a they had a, a wonderful screening at the Academy. Okay. And uh, Olivia was there, and uh, and I was there, and and uh, Cammy King, a lot of. I mean, there's a lot of the cast members there, so that 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 was a big part. But you're right, the 50th anniversary, when Ted Turner owned the film, and he he uh, recreated, you know, what had happened 50 years before, with, and it was just fabulous. I mean, we all had limousines, and you know, it was just a, a great time. I had just married my wonderful wife, Annabelle, wow. who knew nothing about the entertainment, nothing. <laughs> I, I introduced her to a friend of mine, and she said, I'm sorry, I didn't catch your name, and he stuck out his hand, and he said, Charles Neston, <laughs> she had no idea who it was, <laughs> and he said, I think she's a keeper, and I thought, well, probably you're right, so we've been married for 30 years, <laughs> so anyway, uh, uh, it was just great, so, so she knew nothing about the business, so we were in the limousine, and we pulled up in front of the theater, and the press and the photographers, everybody's going crazy. And, and as we're walking down the red, the red carpet, she said to me, can we go around and do that again? <laughs> <laughs> so my wife became Mrs. Show Business right at that moment. Anyway, she's she's a delight, and uh, <laughs> I just get a big kick out of that. But that was a great, a great long weekend, uh, uh, what did they do? I, did they have little cash parties after the? Oh film? yeah, yeah. The screening we actually it was a breakfast. Okay. Uh, at the at the uh, up in the uh, 
above, it was at the Fox Theater in Atlanta, okay. and they have a huge, giant room upstairs, uh, as big as the theater, except it's just a room. And uh, we had breakfast there, and it, it was just uh, great. I mean, it, was a, it was really the first time that many of us had met some of the other cast members. Mm. I had known Ann Rutherford forever, but right. Rand Brooks I knew because, you know, we were in the business. But, but some of the other people, like like Cammy King, I, I knew when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, uh, I went to a Catholic boys' school, and she went to a Catholic girls' school. Mm. So they they would invite the boys over for mixers, you know, sure. for, for dances. And so I was a freshman, and Cammy was a senior. Now Cammy, I think Cammy was five foot ten when she was twelve, <laughs> you know. And I was a freshman, so I was about five foot nothing, you know. Uh-huh. And so uh, you know, we danced, and I was always thankful to her for not resting her chin on the top of my head. <laughs> but but that that those. The couple times we danced that day was a was a big moment in my life mm. because um, I had taken uh, root acts and dance. And my mother had me take dance lessons and all with the white gloves and all that. Mm-hmm. But you know, I was I was fourteen. I, I, nobody has any self confidence. Little no. boys at fourteen. So Cammy was talking to a freshman. She didn't know that I could hear her. But I was I was behind her, and she said. You should dance with that Patrick Curtis. He's a really good dancer. And Walden, from that moment on, I became friggin' Fred Astaire. <laughs> Tammy King said I was I was a great dancer. So I've always been thankful for that. And for, for decades, she and Mickey and I really did a lot of wonderful things for charities and stuff. You know, it was, we, we built ourselves as Bonnie Blue and her two bows. And... Uh, I'm very proud of the things, and, and, and we had great times doing I had her on the show about 15 years ago. She was such a nice person. Too. Oh, she is. She was just a delight. Yeah. And uh, sadly, you know, she passed away way too young, and, and uh, you know, we miss her a lot. Yeah. Because now it's just, you know, the two bows, and we, yeah. we you know, we do fun things. But without Cammy to make fun of us, you know, we're just two guys, you know, <laughs> boring. <laughs> so, so, did... did did the muse- was the museum open by then? And I get there's a bunch of Gone with the Wind museums around. Yeah, well, uh, uh, I think I, I want to say the the Marietta Gone with the Wind Museum probably opened, I don't know, 15, 18 years ago, something like that. Yeah. I, I, you know, I don't really remember exactly, so, but somewhere around there. And, and uh, Connie Sutherland has run it just wonderfully, and we, we all look forward to going back to... Uh, Marietta, you know, often uh, at least once a year, just for you know, she puts on a great show and people are so nice and we get to meet our, our friends that, that I'm sure Mickey mentioned, you know, we, there are Wendy's. Ah. The, the, the Star Trek has Trekkies right. or Gone with, Gone with the Wind has Wendy's. <laughs> there are people who, who have become great friends of ours over decades. Yeah. And, uh, and we all have a good time together and, and again, we don't, none of us take ourselves too serious. No. It works out just fine. <laughs> and let's face it, the next year, the 80th anniversary, is going to be a big deal, I would say. You know, I hope so. Yeah. I certainly hope so. No. You know, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. You know, the whole, uh, you know, Southern Monuments and all that that's gone on yeah. is, uh, has, has caused a, a little bit of, of 
pullback and gone with the wind things. But we'll see. I, I certainly hope that uh, people will understand that the film was made at a particular time, 80 years ago, and things were a lot different. And, uh, you know, and yeah. see what happens. And, and, yeah. and let's face it, when, if yeah. anybody read the book, I mean, it, it's sort of a, it's a throwback to a different era and a different time. Oh, exactly. You know. Exactly. And, uh, you know, you can't judge things but by today's mores no. of something that happened 80 friggin' years ago. No. So, no. anyway. I hope that we will because it'll be our last hurrah. Yeah. You know, Mickey will be 87 almost, and I'll be 81 or two. It depends on when the event's held. You know, yeah. hopefully they'll have a something in Atlanta for the uh, uh, December 15th, which will be the actual 80th anniversary of the premiere of the movie in Atlanta, mm. world premiere. So, you know, I, we're kind of looking forward. I know nothing. I've heard nothing, but, you know, there's plenty of time for somebody to organize. Yeah, true. We need Ted Turner. That's key. <laughs> a few dollars would help. But it would, probably. You know. But listen, Warner Brothers has made a ton of money off Gone with the Wind yeah. and continues to do so. So um, the problem is, of course, is that the young people at the studios today have no connection with the past. They really don't. No. Not that they're not talented and wonderful people, and all, but they just don't really understand uh, what things like this mean. So, you know, we'll see. Uh, I'm sure Turner is going to do something. Sure. Uh, to, uh, Turner Classic Movies. Um, but, again, we'll see. I just have high hopes. Sure. Um, for our audience, they don't know. Um, you might as well say, how in the world did you fell into the motion picture business? Well, uh, you know, We've gone with the wind. I always, you know, people always ask me that when I'm on stage, and I, I, I say, well, my mother slept with the producer, and that's how. Isn't that how people get jobs? But it just wasn't true. My, my, my mother was good friends. We lived in in the, in Hollywood, in uh, area actually in the San Fernando Valley, and my mother was friends with George Cukor, mm-hmm. and uh, she was pregnant, and uh, this is this is all what I know. Right. From what I've been told over many years by relatives and whatever, yeah. so, that uh, when George Cukor was let go and Victor Fleming was hired, my dad was a great friend of Victor Fleming's. Uh, they were motorcycle racing buddies together and with Gable and and uh, uh, you know a lot of in the valley where where we all lived. So uh, I guess I always say I didn't lose my job in the womb. Um, <laughs> So, you know, that's that's what I know. Sure. Uh, how much of it is reality or not, I, you know, I'm, I'm not totally sure. But, you know, it makes a good story, and it's, it's probably 80% true. <laughs> Except my mother didn't sleep with the producer. I, I'm sure of that. You know? So, after Gone with the Wind, did, they, did, they, did your mom have you out? Doing some other photo op? Oh, not a lot. I, I, I worked as a baby in uh, in another thin man. Okay. And yeah. and I I had thought, again, this is, you know, history that I know really nothing about, right. but I had been told I, that, that I played uh, baby Nicky, mm-hmm. and that wasn't the case. I was not baby Nicky, but the storyline, there were a lot of babies in the movie. There were probably 12 or 15 babies in the movie, and... Uh, uh, what I then found out from my aunt uh, Audrey mm-hmm. was that because babies, uh, there were big scenes with lots of babies, but babies can only work at you know just a few moments, sure. really. So uh, 
that at long shots and stuff, they, they took the baby that actually played baby Nikki and they replaced him with other babies. So I maybe I did in a long shot or something. But anyway, I was in another thin man just as one of the babies. And, uh, and I, I didn't, you know, I didn't work a lot until a few years later. Um, my dad was the comptroller at Republic Pictures, so I, uh, I, I worked a lot as a kid. And I was the fourth kid on the right. Mm-hmm. A lot of, uh, you know, Roy Rogers movies and Wabel Elliott and, you know, people like that. Uh, so, you know, I, I was never, I, I never had anything really important. I just worked. And uh, I'm always grateful for that, but, but I never did anything of any importance at all. Later on, you know, if, if I said, can Wally come out and play Mr. Cleaver or sure. can Ricky come out and play Mr. Nelson or whatever, that was, that was a giant part. So uh, my, last, my last film role was in um, Cimarron. Uh, okay. with Glenn Ford mm-hmm. and Maria Schell and Arthur Kennedy and a lot of people. And uh, I, I played an elevator boy mm. uh, at, uh, at near the end of the movie. Glenn Ford had already passed away and uh, in, in the movie, and Maria Schell was older and, and ran the newspaper, I think, in Oklahoma City. And, and uh, so she was retiring. And so they all, the older guys, walked her down the hallway into the elevator, well, elevators don't really go up and down in movies, you know. So mm-hmm. once we got in the elevator, uh, they, they, we couldn't, they couldn't get rid of me because it was small and parts of me were showing no matter where the camera was. So at that weekend, I was hired on a Friday. Screen Actors Guild was going on strike at midnight on, on Sunday night wow. for residuals. So it was like, you know, 1960. So, so up until that moment, no actor had gotten residuals mm-hmm. until the strike was over and we got residuals. So, um, so what happened? You know, we got in the elevator. There was stuff going on. Then they they were running actors all over the lot, shooting close-ups and bits and pieces of film they needed to finish the movie. Right. And so while they were doing that, the, all the big scene of the hallways and the upper floor of the newspaper and all had to disappear. And a giant party scene uh, when the elevator doors opened. We went out to this giant party, you know, uh, wishing her all the best. Mm-hmm. So, so I ended up working uh, like quadrillion overtime, meal penalties, everything. So my $200 a day job and ended up making $3,750. How about that? They couldn't get rid of me. <laughs> and the, the, the funny part was, in those days, Walden, yeah. the arc lights were huge. Yeah. So the, the ASA of the film was like 35. Sure. And uh, the lights, and a little tiny room. And all the, the you know, the actors had, had uh, you know, multiple costume changes. Sure. You know, and, and I had this one rather tight, rather heavy wool green elevator boy suit on and it got really stinky so they'd rip it off me and i'd sit around in my in my underwear and they'd take it to the dry cleaners on the lot and they'd clean it and bring it back and you know and when i'd go back in the scene they'd they'd put it back on me but i hung around forever and you know then they bring it back in for for more shots in the elevator and then finally the elevator doors opened and and out they went, and I'm standing, you know, happy to look on my face, whatever. And for decades, I thought I wore a little green, you know, little cap on the top of my head, the circular kind of 
you know, Philip Morris kind of hat. Right, you know? right. And I looked at the movie. <laughs> I hadn't seen it, I don't know, previous since it opened. <laughs> and I, I watched it on, on Turner Classic Movies. I didn't have any little round white hat on. Maybe I had it, and I didn't wear it in the first shot, right. and so I couldn't wear it again. So somewhere in my mind, I did have it, but I left it on a chair or something. I don't know. Who knows? You That's my last job. And I, I did the, the really sane thing with my $3,750. I, uh, I went to Felix Chevrolet by SC where I was going to school, and, right. and, uh, and I bought a brand-new 59 Corvette. <laughs> Four-speed, fuel-injected, you know, oh, uh, red with white coves, and, uh, and so clever me. <laughs> you told me you did a lot of radio too. This morning. Well, I did. I did some radio, yeah. not, not a lot, not in comparison to Mickey, because right. you know he was significantly older. But I did some. I for for one part of a season, I was uh, I was Buster Brown on Smiley Dan McConnell. Yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, Punk your magic, twanger, froggy, oh, yeah. and Ed, and uh, uh, our late friend June Foray did all the woman voices on that show because her husband yeah. was the director. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> he lives in the shoe. I'm Buster Brown. Look for me in there too. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I did. I did a, a few other things. You know, there. Here, here's a big problem I think with kids in the entertainment business whose mother doesn't care all that much. I never had a stage mother. I, you know, worked. I, I don't remember even going on interviews. I just, I, I'm sure I did, but I just worked. Right. But, but, you know, my mother didn't keep much of a scrapbook or anything like that. So, you know, I'll have a memory of something. And I'm Lux Radio Theater, I think I did, mm -hmm. and a couple other things, and some quiz shows, wire, kid quiz shows, and then television came in, and I, I worked on a show called Fantastic Studios, Inc. for a while. Oh, yeah, my friend Duffy Senior was on that. Yeah, and, and uh, Richard Beamer. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, uh, but, but again, the fourth kid on the right, N nothing of any importance. I just filled out the, you know, the background. So, um, I, you know, my acting career ended uh, in 1960 with, with uh, uh, Cimarron. That's that, somewhere around there. That was it. So did you go to, did you go to public school in Patrick or private? Oh, I went. I went to St. Charles. Here's an interesting story, yeah. which I'm so thrilled about. I went to St. Charles Grammar School, Catholic school uh -huh. in North Hollywood, California. Okay. My eighth grade teacher was was Sister Mary Jean, who's the who's the great you know star of, of media yes. because she's the 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 uh, religious. Uh, rector for uh, the the Loyola Chicago, Chicago basketball, uh, uh, team. basketball team, but she was our eighth grade teacher. How about that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you should probably write her a little note. She's oh, I have, I have. We invited her to our 60th anniversary, and uh, she wrote us a lovely letter, and uh, and uh, you know mentioned all of us and and how much she enjoyed her time there and what she had done since then, but. Uh, uh, she was just a, a great, just a great lady. She's 98 years old. So. <laughs> and, and I heard, I understand she got uh, trademark for crying out loud. She oh yeah, her own bobblehead. I have a T-shirt. It's just, you know, <laughs> Sister Mary Jane T-shirt. And uh, and the funny thing is, you know, when you're kids, we never had any idea that 
you know, we didn't know a lot about nuns except they taught us for eight years. That I had no idea that she actually had a last name because nobody ever, you know, nobody ever said it. Right. So anyway, I found out since she's this big media star that uh, that her last name was Schmidt. So uh, anyway, she's I just get such a big kick out of her. So when did you find out uh, when when Chicago started hit the the tournament? That's when you figured out that there's Sister Jean. I mean, did that. No, 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 no. We knew it beforehand oh. because uh, a friend of ours lived in Chicago and always kept in touch with her. So when we were having our 60th anniversary uh, four or five years ago, mm-hmm. um, we invited her. You know, and uh, I, I I did a nice program, and I put a picture on the front, and I'll send it to you. And, yeah. and uh, uh, you know, so I always then kept track of her. But once Loyola got in the, you know, in the finals, yeah. you know, she became just this thing, and I I get such a kick out of it. <laughs> you know, she was a wonderful nun. I mean, very strict nun, but sure. but a great teacher. And you know, then I went to Notre Dame High School, which is a Catholic boys' school in mm-hmm. San Fernando Valley, and all the girls went to Catholic girls' school. So mm-hmm. that's why I had the the mixer with with, uh, with Cammy. Out, with Cammy, yeah, because they're always looking for boys who knew how to dance. So, so was your dad always with, with public until the bitter end, or what, what did he... Well, around, yeah, no, he, he was in Republic for, before the war, and then he was in the war, and then after the war he came back, and okay. then... And then uh, some... I, I, he he had uh, eleven brothers and sisters. Wow! Big Catholic Irish family. Yeah. Eleven brothers and sisters. Um, my grandfather owned a large company called Hollywood Lighting, mm-hmm. and and when he passed away, um, the fa- he, my father was the youngest, so he was the only member of the family of, of his brothers and sisters that were born that was born in the 20th century okay. all his brothers and sisters were born in the 19th century right. so they were quite a bit older and uh, he uh, they they voted family wise somehow or another that my dad should should then run this company okay. Hollywood lighting fixtures and so you know he really hated I think every minute of it mm. and uh, but he did. And uh, until he passed away, or actually he retired, and then he sadly passed away in the 70s. So did you go down and work in the office or whatever in the family business? Did, or? did I? No, no, no. Never did. Oh, I, no, it was on Western Avenue in Hollywood. I, I went down there frequently and mm-hmm. went to lunch with my dad and, you know, with my brothers and sisters and my mom. We'd, you know, Christmas time, we'd pick him up and... And go into Hollywood, and, or you know, look at whatever we did. Mm-hmm. But no, I, I had no, I knew nothing about it. They made, they they imported crystal chandeliers and things, and crystal from Ireland. Wow! Another another part of our family that were still in Ireland okay. that made crystal for big chandeliers. So I I remember again. I'm a kid from the valley. Yeah. So uh, I remember several times as a as a. I don't know, let's say 10, 12, 13 years old, um, uh, going going into like Ciro's mm-hmm. or uh, places in Beverly Hills, uh, Romanoff. Yeah. Yeah. I remember going to Romanoff when Romanoff was being built, okay. and my dad's company provided the chandeliers. Wow. And uh, and also for a lot of the a lot of the uh, hotels in Vegas. Anyway, mm-hmm. I remember going into Beverly Hills with my dad. 
thinking that I had to whisper because I was in Beverly Hills. <laughs> so, you know, then I ended up, you know, a decade or two later living there and realized I didn't have to whisper. <laughs> so, no, I, I, I didn't. I was not any part of that business at all. Mm. I was just, you know, I, I was, I think we, our family was aware that my dad was not happy doing that, but, you know, but he just did, you know, to put bread on the table and keep the family business going. But but then it, it got sold, and I don't know what happened. Mm. I, you know. So um, so when you were growing up as a kid, and because your mom didn't push you into it, jobs just sort of were sporadic, or was it fairly? Well, yeah, until until I hit you know sort of my my mid to late teens. Okay. And then, uh, you know, I don't know, if, well, you've seen pictures of me, I guess. But, yeah. but uh, one of the things about, about kid actors is that they're usually smaller, you know, they're small, right. and, uh, and they look very young. So I wasn't particularly small, but, but I wasn't, I mean, one of the things, the, the only person I think that ever came out of my generation that ever did anything was Richard Beamer, who was a great pal, mm -hmm. because he, he ended up being six foot two, right. you know. Uh, the rest of us were five nine or five <laughs> ten, but we, we looked young. So uh, my parents had a lot of friends in the business, and uh, I, I know that I worked uh, because I looked younger than I was when I turned eighteen. I could play fourteen. I worked on Leave It to Beaver for a long time, but I worked Connie and Rosa with the producers, and. Uh, yep. Who wrote Amish and Andy on radio, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And they said, because uh, um, I was in college, and they said, well, you, you, are you sure you're 18? I said, yeah, you know. I said, well, why don't, why don't you come and be, be our all-around guy and learn about the business? So uh, I worked for Connolly and Moser for a couple of years, mm -hmm. uh, and I did everything. I mean, when, when Jerry Mathers' uh, uh, stand-in, who was a little lady, was sick, uh, I'd walk around on my knees, you know, oh, wow. so they could light me because I was over 18. <laughs> I'm five years older than Tony, sure. but if you see me in the show, you know, I'm, I'm one of Tony's friends. Right. Uh, you know, if, uh, uh, if uh, uh, Lumpy Rutherford needed somebody to throw up on on the Ferris, <laughs> you know, or, or uh, <laughs> and uh, remember the, the Leave it to Beaver where, where, where Beaver's caught in a soup cup on yep. a billboard. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The guy's giving him crap. And yep. Anyway, I, I, I worked, but I worked in production. Mm -hmm. If they needed somebody to say, can Wally come out and play Mr. Cleaver, I, or whatever. You know, I was there a lot of the time. I worked in the editing room, and uh, I learned to sat with a script supervisor. I did a lot of stuff that was very helpful to me you know, later on in my life. So that really, that was a really a good learning experience for you. Oh, it was fabulous. I mean, I, 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 you know, you can only, you can only get that through, through somebody who really has a lot of juice mm -hmm. because I didn't, I didn't join any unions. I did, you know, I just was their utility guy mm -hmm. and I did what I pulled cable. I stood in, I, I, you know, I worked, uh, picking up little pieces of film and, you know, I did everything. And, uh, but I learned a lot just, just by asking questions and being around. And it was very, very helpful to me. Anything, so, about, anything about I, Harriet, anything about that show that stands out? I, yeah, I, <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I met my first giant, big, wonderful love affair, 
uh, girlfriend on that show, the lovely girl who was just graduating from Hollywood High. Her name was Linda Evanstead, mm. who became Linda Evans. Right. <laughs> and we got, uh, actually, we got engaged at a Leave it to Beaver Christmas party oh, uh, in about 1960, I think. So we were engaged for a, a couple years, mm -hmm. and it kind of fell by the wayside, as those things do. Yeah. I don't think either one of us really wanted to get married. Mm -hmm. But she said, if we're not married, if we're not engaged by Christmas, I'm going to dump your ass. <laughs> so we got engaged. To I gave her a, I gave, this is a big dog in, the, in those days. There were a new breed. It was called a cockapoo. Uh -huh. It was a, a cocker and a, and a poodle. A little, little sweet little. But so I gave, that was my engagement present. It was a, this cockapoo puppy. And the dog grew up to hate me. So... <laughs> So we were, we were, oh, we had a great time. You know, we were both just kids, and uh, she was a beautiful girl, and we, we had had a great time together. I have fond memories, and you know, she went on to just be wonderful. Sure. Anything, anything about Roy Rogers, Dale Evans, anything that pops up? Well, uh, they, they were my friends from my whole. I went to both their funerals. Yeah. Cheryl Rogers, uh, their daughter, and her husband Larry moved up here to St. George, Utah. Mm. With us, I mean, my wife and I and Larry and Cheryl moved to St. George. I was very involved with them as friends for for decades. Uh, they were, you know, they were Roy Rogers and Dale Evans. Yep. That's all you need to say. Yep. They were exactly what you'd hope they'd be. Yep. You know, uh, and were very nice to me and and my parents. And um, you know, they knew my dad, of course, sure. because they worked for him. So, um, yeah, I, I I treasured their friendship and and. Uh, I write for a magazine called Guns of the Old West, but I don't write about guns. I write about growing up in Hollywood and the friends that I had and the and the trouble that I got into and <laughs> and the stories with Roy and Dale. But you know, I, I, I there was just and all the kind of cowboy heroes and sure. horror movie heroes. I mean, uh, a neighbor of ours was Bela Lugosi. There you go. Yeah. And uh, on Whitsit and uh, excuse me, Whipple Street, and we would. Uh, we would every year. We go. Well, I'm 11. I'm not going to be afraid. And we go, um, you know, trick or treating the <laughs> Dracula's house, and, and he'd he'd scare the crap out of us. He'd open the door with his full uniform on and with his cape and enter freely in your own will. And in those days, in the 40s, you know, one of the things you'd bob for apples. Yeah. So he had a big uh, a big uh, entryway and with a with a barrel and we, we go wait a minute we're on our knees our hands behind our backs and our necks exposed and our heads under water and we <laughs> run out so so uh, you know that was always i mean you know then we go to bob hope's house and get a silver dollar oh wow a year we'd figure out how on earth we could change our appearance so that we could get <laughs> back in line to get another silver dollar and then uh then we go to Tex Ritter's house, and yeah. he'd sing us a few songs and give us a Hershey bar. Wow. Mrs. Ritter would give us another Hershey bar secretly as we left. And <laughs> go to, to uh, Don Redberry's house, and yep. he would he would uh, the lights were never on, and and for some strange reason, on his porch he had a water faucet. <laughs> so we the big deal we'd run up and turn the water faucet on and flood his porch. <laughs> One year. Uh, uh, we did that as we were going down the path. He was hiding, and he turned the sprinklers. He had turned all the sprinkler heads onto the pathway. Oh, my. So that when he turned them on, we all got soapy and wet. So, you know. But those were fun days, you know, growing up in that part of uh, 
of, uh, of the San Fernando Valley. Uh, I mean, I could ride my bike to five different studios, yeah. Warner's and Disney and Republic and Columbia. So, you know, it was a, it was a great place to grow up. What about Christmas? A lot of my friends mm-hmm. who went to St. Charles were sort of in the same boat, either more or less, uh, that I was. So there was sort of a group of kids that, that you know, we worked right. in the business. And we didn't know about schedules or anything like that. We just thought they, somebody said, well, go get the kids. Because <laughs> you know? so we were so close. And sure. and, uh, and they'd come and they'd get us, you know, and we'd go work. And I don't know. Uh, you know, I just have fond memories of... What about Christmas time? Anything stands out about Christmas time it, it, around the... The studios or your whole area, well, anything? You know, I, 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 I unfortunately, uh, I got caught in the polio epidemic uh, in 1948, 49. Yep, so yep. Uh, I and, and a couple of other neighbor kids, and uh, we were all at, uh, at the Children's Hospital in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And uh, one, one year, um, that particular year, I, 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 I had ambulatory, I didn't have respiratory. Okay. My next door neighbor, Joanne, had had both. Okay. So she was in an iron lung, yeah. and uh, that year, all the and I, I'm I'm sure I have no way of absolutely knowing, but I'm sure that my dad had his hand in this because I, I was only there for that Christmas. Right. Um, all the the cowboy heroes of Republic came to Children's Hospital in a in a wagon you know, pulled with horses that had reindeer antlers on. And, uh, you know, there was Roy and Dale and Eddie Dean and yep. and uh, uh, Gabby Hayes, uh, Wild Bill Elliott, yep. uh, and, and uh, Hopalon Cassidy. Yep. He was not at Republic, but, but he was there. And, and they went up, you know, to all the kids and gave them out little gifts. I still have my my uh, Roy Rogers wristwatch oh, that he gave me and my Roy Rogers Rider Club card. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I think my number, I was the 330th of Roy Rogers Writers Club member. Wow. And I still have it. My friend Joanne, uh-huh. uh, Dale Evans gave her a beautiful Dale Evans doll, which she, she hung uh, on her mirror. Because when you iron an iron lung, you have a mirror that you look at that shows you what's going on. But mm-hmm. it's kind of everything's backwards. and Anyway, uh, but she hung it on her mirror. And I know... The last I talked to her, which is a while ago, but she had finally given it to one of her granddaughters, but wow. she kept that for ever and ever. So they came and, you know, everybody sang, and, yeah. you know, it was just a, it was just a, a wonderful Christmas. That's my only memory. Christmas memory, yeah. yeah. And I, I, you know, I, I, uh, I recovered, and I, I wore a brace on my leg for a while, and uh, then I wore a, a boot with a brace, mm-hmm. And then I wore a boot that was built up on one side, and, uh, and, and then I turned 13. And the little girl, who wasn't little anymore down the street, asked me to go roller skating. And those, in those days, you know, you had those clamp-on yep, skates. Yep. Well, I, I didn't have any shoes except these, these boots that they wouldn't fit on, so I, I, I borrowed, in quotes, a pair of my dad's shoes. <laughs> And stuff socks in the toe, and uh, clamp these skates on, and you know, the, you know, the the thirteen year old uh, down the street uh, showed me that I didn't need to, to 
<laughs> limp too much, and I just got better. You know, you can still. My, my kids tease me, and if, if I'm on a in a quiet hallway or something, you can still. If you know it's me, if you hear me walking, uh-huh. apparently I clomp a little bit. But <laughs> you know, but it's been so many years, and I've trained myself how to walk. You know, move my anyway. That I just don't even think of it anymore. Sure. You know, it's been. 70 years almost anyway that's my christmas story so did you know you wanted to walk behind the scene oh yeah yeah always always and uh um i had an opportunity to and the the first movie i i was involved in as a producer was called a swinging summer Mm -hmm. and uh, uh we shot it up in lake arrowhead i think in 19 65 and it was a beach blanket bingo kind of movie mm-hmm. with uh, uh and actually i wanted to direct it but i looked like i was 12 right. <laughs> even i said uh the money that that i oh, i forgot to say, the, the money that i made in the entertainment business my folks put into a bank account mm-hmm. so i always had to have another job i worked in gas stations i made a million donuts in a spud nut orange julius shop i, I did a lot of other jobs because I had to have a job, sure. especially when I was in high school. Sure. So, but you know, but I did have this money in the bank, so I, I put some money together with some other people, and we made this movie called A Swing in Summer, and uh, uh, it you know it turned out very well. It was you know let's uh, Bill Wellman Jr. and uh, James Stacy mm-hmm. uh, were the two guys, and uh, they and they were. Let's put ourselves through dental school by putting on a show up here at the Pavilion in Lake Arrowhead. <laughs> that was the whole story. So uh, we had the Righteous Brothers and Gary Lewis and the Playboys and the Ripcords and uh, and then the bad guys stole the cash box and a, you know a boat chase across the lake and uh, girls in bikinis and more girls in bikinis and and uh, my first wife that was one of her first picture actually her first real substantial role. So. Tommy Cook tells me he feels it's so much it was so much easier to make a deal to put on a, a film back in those days compared to it to now. Try to Well, yeah, I mean know. the whole it, it was in widescreen and color and everything and it cost $180,000. <laughs> and uh, Dale Robertson's dis- distribution company distributed and uh, you know, we I got every friend I ever had was either in the damn thing or or worked on it, you know. <laughs> So uh, uh, James Stacy's real name is Maurice Elias, and we played football against each other in high school. He went to uh, to uh, Burbank, and I was at Notre Dame. So um, a great-looking guy and a, and a good guy who had a lot of problems later on in life. He he was hit by a drunk driver and lost one leg and one arm, and uh, that kind of you know destroyed his career sure. to some extent. He was able to work, you know, use that his. Uh, affirmity as as a, you know a good thing in a couple films right. that he was really good in right. you know uh but anyway we had a good time we, we we filmed it in 20 days and it was the very first movie in the in uh technoscope which was uh technicolor came up with this a lens where they they in order to be widescreen they 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 only used half the frame of film so you only needed half the f- amount of stock to make a movie, so it was substantially cheaper, you know, for for our technical process. 
and the good thing at the beginning I thought was wonderful because Tucker Carter paid our, our cameraman who worked for him because they wanted to have it look pretty really good. Okay. Okay. The problem was he ended up painting pictures, you know. <laughs> we needed to get going. So it, it was not, it worked out okay, but, uh, you know, I was, I was saving money by losing money. I, sure. You know. Sure. Anyway, it was a fun movie. And it, it plays every once in a while, and, you know. I was looking at some of your other credits. You, you you put together a project for Charlton Heston. You want to tell me about any about any stories about working with Charles because you knew him for a long time. Well, I know, I, yeah, I knew him very well. I, yeah. I produced a film uh, here in Utah, which brought us here to Utah, called uh, The Avenging Angel. Mm-hmm. And Heston played Brigham Young, and James Coburn played Porter Rockwell, who are the, obviously both real characters. And uh, Tom Berenger was the was the lead, and he played an avenging angel. It was about a, a plot against Brigham Young. And it was a, a, a big, you know, a really good Western. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Heston was just a, a great friend and uh, did a wonderful job with Brigham Young. And, and uh, uh, you know, I, I, we enjoyed every minute of it. And that we enjoyed ourselves in Utah so much that uh, that we, we built a home here, and we've been here for 14 years. Wow. But he was always a great friend and, and uh, you know, tennis player at our tennis court. And he'd invite us over to play tennis and just a good guy, he and his wife, Lydia. And I did, I did a, um, a public service spot. Uh, which I, I've done quite a few of them because I had the ability to do it, mm-hmm. and I enjoyed it, and I wanted to do it. And we did one for Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, oh, that, that, that's when my wife, anyway... Uh, uh, it was about a wheelchair basketball team, uh, um, uh, a veteran fa- basketball team, right. and uh, we shot it at the veterans' hospital in the in the valley. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the ball goes to one guy in the wheelchair, and he said, uh, "You know, I was I was in two tours in Vietnam, but I was crippled here in America. I was hit by a drunk driver." Mm-hmm. And he throws the ball to the referee, who says. Um, Please don't drink and drive. The penalties are just too great. And it was just a 30-second spot, and it, it really turned out well. And uh, uh, th- anyway, Mosey and drunk, drunk Driving, which I was vice president of, and, and Annabelle, my, who became my wife, mm-hmm. thought that was my job. She didn't know that I was in the entertainment business. Uh, but I was vice president, and I was. Uh-huh. Uh, but, but she thought that's what I did for a living. And so... That's when I and we had. I think it was probably our second date, and we, the Mad put on this thing and invited the basketball wheelchair guys and 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 my friend, and that's when uh, I introduced Heston to to Annabelle, uh, and Annabelle said, "I'm sorry, didn't catch your name, <laughs> Charlton Heston." So she grew up on a ranch in Washington State and and didn't uh, didn't go to movies, sure. watch TV, so. You know, she was a hard-working rancher. So, uh, anyway, sure. uh, he got a big kick out of it. He just laughs that she's a keeper. And I said, yeah, she is. So he was just just a good guy. You know, I'm sad that he passed away, but I think he did it with such dignity, you know? Yeah, yeah. People, there's a saying in, in, in the entertainment industry that, that people who have the ability to do so just close the door. So when they realize that they're badly infirmed or whatever, mm-hmm. they close the door. And uh, all our memories of those people are them being, 
you know, movie stars and being vigorous and happy and whatever, not wizen, you know, terribly, you know, just people we, you know, that were set. They, they, and and I, I just think that's very, very wise of some people. Yeah. Some people don't, and that's okay too. Yeah. You know, Kirk Douglas at 101, God right. love him. He's out there kicking, and right. I you know, you know he's the he, best. He, and uh, you know, Livy de Havilland's 101, and she's in the best of health. Right. Well, let's face it, one day none of us are going to be. And, uh, I think I'd rather be mem- remembered as who I was rather than what I became. Mm. That's just my opinion, but anyway. How about John Wayne? Any stories about John Wayne? Yeah, I, you know, son Patrick, we, 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 you know, we, he went to Loyola High, mm-hmm. and I went to Notre Dame, and we were ri- rivals, and, uh, uh, and I knew Wayne, again, quite well, and um, I produced a... Uh, television special called Raquel, mm-hmm. and uh, John Wayne and Bob Hope and Tom Jones were the were the uh, uh, the guest stars, right. and uh, our family and uh, and the Wayne family and Jimmy Stewart and Helen Hayes. A lot of people uh, supported an orphanage in Mexico called Our Little Brothers and Sisters, mm-hmm. and they had uh, and and it was run by a father William Wasson, and uh, the children were never never adopted the family you know four five six seven kids were never adopted and uh, so they stayed as a family unit and then they grew up there and then went to school and and uh, and then went out into the world and uh, it's just it's still good it's a fabulous place and so we decided that that we were going to shoot at at uh, at the uh, at the orphanage so with wayne and and uh, and raquel mm-hmm. so we we uh we're shooting down there, and and uh, with the little kids, and you know, um, uh, it was in a, this beautiful old hacienda that was probably built in the 1880s, and they grew their own fruit, the vegetables. They had they had goats and sheep and and cattle, and uh, the the older kids tended to the you know to the livestock. So, but the little kids, you know, just just made your heart sing. And sure. Wayne had one kid on each finger and they wanted to show him the new lambs that uh, that had just been born and so the mexican people of those days 1880s whatever obviously were not very tall because the the archways were not very tall and right. so they were taking him into to the manger area and uh, wayne didn't duck far enough <laughs> he knocked his pay off and and the kids said, John Wayne, Martha, Martha. They thought he, had, you know, he was dead. They'd killed him. You know, they scalped him or something. He just, he just laughed and plunked it back on his head. And, you know, I, I, I took their little bit of film and, you know, from, the, from the lab and rolled it up and handed it to him the next day or when we got back to L.A. Anyway, uh, he just yeah, he was a good guy. Yeah. And uh, we, we had to do wraparounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, in order to get in and out of that sequence. Right. So uh, Wayne and Pilar uh, invited us to their house in Newport. So Raquel and I went down and spent the night, and the next day our crew came down. And our director was one of the most talented guys in the business, a guy named David Winters, mm-hmm. who, was a, who was a dancer on, on Broadway, and he did West Side Story as a lead dancer, and he was in the movie. Uh, West Side Story as a character, and uh, he was just, and he did a lot of musical television, especially with Anne Margaret and 
lot of other people. I was so pleased to have him on the show, but unfortunately, he was a hippy dippy uh, in those days yeah. and uh, wore a green cape. Anyway, the crew, the crew, and, and Dave was coming uh, down uh, over the over the uh, bridge uh, to Wayne's house, and Wayne pointed at him. He had long hair and. And he looked like a frog, and he had this green cape. And Wayne said, who's that? And I said, well, that's, that's our director. He said, not on my island. <laughs> <laughs> I said, but Duke, wait, wait, you know, it is, who's, and he said, you directed. So I actually directed John Wayne. You know, where would you like the camera, Mr. Wayne? <laughs> and and <laughs> action and cut. But uh, it was just a little sequence of, of uh, Raquel walking up in the scene uh, with a cute little dress on and, and uh, wearing Wayne's boots and mm-hmm. something about, you know, how hard it was to fill his boots. And and then they all oh, remember those days when we were down in Mexico with, with the, the kids. And then, we you know, we cut into the sequence of the of the orphanage. So it was, it was good fun. <laughs> <But> <laughs> so, I, actually, I mean, I literally actually directed John Wayne. How about that? It's not on my resume because it's... <laughs> It's too tacky, but but I did, and that's I think that's exactly what I said. Where would you like the camera, Mr. Wayne? And then action and cut. But it worked out fine. We had a good time. The, 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 the night we went down and spent the night, and I don't know what I was thinking. And Pilar Wayne, his his wife at the time, yeah. called and asked, you know, what movie we'd like to see in his screening room. And for some some reason, because I've always liked planes, and I went, I said. And it was made at Republic, and I said, yeah, I'd love to see Flying Tigers mm-hmm. that Wayne was in in, I think, 1942. Right. So, Raquel and, and Wayne had, or Pilar had no interest, so it was just Duke and I sitting watching this movie, and he kept talking about, look at that big, good-looking kid, whatever happened to him as he's, you know, downing a, a scotch <laughs> or two, and uh, he fell asleep. <laughs> and, and he pointed things out that, you know, that I hadn't thought of because I mean the war was on so sure. the 40s that they used except for flying shots the P40s were built by the Lidecker brothers at Republic they were you know they were fake and they had Ford V8 engines and then they turned the propeller but uh, you know he pointed out all these things that you know that uh, I had never thought of he said now look at the gun barrels they don't have any rifling they were broomsticks paint, painted black and they had no no holes in them, you know to fire the bullets out of so and then he fell asleep. <laughs> so did you always have a documentary about Republic Studios in mind for a while before it came together? A documentary? Uh-huh. I didn't do a documentary. Ah, I thought, I thought you did on Republic. No. Okay. No. I, I, uh, no. no. I, I produced and directed, uh, produced, wrote and produced, and uh, the Golden Boot Awards, which, you know, we did for 25 years. Of course. Honoring, honoring all the... Cowboys and cowgirls and writers and directors and stuntmen and you know. How did that come about? Well, it was founded by by Clayton Moore, Iron Eyes Cody, Roy and and uh, uh, and Gene Autry. Okay. Uh, and the funds went to the Motion Picture and Television Home. Got it. And uh, so we we started small and grew and grew and uh, we ended up for decades being at the at the Beverly Hilton every year. We raised. Millions of dollars uh, for the Motion Picture and Television Fund, and uh, I mean that's one of the things that I've enjoyed most every year doing that. I mean it was a big job. We were all volunteers, and you know we honored everybody, uh, and we ended up 
you know, as people passed away and less and less Westerns were made, fewer and fewer yeah. Westerns were made, we ended up, you know, finally at, at 25 years, we said, listen, we, we've honored everybody. Uh, let's go out with our head held high and call it a day at 25. So that's exactly what we did. I wrote and, and, and produced them, and uh, yeah, I just had a great time. Any Anything of the 25 shows stands out? Any particular performance? Oh, they all, I mean, I, I you know, uh, there were certain people that I could always count on. Things would happen. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as, the, as the years went on, the, the actors were getting older and older, and so I would put together, I mean, I knew what the audience wanted. They were paying... You know, two hundred and fifty dollars to a thousand dollars a seat. I knew what they they wanted to see the stars. Sure. So, you know, I, I would put together a, a presenters and the stars that as as well as I could. But at times, people got ill. So there were people that I always knew I could count on, like Ernie Borgnine. Yeah. I could call him, you know, the, the afternoon of the show and say, Ernie, I, what do you need? And he'd show up and, and be a presenter. And Ann Rutherford was the same way. Right. I mean, literally the day of the, sh- the evening of the show, somebody would call and say, I, you know, whatever, I can't yeah. be there. And Ann would already be in the audience. And I'd crawl up to her and say, <laughs> and would you, would you, would she say, what do you need, Patrick? And I said, I need you to introduce, and I'd give her the, whatever I had written right. uh, for whoever it was that I wrote it for right. who was going to present it and she'd look at it a bit and then she'd get up because she knew all these people sure. forever and so she'd get up and just give the best introduction you've ever seen mm-hmm. and then we, we'd always have a, a you know a, a, a clip of, of some of their movies and, and she'd throw it to them and then she'd you know the person would come out and and uh, and she'd present them with the Golden Boot Award and you know I could count on these people all the time. Clint Eastwood's the same way. Mm-hmm. You know we we gave Eastwood a boot obviously a long time ago. Yeah. And I would come up with these things. I listen, Clint. We we're going to present one to your stuntman and I want you to hand it out. Uh, okay, he'd be there. <laughs> and I say, listen, we're, we've come up with a new award called the, the Governor's Award and we wanted to present it to you. And so he'd come. And, we, you know, I just make things up sure. in order to get stars show up. on the stage. That's what people wanted. Sure. And, and and we we got, not guff, but people were, why don't you honor uh, Smiley Burnett? Or, uh-huh. or Because they're, they're passed away. Right. You know, right. uh, we did honor Gabby Hayes, and, and Cheryl Rogers presented to him, uh, too. But he had been gone for a long time. Yeah. But... Uh, and once in a while, we would, you know, uh, p- uh, present a posthumous award, but but not every year because it it was, you know, the person wasn't there to receive the award, so it was important. You know, we wanted to get butts and seats. That was my job, you know, and then to put on the best show I can. But my job was to get butts and seats. And you do that with with stars. Yeah, it's a race of money. That's what. That's no, and every year for a long time they knew that that uh, Clayton would be there and Roy and Gene and you know a lot of these people would be there. We had you know, the Sons of the Pioneers would would uh, would uh, entertain one year and then we'd have uh, uh, you know really good entertainment and stuff. So it was a really wonderful evening, but it got a little more difficult as the years went by. Sure. So we we just called it at twenty five and and uh, I'm I'm just. It's one of the things I'm most proud of was my involvement with that. And, and the other thing was, I look, look at all the major stars that I wrote scripts for. I 
And the funny part was there were people who who I, I would have their their son or daughter present them the award, right. uh, and and their son or daughter would say, "Well, I don't know what to say because you write something for me." I said, "It's your father," you know. So anyway, so what about, names? No names. <laughs> what, what about writing? Have you always enjoyed? Writing and have you yeah, I do. I, I enjoy. I, I said I, I write for Guns of the Old West every issue and other magazines. Yeah, it, it keeps me busy, and I I seem to have sort of a knack for it. And uh, you ever written any books? No, I, I I'm I'm always nine tenths of the way finished. <laughs> the book called The Cross Star Kid Rides Again. The problem is, is that that you know somebody will tell me, remember when we did this. Uh-huh. And I, oh God, that's a great story. So I, I you know, I'm, I'm, you know, Cheryl is the, Rogers, the great one for that, because she'll remember things right. that we did as kids. And, right. uh, and uh, I was involved in a movie, um, Bells of Rosarita, where um, uh, uh, it was a Roy Rogers film. And Dale Evans was never, Roy was always Roy, but Dale was never Dale. She was always, you know, some. Yeah sharp chick from the east who came back as her father left at the ranch or you know this particular movie uh she she had a circus that she had inherited and uh she didn't know how to run it and uh and uh and the the bad guys held a mortgage and so roy said in the movie i it's such a great film bells of rosarita he said to to dale Listen, if we put on a really big show, do you think you know we can keep going? And so Dale says, "Well, I think so." So Roy gets on the telephone, calls Republic Pictures, and talks to to uh, Sunset Carson, uh, Don Redberry, uh, Bill Elliott, mm-hmm. uh, Bob Livingston. Uh, you know, and uh, come on, would you help? And they Roy will be there. What so? So and <laughs> they put on this big show with all these cowboys. There were. Let's say there were six cowboy heroes, and there happened to be six bad guys. So at the end of the movie, each cowboy hero runs, you know, rides after and beats the crap out of the bad guy. You know, his own particular bad guy. So it was great fun, and I, you know, it was a circus thing. So they needed a lot of kids, and and I was one of the kids in it, and uh, uh, it just you know had a great time. The fun part of it was for Cheryl, because I my dad had told me this that she was five at mm-hmm. the time. And they had a big circus through town, but the town was a street at Republic. Right. And so with extras and all these, and the, they had all the circus wagons and all that. And Cheryl was trying to see, and a great big guy picked her up and put her on his shoulder. And so she could see the circus going by. And uh, she remembered that happening, but, but she didn't remember who it was. And if you, if you know where to look, you've got to be careful and you can stop frame. And, like, and it was John Wayne. <laughs> You know, so anyway, it's, it was great fun, great fun, and uh, you know I enjoyed those days. And uh, sadly, the, you know, those folks just aren't around anymore. You know. No, but we still have the memories, and thank to you for preserving them, writing the articles, Patrick. We can still keep, yeah. keep them together. Hopefully, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So. I, I do enjoy it, and people seem to enjoy my writing. I I, I learned a long time ago that that I. I the hero of my stories, or the victim, is is a kid. It's uh, the cross draw kid. Mm-hmm. I learned that it's a lot easier to make fun of him than it is to make fun of myself. Sure. 
And also, it's a lot easier to, to write about him than keep saying, and then I did this, and then I did sure. that, and then I was there, and then Roy Rogers did this with me, and blah, 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 blah. But I can talk about the kid, because he's always either getting in trouble or doing something stupid, which <laughs> I did. But I write about him, and uh, people seem to, to get a kick out of it. So if, if you go online and and uh, and just put in Cross Draw Kid, there's some stories that uh, I've, I've written that uh, you know people might enjoy. Pa- and Patrick Curtis, that might be another key word to put in there. In your... No, no, you Cross Draw so? Kid. Okay. A Cross Draw Kid, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That yeah. Well, Pat- what else, my friend? I think we did it. Okay. We did an hour really easy, Patrick. What can I say? Well, you didn't ask the big question, which will... <laughs> Which will make my wife happy. <laughs> and what is the big question? And what was it really like being married to Rocco? <laughs> <laughs> and you know what I tell my wife? What that? And I'm going to tell your audience. What that? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you. That's why you are a happy, married man for the last thirty years, Pat. That's, that's it. You got that right. <laughs> Listen, we had a great time. You know, she and I together all those years. We made movies together, and uh, you know, uh, uh, a couple westerns, and uh, and uh, God love her, she's a, a great lady. Uh, but uh, but I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Anything Patrick, else? we did it, and I want to thank you for giving me your, your time. You, you are a wonderful guest. Thank you for doing this. Well, it was uh, my great pleasure, and uh, I hope uh, your audience enjoyed it as much as I did. I do too. We'll we'll, we'll do it again. All right, Pat, we'll keep in touch. Okay, pal. Take care. Bye-bye. Happy trails. You too. Bye-bye. One Patrick Kurt, two Martin Spencer. Hello, everybody. I'm Wong Hughes, and I'm a gentleman who has a new book out. Martin Turnbull, welcome to our show. Thank you very much for having me. Tell me about the book series, and where can people get a copy and the overall title? Give us a rundown. Okay, so my book... Uh, series is called the Hollywood's Garden of Allah series and it's set at a hotel that was a real-life hotel that opened on Sunset Boulevard in 1927 and was open for 32 years until 1959 and during that time it gained a very special reputation because the people who lived there uh, went on to become some of the most legendary names in Hollywood history. Yeah, Robert Benchley, I, I believe, lived there, for example. Robert Benchley and Dorothy Parker, yeah. and, and half the Algonquin Round Table ah. there, because um, uh, through the 1930s, as the Depression ground on, Hollywood needed writers, as it did then, as it does now, and so it lured the New York writers to Hollywood with, with um, scads of cash. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they didn't want to come out to Hollywood, which they saw as a cultural desert. But when it's 1934 and MGM offers you a 1000 bucks a week to write screenplays, then, then they'll come out. So they, they didn't really want to come out here, but they wanted to be with their friends, and their friends were staying at the Garden of Allah. So there was a lot of people, including F. Scott Fitzgerald, people like that came. And also um, actors such as... Um, well, it's actually a very long list. Ginger Rogers, Bogey and Bacall, Dave mm. Niven, uh, tons of people stayed there. And that's all because the hotel itself started out as the home of, a, of an actress by the name of Alan Azimova. Mm-hmm. It was this grand dame of theater and film 
who had a legendary career that burned very brightly for about about a decade. But like a lot of people who came into a lot of money very suddenly, she was great at earning it, not so great on keeping it. Mm-hmm. And so she formed her own production company, which was which was kind of unusual for a woman to do that in 1920, because she took a look around and saw the Louis B. Mayers and the Cecil B. DeMille's of this of the world and say, well, if they can make movies, I can do it because I'm a smart, I'm I'm driven, I'm ambitious, I'm articulate, I can do this. She found that there was two parts to show business, show and business. Right. Show stuff she could do well, the business stuff, not so great. She burned through most of her fortune, and mm. the only asset she had was this movie star mansion on the corner of, of uh, Sunset Boulevard and Crescent Heights. She had a two-and-a-half-acre property there, and somebody came up with the great idea of um, turning that property into a hotel, which would guarantee her an ongoing income regardless of where this movie business took her. And it was a great idea, and so she went ahead and did that and opened the, the Garden of Allah Hotel in January of 1927, just a couple of months before the jazz singer brought the talkies into pictures. And it continued for 32 years until the end of the 50s, which we now think of as the end of the studio system. Right. So when I discovered this, I thought, you know, this hotel witnessed, or rather the people who lived at the hotel witnessed the golden years of Hollywood, which we now think of as being from jazz singer and the talkies to the end of the 50s. And this hotel, 27 to 59, this hotel was around for that at the gateway to the Sunset Strip. And its residents acted in the movies. They wrote the movies. They directed them. They lit them. They photographed them. These people were actively contributing to what we now think of as the golden years of Hollywood. And I thought, well, there's, there's a great way to tell that story of the the unfolding evolution of the golden years of Hollywood by the people who did it. So I came up with three uh, fictional characters who uh, represented, they kind of came to personify Hollywood history. I had one who wanted to be a screenwriter, another one who wanted to be an actress, and another one who became a gossip columnist. So you've got somebody in front of the camera, you've got somebody behind the camera, and you've got somebody who had access to all echelons of Hollywood, from the moguls at the top to the, you know, the waiters at the bottom of the, of the ladder. So between the three of them, we follow their stories, and we get to participate in the, the history of Hollywood as it unfolded kind of in, in real time. So I came up with this idea, and I thought, well, that's a lot of story. It's going to be one book. And I thought, you know, that's 32 years a lot happened in those 32 years because what I soon came to realize that every couple of years, the game changed. Right. Because, you know, we had, we had sound come in. So that changed the game. Then we got Technicolor. Well, that changed the game. Then we started getting blockbuster movies like Gone with the Wind and um, Citizen Kane. Well, that kind of changed the way movies were made. And then before we knew it, we had Pearl Harbor and World War II and right. the Hollywood Canteen. And Hollywood now becomes a, a propaganda machine. I mean, in, in a good way. But it sort of t- it changed the way movies were made. And then, of course, after the war, we had the whole um, anti-communist House on American activities, blacklisting thing that changed the face of Hollywood enormously. And Hollywood was just recovering from that when television came of age. And suddenly television is making the inroads into the attention for people's time and money. 
and Hollywood couldn't assume that people would go to the movies three times a week like they used to because they could just stay at home and be entertained by television. So the movies became widescreen, they became 3D, they became stereophonic. So every couple of years, technology changed the way movies worked, and Hollywood had to scramble to to keep up with that. And I thought, well, um, that's way too much story for one book. It's way too much story for a trilogy. So what I ended up doing was creating a trilogy of trilogies. So I've got my the 1930s trilogy, the 1940s trilogy, and the 1950s trilogy, because those three decades had three very distinct feels to them. So I thought I can divide this story up into nine books, three trilogies, and it just seemed to make a whole lot of sense to tell a story that I thought was aching to be told. The Garden of Alice history is fascinating. That story needed to be told, and it all just kind of fell into place, and and that started 10 years ago, and Right now, um, I just released book eight, which which uh, takes place in the um, the mid fifties, which is when Hollywood had to open up to Europe because the European film industry, uh, spe- specifically the Italian film industry, um, started to get going, as well as the French and the British. And so, we in the in the newest book I released, which is called City of Myths, we start dealing with a Hollywood that can no longer be quite so cocooned in its own making, it had to open up to the world because the world was opening up because, of course, now we have jet planes and we have the jet set and we have air travel that's easier and cheaper now than it ever was before, which uh, kind of sets up the the end of the series, which is book nine, which takes us through to the the closing night party of the Garden of Valor, which took place in the summer of 59. There was a, a closing night party that was one of those legendary Hollywood parties that we think of when we think of the Think of the term Hollywood party. Yep. It was one of those parties. It literally lasted all night. Half the furniture ended up in the pool. 3,000 people were there, and I thought, well, that's a good way to end a series with a big, great big Hollywood party. And um, then we have to say goodbye to, to the golden years of Hollywood. So that's, that's kind of what my, my books are about and what my, my project is. So... Is there a website? Can people uh, buy all eight books? How, where can people go? They can, well, they're available at all outlets. Of course, it's, I'm on Amazon, um, as well as Barnes & Noble, Kobo, Book Depository. Uh, they're available in ebook, in paperback, and audio. Pretty much wherever you find your books, there I'll be. How did, why did the Garden of Our close in 1959? Um, uh, it was largely economic and and partly social. When the when the Garden of Valor opened in the twenties and its heyday, twenties, thirties, and forties, Hollywood was more of a transitory town. People would come into into L.A. They might have a, a, a contract to write three pictures or three months or whatever. They'd come in and they'd go. And after the war, L.A. saw a huge post-war boom. Well, a lot of people, a lot of guys who were in the military came through L.A. because that was the gateway to the Pacific War. They came to L.A. in January where they had left Minnesota with six feet under snow and yeah. come to L.A. and they're thinking, I don't have to deal with snow ever. Well, when I come out of this war, I'm going to move here. So L.A. had this huge boom and it settled down um, L.A.'s sort of transitory nature. And so... Hotels like the Garden of Valor, which wasn't a hotel like you and I might check into the Holiday Inn for right, a, right. 
the Garden of Allah had fully contained units. So people would, um, they would, they would check in for 10 weeks or for three months or even sometimes for years because it was like a, having a, the closest thing we have these days is probably service departments. I mean, it was a full hotel with, with full service in the way we think of it, but it was more of a long, long stay kind of hotel. And that just wasn't as necessary as it used to be back in the days when we lived in like boarding houses and, and, and four to a room apartments. It was a different way of living. And so the places like the Garden of Allah just had their time. There just wasn't the demand for that sort of stuff. And it mm-hmm. went through our series of, of management changes and each, each new management sort of cared a little less and let it get a bit run down. And this, this um, banking guy by the name of Bart Litton um, wanted the, the site to build a, a new bank on. So he, I, I expect he bought it for cheap and um, closed it down and, and tore the whole thing down and covered it over. And now it's a mini mall, which is a pretty, <laughs> a pretty typical L.A. story. Yeah. Legendary hotel that was once the home to Bogey and Bacall and Errol Flynn is now a mini mall with a McDonald's. <laughs> and there you go. <laughs> so how many units were there? Um, in at the hotel, uh, there were 25 units scattered around what used to be Alan Azimova's backyard. She had, ah. a, she had one of the very first privately owned swimming pools in Hollywood. It's a huge pool, and they built these two-story villas around the pool, and kept the the main house, which also had had guest rooms. So all told, there was probably uh, 30, 32, 33 individual rentable uh, dwellings. But mo- most of the people stayed in the villas because they were self-contained and they, they had their own kitchen and their own private bathroom and they could uh, they could live there quite happily for as long as they wanted. So she, she maintained at least a home on a property for herself then? Wow. No, it wasn't quite ah. smooth for her because, as I said, she Alan Azimova was a great artiste, but yes. she wasn't a great businesswoman. And she owned the hotel for about a year but didn't have the, the, the necessary the cash flow. Yeah. And so she had to sell her, her, um, her part in the, in the hotel to, to the management. And the sad thing is that um, she ended up living in one of the, the bungalows at the back of what used to be her hotel, which is the irony for Alan Azimova is that when she was lured west by Louis B. Mayer, who was running Metro Pictures at the time, he lured her to Hollywood with a, a contract that paid her $13,000 a week. Mm. Now, this is 1918. Right. This is, not only is it $1918, it's also pre-income tax. Yeah. And at a time when Mary Pickford was, quote-unquote, only were uh, earning 10000 a year. So she was probably the highest-paid woman in America, perhaps even the world. And within 10 years, um, maybe 12 years, she was living in a little unit at the back of what used to be hotel, which, again, it just seems to be such a Hollywood story, doesn't it? You reach yeah. these, these zenith of um, success, and everybody knew who she was, and her pictures were huge news, and then fate has other plans, and you make a couple of bad decisions, and you make a couple of movies that don't do well at the box office, and suddenly you're broke, and you're living in a an apartment at the back of what used to be your movie star mansion estate on Sunset Boulevard. It's, 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 a, it's a 
it's just a, a, such a typical Hollywood story. I, it just cried out to be telling, and I thought, well, nobody else is telling this story, so I think I need to be the one. Do you do some additional research for each book, even though you got a, such a wonderful working knowledge of Hollywood history? How do you make sure you're, you're happy with the historical backdrop before you plunge your head with the characters? Right. It, it, was, it was very important to me to be as, as, as historically accurate as I could. So what I did was, uh, before I even wrote a word, I sat down for a year and read every biography, autobiography, memoir, and account of the people who stayed at the Garden of Valor, the, uh, the, the movie moguls, accounts of the, the studios. So I, had a, I worked up a, a timeline, a very, a very detailed timeline of what happened, when, where, who was involved, and, and, and what was the result which, by the way, is on, if anybody's interested, is on my website, martinturnbull.com. The Hollywood timeline is, is, is all there. Mm-hmm. So once I had the factual events of who, what, when, where, how, I was able to weave my, my fictional story around the factual events. Because quite honestly, it was Hollywood in its heyday. It was a crazy time in a crazy town full of crazy people. A lot happened, and I didn't have to make much up. So I had my, my fictional story woven in around my the, the factual history so I had it I basically had it in place before I started writing but when it comes down to sort of certain nitty-gritties you know you've these days online you've got all the resources you need because a lot of the books have been scanned and you can read old newspapers you can read old telephone books and city directories and and of course there are lots of bloggers who have gone specifically into the lives of particular people or the histories of the studios or, or even just in general, Los Angeles history. There's a lot of photos. The L.A. Public Library has a huge collection of vintage photos of L.A. And so it's when you, when you know where to look, it's, it's, it's pretty much all there. So have you had to skip some of your timeline just because, A, maybe the storyline was getting bogged down or be with just so much information for that one book that you decided even though you plotted out yeah. for one year you had to skip one or two events um i you do have to pick and choose i mean i i this nine book series could easily have been 20 books because mm-hmm. so much happened but you do have to keep the story moving so i i i picked and chose the events that i thought best represented hollywood and hollywood people at any given time in the in the chronology, and they, they they kind of stood out to me. Some of the, some of them, I will admit, I will admit, some of them are uh, are my favourite movies, like like Citizen Kane and Gone with the Wind. Right. But they were also very prominent, and, and like Citizen Kane, when when uh, uh, Hearst was battling Orson Welles yeah. over Citizen Kane, it was at least in Hollywood while the movie um, was being being distributed it was the it was the story on everybody's lips because nobody had the balls to take on Hearst I mean, right. he was the most powerful and richest man in America and and Orson Welles was all of what was he 24 25 26 or something yeah, yeah. come on and so that alone is worth is worth writing about and it also it also signaled to me a point in Hollywood's history where where the newcomers and the Wunderkins weren't kowtowing to the powerful moguls as much as maybe they had been for the previous couple of decades in Hollywood. This was a turning point, and, and, and stories are all about turning points. Stories are all about 
what happens when something changes, when somebody makes a decision or somebody goes in a direction uh, that they weren't originally heading towards, that's, that's what stories are. And I thought, well, my story is the history of Hollywood, so I have to follow the pivots that, that happened along the way, such as the introduction of color and the introduction of the war and the introduction of, of the House on American activities. Those are the major pivots around which I need to, um, I need to structure my story. So, so that's what I did. So how did you figure out what character to add per the book? In other words, in the 30s, you know, there was these, a set of people living at the hotel. In the 40s, was a separate set. How did you decide which one to sort of draft into your story? Hmm. Uh, they kind of leapt out at me. Uh, the, the, the movers and shakers were where I started. Mm-hmm. I looked at like what was going on and who, who, were the, who were the personalities driving what was going on. And a lot of the time it was the same people, but the forces were different. Like Louis B. Mayer and Jack Warner and Harry Cohn, they presided over their studios for decades, yeah. 30 years. Yeah. But what was going on inside the studios was what was changing. So their their reactions to the rise and the fall of the careers of their stars, and you know, the scandals that they had to cover up or scandals that didn't get covered up, changed the fortunes of the studios because it was reflected in their box office. Like, for instance, when when um, Errol Flynn was was accused of statutory rape, right. that was that was a that was the beginning of the studios can't can't fix every scandal that comes along. So the, the, the reality that they couldn't keep, keep, you know, keep brushing all this stuff under the rug, um, they couldn't ignore that anymore. So they had to find a different way to handle the situation. And I thought, well, that's, that's something that's worth talking about. So, and of course, Errol Fling, having been uh, living at the Garden of Valor on several occasions, that just dovetailed well with the story I was telling, which was the story of the, the Garden of Valor. So it was... A lot of the times, it was a lot of it was the people who stayed there, um, and what was going on in their lives, because they were, in their own way, sort of personifications of their era within Hollywood. Because Bogie and Bacall stayed there just before they went and got married, and mm-hmm. Bogie stayed there in an earlier, his first trip out to Hollywood. He stayed there in the early 30s, but it wasn't until the 40s when his career really took off, and that's when he stayed at the Garden of Valor. So, using the people who stayed there was was an easy way in to tell the story because these 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 people were the, the movers and the shakers of what was going on in Hollywood at the time. So were there certain uh, events or storylines that you wanted to add to to your book, but you didn't have really enough information. You know, there was just some some facts or figures that you wanted that you just couldn't quite get handled on right away. Um not really. There were some incidents that weren't well documented. Right. Um, most of them are because most of these people, prominent people in Hollywood, either wrote their autobiography or their memoirs, or somebody wrote an autobiography, wrote a biography about them, because they all led such big lives. So these people were creative and ambitious and talented and driven. So they led big lives that, that cried out for a biography or autobiography. So most, 
most of the lives that I needed, I wanted to include, somebody had documented somewhere. So it sometimes they did skate over incidents that didn't perhaps reflect them in the best light. Right. Or sometimes there was just a couple of, a couple of instances where there just wasn't any information which is when I took a little bit of poetic license and I thought, well, nobody really knows what happened. So I'm going to present my version because we all know what, all my readers know they're reading historical fiction. I like to think historical in capital letters, fiction in lowercase, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, it's I, I place people at the right time, uh, at the right location. But did it actually happen this exact way? Well, no, I'm weaving in fictional characters into factual events. So I I try to write a story that we all agree didn't happen, but it could have because if I've got a gossip columnist who's writing for The Hollywood Reporter and she's their main, main columnist, well, then of course she's going to be at the premiere for The Wizard of Oz. Or of course she's going to be on on set, yeah. Gone with the Wind, and and uh, and meet Orson Welles when he's doing Citizen Kane, because Orson Welles also stayed at the Garden of Allah. Mm. So it it wasn't that much of a stretch, because I, I kind of had, <clears throat> between my fictional characters and the, the, the factual people who stayed at the hotel, uh, I really pretty much had Hollywood covered. So are there some personalities that need a biography or, or on that you think you wish you had your hand on some? Um, not, not that I've, 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 I've yet to think to myself, gosh, why hasn't somebody written a biography on them? Uh-huh. Because they, they, they kind of crying out for it. But at this stage, I think pretty much everybody's got an account <laughs> written about them or written by them. Now, sometimes, you know, they're ghost written, like, like Errol Flynn's, uh, autobiography. I assume that it was ghost-written, and I assume that he he um, flattened out some of the spicy uh-huh. adventures in his life. But I'm I'm yet no. I you know I can't think of one person that I've gone looking to see if there's an, an account of their life, and and nobody has because at this point, pretty much at least at least anybody that I needed to know more about. Um, there's been a biography of some description available to me. So did the hotel over the 32 years take different shapes or did different makeovers, or did it pretty much remain the same from 27 to 59? It basically remained the same. There were some, um, there were some management teams that gave it a, gave it a coat of paint, and they, they, they did some remodeling. There was a bar and a restaurant at the Garden of Allah, that, and both of them um, had remodels, and the, the bar was extended out into the pool patio area. But it was it was pretty much stayed the same. And fortunately for me, um, when the Garden of Allah Hotel was raised, the banker I mentioned, Bart Lytton, he kind of felt guilty that he was tearing down an institution. So he had a scale model um, built of the Garden of Allah as it was in 1959 when it came down. And that model stayed in the bank branch, even though the bank itself changed hands several times, the model stayed in the bank branch until, I don't know how long ago, maybe 10, 12, 15 years ago, um, 
nobody presently working in the bank knew what this model of this old hotel <laughs> was. Everybody had forgotten about the Garden of Allah uh-huh. and was on the verge of being thrown out. And I was talking to a guy who was had a hairdressing salon in the mini mall where the Garden of Allah was. And they were over, over, he overheard their discussion about, well, what shall we do with this? We, let's chuck it out. He said, well, I, I, I don't know what this is, but if you're going to throw it out, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. And he did. And then he took it home, and he spent hours upon hours upon hours of cleaning what had been by then probably 35 years of grime right. over this model. And he's fully restored it to its glory. So, And uh, he invited me over to, to see this model, which is now a fully working model with lights and the whole bit. So I, I was able to get a very clear idea of the layout and the feel for the Garden of Valor because uh, a, couple of cha- a couple of signs maybe were changed, but it pretty much stayed the same the whole time it was there. So the model is reflective of how it was in 1959, but it wasn't all that different from how it opened in 1927. Mm. Do you have a favorite personality that stayed at the hotel? Ah, um, I must admit I am a bit of a Bogey and Bacall fan. Uh-huh. I'm also a an Orson Welles fan insofar as his story is interesting because he 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 was a he was kind of a prodigy, prodigy of whatever he did. He was a theatre, yep. and then he was radio, yep. and then he was film, and he kind of started with a bang. He he started with Citizen Kane. And the rest of his career, he spent scrambling to to recreate that glory, yeah. and he never even came close. To me, not everybody not everybody loves Citizen Kane, but it's to me it's kind of a perfect story, and it's perfectly shot. And he was never able to recapture that glory that he had right at the very start of his career. So I, I think that's a a fascinating story that is also a um kind of a warning to people <laughs> who who start out big because when you start out big where have you got to go you've only yeah. got down you've only got downhill to go so i think his story is also not unlike nazimova it's also uh, an allegory for the kind of life that hollywood can give you but also take away from you equally fast so for our audience out there what the website and maybe is there a series that to, to look under uh, when they want to buy the series from you or, or Amazon, yeah. how can they get them? How can they get copies of the books? Sure. So my website is my name. It's Martin Turnbull. It's b u l l dot com. Currently, I'm offering the two first books in the series, which are called The Garden on Sunset and The Trouble with Scarlet. Um, in ebook form, if you sign up to my newsletter, I'll send you the uh, the first two books for free. Um, because I like to give people to, a chance to, to try my work, and if it sounds something is interesting, um, you can read the first two books for free. And if you like the rest of the, the rest of the series, you can go to Amazon or um, Barnes and Noble, Kobo, all the rest of it, and you can look, uh, do a search for my name, or you can do a search for Garden of Allah. And in fact, if you if you just do a search for Hollywood historical fiction, my name comes up pretty quickly. Martin, thank you for your time today. Hey, thanks for your interest. Great. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Two Martin, three Martin. It's April, everybody. I'm Wong Hughes. And we'll see how the weather is back in the East Coast. I know in some parts it's not too good. But Martin Graham, how's everything with you in Pennsylvania? 
Uh, doing good, Walden. Pleasure to be on the show. Weather is getting warm this weekend. Uh, be pruning the fruit trees and spraying them because it's just too good to be staying inside the house. So sadly, that's what I'm going to be doing the rest of the entire weekend. <laughs> might go to the movies. Wife wife wants to go see a film, and I finally got a few weeks free, so I'm playing catch up and clean up. And so amazed at the old time radio stuff I have here, boxes and boxes and. I'm going to take a second look, and I have a funny feeling I'm going to box up a whole bunch of it and just give it away on Facebook to Mm -hmm. an old-time radio group to first person willing to pay the postage. I'll mail this out. Some of them are broadcast logs that never got published. Some of them are just copies of radio scripts. I just have so much stuff here, and it's like I just don't have the time anymore. i got a clean house and downsize it. (laughs) Oh... Well, this is an interesting question. What is Michelle's favorite old movie? I know she's not really a nostalgic buff person to begin with, but does she have a favorite? Uh, she, has, she, she has no favorite old movie. Um, <laughs> she likes new movies, hot rod flicks, uh-huh. certain muscle men that go up on screen like The Rock and Mark Wahlberg and Vin Diesel. Just the thing that she likes. So I, I bear with her because half the films I see the trailers, I go, my goodness, that I, they just gave away the whole movie or... Yeah, they made that movie 40 years ago. Seen it before, yada, yada. So I can kind of see that. Uh-huh. Like, eh. Oh, well. She's a wonderful I mom. wouldn't go see as many new movies, but... <laughs> I will say it's interesting. Marvel Studios has become a, a film studio, not just a uh, comic book studio, where they make comic books. And they discovered they can make more money in the movies than they do in the comics. In other words, the subscriptions for, say, Spider-Man, right. a comic book in four years is nowhere near the amount of money they'll make in one movie being released in the theaters, let alone DVD, merchandising, etc. So they built up this following, and for anyone who hasn't been, and you, I'll fill you in so you're hip with the rest of the younger generation, at the end of this month they're going to release a movie called Avengers Infinity War. It's kind of a two-parter. It was supposed to be part one, part two, and then they decided... Well, there'll be a direct sequel, but it's not really a sequel. It's a standalone, separate movie, but it's a carry-on. It picks up for where the last one left off. Um, they've made 18 movies, and each movie makes more than the next movie, the movie before it. Wow. It's almost like they have a recipe for success, and just using the Marvel name seems to be making a big difference. But in almost all the movies, except for the very first few, which led up to the Avengers, in the beginning there, they went on to do them. Um, they've led into a villain called Thanos, and he's the villain that comes into this one. And in the comics, he's not only the biggest, baddest, but he's very brutal. He kills a few superheroes, etc. And what it happens is apparently a few uh, um, actors who play the main characters, Iron Man, Thor, Captain America, their contracts expire, and they are not renewing it. So basically, it's supposed to be as the studios and Marvel Studios have been building up for the last two years in little teasers. This is the culmination of all the 18 movies that lead up to it. And going forward, it'll be a game changer for future Marvel movies. And they said, we will not disappoint. And it's uh, more than two and a half hours. But it's supposed to be like the biggest, probably the most profitable movie of the calendar year. And to give it an idea, Fandango made tickets available three weeks ago. You could purchase in advance, and mm-hmm. it outsold re- all records. All oh, records. Wow. It's going to be that big. My wife and I tried to order tickets yesterday at a local, local movie theater. Every seat was taken. 
it was like there was no immediate showings on opening weekend unless we wanted to have the worst seats possible on the first showing on one Sunday morning. And I went, this is silly. So we found another movie theater. We'll go the extra 20 minutes, and we'll go down there and get decent seats. And I booked them this morning, but I told her, isn't it amazing that this is a movie that's that sold out that opening weekend? Most people will not be able to go in the theater pay for the ticket, say, I went to 4.30, let's say they walk in at 4.10, and they get told, I'm sorry, it's sold out. This really will, I have to even put up on Facebook for those who are following. If you're planning to do that, no, you better buy your tickets in advance. But it's going to be the big weekender. So in case anyone wonders, what the heck is this Avengers, what's so big? Basically, they spent 10 years and 18 movies building up to this one with little teasers and leaders and so on. And comic book fans know the story, so they know exactly where it's going to go. So are there any superheroes that should have a film or a film series that do not? Oh, there's tons of them. They've made so many. Um, Marvel, when they did the first movie, they went to Merrill Lynch and got a loan and made Iron Man. They said, we're done loaning out these characters to studios, and these producers think they know more than the comics. And, oh, we're going to do our own take, and of course they're horrible. And they made so much money, they started making sequels and other films. And then they said, oh, we're just going to do teasers. We're going to go all the way to the Avengers. And that became, at that time, the biggest money maker. And now they're up to a bigger money maker. It's huge. So that it's, it's amazing how back then, during the radio era, there would be Superman comic books, Superman newspapers. Right. People would read these. The kids would read them. And nobody realized there would be multi-billion dollars in properties years and years and years later. But it's funny, I met a guy who works for um, Marvel Studios at a film at a Comic Con once, and I said, in the 60s, you guys had these cartoons, Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, Captain America, Submariner. I said, you never put them out on DVD, why? He goes, well, who's going to want to buy those, and that's only DVDs. He goes, but Chris Evans, who plays Captain America right now, we slap his image as Captain America on a backpack, and we sold more of them than we will of DVDs. And it dawned on me, it's today's merchandising. Mm. Why, when someone goes to the studios and says, I'd like to license this from radio shows, and you got a generation of lawyers who never grew up during that decade, those decades, yeah, you can understand why they go, no, but thanks very much. And you go, you want, you're turning down money? They don't care. Look at the billions they're going to make. They are predicting Avengers to make $250 million on opening weekend. Wow. Already past $180 million in pre-ticket sales. You go to them and say, hey, I want to do a book on, let's say, Superman or Batman on radio or whatever, and we'll give you a 10% of the book profits. They're going to laugh. So what was the first movie that really came out with the merchandising angle? Was there somebody before Star Wars? Um, there always was merchandising, but I think Star Wars was the first to really cash in big. Okay. Uh, most people don't know it. When Star Wars came out in May, I think it was 1977, mm -hmm. they didn't have toys available. In fact, they started promoting it right before the Christmas rush. They, oh, kids, there's this demand, and that's when they discovered there was a demand. But they could not have the toys in the stores before Christmas. You kind of have to have them already in the distribution centers and the fulfillment centers by, like, October, you know, so it's in the catalogs, and right. stores can then order it, and then it takes a couple of weeks to come through the system. So as a result, they used to have these certificates. I saw one of these at a convention, and it cost $5,000 for this certificate. Um, basically, kids would get it in Christmas, and it's big and cardboard and all that, 
and they could fill out the certificate, keep the cardboard as proof of purchase, mail it in the mail, and they would get the action figures before they hit the stores. This was their way of selling it for Christmas season. Okay. And the action figures are not the exact same as the ones in the stores. They were slightly different. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, like the coat might be a little bit shorter in oh, length, yeah. et cetera. So as a result, I saw a guy who had the action figures and the car- the cardboard sleeve that the certificate went in, and he was selling it for $5,000. That was wow. the asking price. Wow. I saw him this weekend. I said, by the way, you used to have that at Comic-Con a couple years ago. Did you ever sell that? He goes, yep. I says, uh, did you make it? I said, did you make your 5000 He goes, dude, I told the guy what tried to get down in price, and I said, I'll give you 4700 and that's if you pay in cash. He said, the guy came back the next day because there's no ATM can give out that much of cash. The guy said, hold on to it. And he said, no, first come, first serve. But, of course, he had it for, like, months, so nobody really, people were looked at it. But people knew what it was. But he actually made almost 5000 on that. Wow. I remember at the kid in the late 70s, uh, the first movie that I remember, there was just a stand line outside. It was Superman, and we didn't go in the, right away. I mean, we saw the line, and we just went a, a few days later to get in to see the, the film. And, and I'm asking there were probably other movies historically that had that kind of waiting line to attend over the years. Uh, oh, yeah, I remember when Batman came out with... Um uh, Jack Nicholson is the Joker, right. and Tim Burton did that. That movie went over huge, and there was line. I remember on TV there was pictures of lines, and it was just one of those scenarios where the studios did not realize how big that was going to be. Nowadays they have computers, and I think the reason you don't see lines outside a, a movie theater today, and I don't think it's happened in the last ten years, is computers with places like Fandango right. and stuff that you can preset buy your tickets. The studios already have an idea; they already have they know the figures. Uh, the, the theaters also keep track of ticket sales on their end, so they know exactly, oh, this is a Marvel movie, let up, got it. We'll make sure. The one theater we go to has seven screens. Mm-hmm. On Thursday night, when, it, when Avengers premieres at 7 o'clock, this tells you how many screens they're using. They have a 7 o'clock, 7.10, 7.15, 7.30, and a 7.45 showing. Uh, Five of the seven theaters on Thursday night will be Avengers. So if they're having six or seven or five movies during, they're probably going to have five because they're going to devote two just for Avengers during the weekend. But it gives you an idea of they don't care about the remaining other films on Thursday night. They know the ticket sales are there, and they pre-sold already. So, you know, they know what they're doing. I wonder what about movie tickets in terms of selling at a premium. Because I think Gone with the Wind, December 15th to 39, down at the premiere, I think went for two bucks um, to get in to see the movie. And I think right. the average ticket in those days, everybody, was about 35 cents or so. I wonder whether other films that had a, a premium to get in, there probably were over the years. But There, there probably was. In fact, there's a... Uh Shadow, episode of The Shadow with Lamont Cranston and Margot Lane, which is not in circulation or exists. I have this radio script, and I remember it opens up where Lamont and Margot are going to go off to see Wizard, uh, Gone with the Wind. She said something about, we waited six months for this, and I'm looking forward to it. Of course, they get distracted, they go through a caper, and at the end, the story ends, they're back in the apartment, and all of a sudden, oh, Lamont, we missed the movie. That was last night. Of course, that was when the adventure went through. <laughs> He goes, that's okay, Margo. We'll just go get another tickets to see the next screen. She goes, yeah, then we got to wait another six months. And, of course, organ music comes up. And it dawned on me, this is 1941. Yeah. This is spring of 41, and this is two years after the movie came out. <laughs> a 
apparently there was that many people wanting to see the film. Wow. So I like how radio sometimes documents the history angle and so on and mm-hmm. so forth. So anyway, that was the long spiel. But in case anyone is, wants to know and be hip on what's going on with these radio things. By the way, uh, for the re- listeners, spring is also a good time when local libraries tend to have uh, book sales. You know, they put up a sign book right. and go and pay a book or a dollar or two for books, certain books. Um, people donate books. The libraries all have, a lot of them have the silly mentality that books shouldn't go on shelf unless it comes to the distributor. So what's usually donated, 99% of it gets put out into a book sale. That also includes DVDs and CDs. Ah. And our local one started today. And I went in there, I actually just needed to use the bathroom on the way home, and I didn't realize, oh, they got a book sale, and I walked in. They had Frank Sinatra CDs, the Rat Pack CDs, wow. a two-disc set. It said Volume 3 and 4 of Glenn Miller in Europe and Glenn Miller recording unreleased recorded tracks or something like that. But there was them, and I was like, wow. And the two Glenn Millers was still shrunk wrap, and it was for a buck. So for a buck, I got two CDs, and granted, it's not the price. You get what you paid for. But in this case, I can listen to them a zillion times, yeah. and when I'm done, I can just give them to somebody or just put it out on a vendor table for two or three bucks, and it's still a great bargain. But I got Frank Sinatra's best, and it's literally Luck Be a Lady, the oh, yeah. New York, and so on. But it's all of his greatest hits, and they sound gorgeous. Wow. I love his voice. I love listening to Frank Sinatra. It's not like I listen to him all the time. But if I had one CD that would have all the best songs, the most famous ones, there it is. There you go. So just to give a heads up, sure. local library, find out, give them a call. They'll tell you when, if it's not on their website, when they are going to have their book sale. And just go in there on opening morning. You'd be There's never a huge line or huge crowd for that. You'd be shocked at what you might find. I think I found a Casino Royale hardcover, no dust jacket, sadly, of a, a James Bond novel, and it was a first edition, mm-hmm. first printing. And I went, you know, even without the dust jacket, this is way worth more than a buck. Back to movies. What do you think is the demographic today? Is it everybody 25 and under? What do you think the uh, you know the movies going to the theater now? Compa- I'd say they're 40 and under. Okay. Because a lot of the movies, and Netflix seems to do this, they make these films and TV shows that are more geared towards people who basically grew up with the pop culture in the 80s. You know that nostalgic boom that kicked up in the 70s? Right. I think that was people who grew up with radio and as a kid, and it was just starting to catch up. Um, I think the next generation of baby of, of uh, nostalgic boom are the young kids today who grew up in the '80s, like myself. Right. Because in Netflix, they have shows, and they discovered over time it's that '80s feel that people want. The, the kind of music. That's why they're mm-hmm. revamping and revising a lot of movies and remaking them that were that came out in the '80s. Um, I even noticed the last three or four, two or three uh, um, Marvel movies, even the logo looks like an 80s logo from some movie that you would see up on a big screen. And the music is now late 70s, all early 80s mm-hmm. music as a soundtrack in the background. It's not like they're trying to get the latest performer to sing a song like they do for Bond movies. And I got the impression you know, they're pulling demographics. Adam Sandler did a movie about video games, and it was all Atari, uh, Atari video games like right. Donkey Kong and stuff. Right. And I remember looking at the trailer, and I turned to my wife, and I said, you know what, the, 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 the type of generation that grew up watching him on Saturday Night Live and go see his movies, 
They grew up with Atari, not Nintendo. I said, he knows his demographics. Turned out the movie made over $200 million in the theater, and it was just a comedy. And I thought, boy, not even an action film. I get that. So I think now that's just this market, and they know they're, they're know the target audience. So I'd say 40, maybe 45 and under, but they're not making movies for older people anymore. And as much as Hollywood says, oh, we're breaking records. We made more money. This, the, the box office was up. If you look at it, movies that are superhero movies and those types, those are the ones that are kicking butt. All the rest are dismal. They're bombing. So, during the radio days, did we have such a good statistic? In other words, did they, you think the targeted marketing was better today than it was back then? In other words, in the radio days, yeah. I'm wondering if the focus group wasn't always geared to 25, 40. You have more of a cross-section of America attending yeah. Film yeah, I agree. That's uh, one of the things I've noticed is there's today's technology on computers, and I believe that's what you're referring to, um, they can now see demographics. They're pulling numbers. You sign up for anything online, they've got terms and conditions. Guess what you're giving them? Yeah. The, uh, Facebook said they'd never sell or give away your information, and then just recently some company used it for election results to determine which people are you know, how, what percentage using Facebook are conservative versus right. um, uh, liberals. And it turns out Zuckerberg apologized because he said we were not transparent because a company used it, and it was how the company used it that somebody said, wait a second, how would they know that? And that's how it came out. The information that people get, what you eat, what you buy, when you fill out any polls, if it asks what your median income is, I guarantee you that information is being bought and sold. Now, in most cases, not a big deal because they're, you know, like a friend of mine once said, I don't care if, if, if Amazon knows what I'm buying, what they recommend to me half the time. Oh, wow, I'm glad I knew that book just got published, you know, and he buys that one. It's, that's, it's nothing wrong with it. But in a lot of cases, some people are very negative over, I don't want my information sold. They're not selling Social Security numbers or credit card numbers, but they are looking at where you live, how much you make, et cetera, et cetera, so they know how old you are, what kind of demographic in your area would be interested in this. So I think it's even going to get more polished over the years that movie theaters can turn around and go, you know, hey, well, we know that demographic here, we're just going to swing it and screen these movies instead of those movies. And I can see that happening. So is Facebook just a good a tool today? For marketing than it was five years ago. It is a freaking fantastic tool for marketing, and yet most people don't realize it's right there free for anyone who uses it. I'll give you an example. When I pay for an advertisement to intrigue people who, let's say, they like I Dream a Genie or Bewitched or something, TV shows or Hogan's Heroes or Superman altogether, movies, TV, radio. I can use that to pay for ads, and then I say regional area, and then I'll limit the number from 1 billion down to 460,000. And then if I click how many people like um, I Dream a Genie, it gives, cuts the number as well. So it gives you a demographic of numbers. In other words, people who have liked I Dream a Genie. You can go on those Facebook groups and go, let's say, for example, um, Barbara Eden, or let's say Loretta Young was still alive and she wanted to come to the show. Who would draw more to the through the door? Some people listening would say, oh, Loretta Young, she, that, that would be fantastic. Mm -hmm. But if I go on Facebook and I type in Barbara Eden and Loretta Young and there's Facebook pages and Barbara Eden's got 
750,000 people following her, and uh, Loretta Young's got 30,000. Who do you think I turn around and get at the convention? Yeah. Yeah. So they're giving you the numbers through Facebook. It is transparent if one knows where to use that. So it's almost like if you're going to open up a business, is there that many people who, if you're going to open a pizza store, how many pizza stores are in the area, et cetera. Facebook provides those numbers, and you can find out how many people really like pizza in that area versus coffee. Are you going to make better money selling coffee, having a coffee store? But it's kind of the same thing. These target numbers, it's like old-time radio. Someone goes, wow, there's 5,000 or 6,000 people who follow this one group. Well, they liked it. It doesn't mean they're following it. So the question is, uh, what is it specifically in that group? I could find out if I was going to write another book. Will Renfrew of the Mounted sell better than Sergeant Preston of the Yukon? Uh, easy way to find out, Facebook. Right. And it's amazing how it can be used as a tool without actually having to pay a penny. And most people don't realize that, but it's giving you the numbers that they themselves are gathering. So you think there are authors out there who decide their next book based upon looking at Facebook numbers before they sit down and do any research or any writing at all? Correct. Yeah, yeah there's some people who could be doing that. Um, depends on what their, what their intentions are, but yes, Facebook is probably the best tool right now if anybody wanted to look at it, see what they can do, et cetera, et cetera. It's all, all that information is there. It's amazing at their fingertips. Um, for old-time radio, if you were going to open up a radio, let's say you're going to do a podcast, yeah. and let's say you intend to use that podcast to promote old-time radio, et cetera, you use Facebook to promote to a younger audience to lure them to your podcast. Um, I've seen some people doing it on Facebook. It's brilliant. As much as someone says, every week he's posting a, li- a link to another podcast he does, he probably has the numbers. Most people don't. They do it. They stick it up. Oh, I had six people listen to my podcast this week, and the other guy's got 500. Yeah. He's using Facebook to get people to look at it. So, yeah. And he may even use Facebook to say, um, you know, so what subjects would you like to hear about if there was a podcast in the history of a particular radio show? He might be surprised. I'll tell you what, I used it once to find out what radio shows, old-time radio shows people liked more than any other. Mm-hmm. And they went on a certain page, and they got to fill in the blanks. I am not a big fan of Lux Radio Theater, but I was shocked to see it was one of the top ten. Yeah. I never would have thought that because I was, I'm was i not a fan of it. Mm-hmm. So it reminded me that sometimes, you you know, it's what you like and what is maybe different than what someone else likes. Um, Facebook came in that handy. Of course, it also told me Jack Benny was number one and a really high number one next to whatever was number two. <laughs> so if I was ever going to do a book on old-time radio... Wow, Lux Radio Theater has a much larger market, Jack Benny, an even larger market. No one's going to care about Pete Kelly's blues, as much as listeners might go, but that's just the way uh, today's technology works. So, as an author, when do you decide a book just needs to be done no matter what? That you know in your heart, it's not a big market, but you know that you, you think it should be documented. When do you decide to do that? Um, I do it based on what needs to be done when it needs to be done. In other words, um, I've always been good on, I don't know, what's the best way to describe it? Um, I do what needs to be preserved. In other words, there's already a book on Lux Radio Theater. Right. Could there be an even better one? Could there be an even bigger one? Could there be one far more detailed? It's a great book. Right. I always tell people, that really is that good. 
But yes, I could do one bigger, better, add a ton more information. But what's the point when there's other subjects that have not? Part of my decision is whether there has or has not been one, and then whether there should be a market or would be a market. Um, I'm toying around with This Is Your Life, the radio show, because mm-hmm. they were not, most of them, there was a few, most of them were not celebrities at the time that the This Is Your Life's were done. And as a result, those people, uh, you know, those family relatives out there might have an interest in needing that. So when I get some projects done after this winter, I may sit down with a friend and say, let's start tracking down some of the family relatives. Let's start getting, uh, you know, let's see if we can track them down. We might have stuff they want. They may have stuff we want. Mm-hmm. And uh, we can help put together a history of that particular person, their accomplishments. The book can be something as a family tree for their family relatives. So years from now, their great-grandchildren now know about what great-grandma did, and she was acknowledged on a radio program. Um, That's kind of one of the reasons why I'm looking at that, saying, you know, it might be a fun book, and there's a point and a purpose to it. It's more hobby now at this point. It's not hey, I can sell enough sure. bills and keep moving, because sure. that's, at this point, not really there. Interesting. Our former neighbor, she's moved away. She was on the radio version of This Is Your Life, and she had a transcription, so we had it dubbed for her. So I don't, probably not in very many hands, so I do have a copy of another floating This Is Your Life out there. Oh, so there you go. just let me know when you need it. Um, yeah. I'm right, right now, I'm actually in the process of trying to figure out, um, what's the best way to phrase it, um, I'm trying to figure out the best way to document it, but right. there's also a source for every radio recording, and once the Truth or Consequences book is done, showing that I'm sincerely devoted to getting books written, I can get the permission to get those radio shows, and so yeah. we may have all the radio shows soon, eventually on CD in about a year. Mm. We're talking to Martin Graham, we'll get to talking about the hobby in general. His phone number is area code 443-286-6821. That's area code 443-286-6821. So, are there any news about martingrams.com in terms of uh, books that are getting low on inventory? Uh, have you updated your appearance schedule for the year? What, what, what can people find over your website? Oh, well, we've got two books that have actually gone back into print. Um, I believe Suspense, the first one, is now in print. It's on print-on-demand, so the price went up. And I'm trying to think what the other one is. I think it's the Alfred Hitchcock Presents book. If not, it's the I Love a Mystery book. Um, Have Gun Will Travel is still being held up for a technical issue we're trying to iron out. Um, the print-on-demand system requires page numbers. We don't have page numbers on all the pages. That means we got to get every book scanned. It's shrunk down into a PDF, which means we might have to enlarge the size a bit. One of those scenarios we're trying to weigh to see what doesn't make it look bad. Because <laughs> some people are going to go, that looks really kind of odd format, but it's at least back in print. Um, we're still debating. I also like the idea of seeing books go up for huge dollar amounts. And just I was at a convention this weekend, uh, Windy City Pulp and Paper Show, and I had a few leftover have gun will travel books. I found a case of them last month, and I put them in bags so they wouldn't get damaged, and I put a $30 sticker on it and just stuck them on the table with other books. It must be very well known that the have gun will travel book is expensive and not easy to find for less than $200 because at 30 bucks, people just picked it up, handed me 30 walked away, wow. or one guy would just say, 
how much? And I'd say 30 because a sticker came on. I said, oh, okay. And he gave me 30 and they weren't even debating over the price. And I'm thinking, I got $10 books here that are not that I didn't write. Other people did, but for 10 bucks, And they're not buying them or looking at them. It's like they know the Have Gun Will Travel has value. And so that must be quite proud to be able to know that if I could ever get them back in print, boy, I could put them out at 30 bucks, and people are just looking for them. Is it because the TV show is still being seen? Why, why do you think that? Uh, why do you think that that show particularly is holding up so well? That particular book title. Um, I don't know. It's a good question. Uh, for some reason, it's just something that people are uh, looking for, I guess, or it just holds up, holds its time. But the show is still popular. They do re-air it, as you mentioned on um, MeTV. Right. People are just. People are just interested in it, but it seems to be a good seller. Maybe I'd like to get it reprinted or at least get the radio show. I think people really want the TV and radio combined. Um, I could just pay it, pay somebody and say, do me a favor and uh, do a re- you know, type all this because I only have a hard copy. Um, tell them, hey, do me a favor, put this, type this all up. Tweak it a little bit if you want for grammatics or whatever spelling. You know, it's an old book I did way back when I was just getting out of high, just got out of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, tweak the book, uh, make it available. Let's reformat it and make it available. I could do that, but I have to pay somebody, and that's a lot of typing and one of those scenarios. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Mm-hmm. And how was Chicago last week? Cold. <laughs> <laughs> Went to go see the White Sox game. Went out, you know, you go to a convention, like a nostalgia convention. The best thing to do is go out a day early or stay an extra day and go check out the site. Yeah. Disappointed the St. Valentine's Day massacre, the brick wall was mm-hmm. torn down. Reassembled brick by brick. They numbered it and reassembled at the Mob Museum in uh, Las Vegas. Mm. Uh, went to see the White Sox game. And it was interesting that it was like 42 degrees when we got there. By the time we left the seventh inning, it was it was 32. Ooh. It was cold. Ooh. I mean, it was literally my friend next to me just leaned over and said, do you want to get out of here now? I said, yeah, it's getting cold. <laughs> and that's what we did. And it was just one of those scenarios. We just had to do something because it was getting too cold. But it, it was cold. It was really cold. Um but it was a nice thing. It was it was fun, and uh, the convention was nice. People were very friendly at that show. I like seeing the same uh, customers over and over, so always a good thing to go there. there. I did pick up Doc Savage and Shadow Pulp reprints for $5 a piece. Oh. A lot of vendors are trying to get rid of them. There's overstock, and so and it's not uncommon. Every year I grab a ton of them at 5 bucks a pop. So they go on my shelf. If I don't have time to read a bunch of them, I'll... Not on the table and see if somebody else wants to benefit from the five dollars. But um, if you ever see them for fifteen, fourteen, thirteen bucks, shop around. You can get them for cheaper. Even if you just uh, ask a vendor, hey, what's the best you can do if I buy a bunch of them? You'll save some money. Mm. So, uh, the audience uh, have remained about the same size the last couple of years. Is it still holding together pretty well? Actually, it's holding quite well. I'm very impressed. Mm-hmm. I'm very pleased to see that continuing. That is one of those conventions where Doug Ellis, who runs it, knows exactly what he's doing, and he's content with whatever comes out of it. People putting stuff together, you know, they come in there, it's being promoted. He's quite happy. He does a good job. He's also a very nice guy. Mm. So I've often told people, if you've never been to a pulp and paper show, recommend it. Go check it out. It's a lot of fun. Are there any other pulps 
uh, festivals out there, or is that sort of the main, the main one in the country? Um, there's a whole bunch of different kind of pulps. There's uh-huh. originals, there's, there's all different ones. I like, um, I like the mystery sci-fi horror. I like 50 sci-fi more importantly, but then it's when you get to the digest. But I have so many right now, and a friend of mine goes, hey, they got them over there for two or three bucks a pop. And I'm like, you know, I grab them when they're like that, and I stock up, but I've got so many I need to make a want list. So I was like, not right now. I'll wait till Pulp Fest in, uh, July. Mm-hmm. And so, what about the DVDs for the month of April? Have you released what on the website? Yes, the uh, website gets updated every month. We have a limit. Apparently, you can only get about 5,000 titles up there. And every time we add 40 or 50 titles, it takes 40 or 50 off at random. So, we're about to take 1,000 off, basically, less selling titles that don't sell very well. So, if you want, get up there and take a look on the website. Make a list. They'll always be available after that, most titles. Um, but I've got to actually scale back on that because I've basically run out of the uh, space on the website. So I've told a bunch of people, uh, don't delay, you know, grab them when you can. Um, the website, if anyone is curious, is www.classicmoviesdvd.com. That is classicmoviesdvd.com. And they'll see a ton of great rare titles and old-time radio titles and movies. Fred Allen films, Jack Benny film short, a whole bunch of rarities and goodies, all worth going to see. And occasionally people can sign up on the website in case you offer uh, an update once in a while via via email, right? Through, through uh, the site. Blog? Yeah. Or for the DVD site. The DVD site. The site, they can, they can do that. Uh-huh. Um, blog also has... Oh, what's um, you can do that, but not everybody gets the email. For some reason, it doesn't always go through. But the website, if they're interested, is uh, marchandgrams.blogspot.com. And there's some articles. I think there's a review of a Lone Ranger book, a new loan book on Lone Ranger that came out. It's not a great review. Sorry, it's not a great book. Um, but it's little things that people might want to check out, learn more about what's going on in the hobby. I try to keep them abreast of what's going on. So it's a lot of good stuff up there. It's worth checking out. We've mentioned it many times. So I recommend it. Uh, again, it's uh, martingrams.blogspot.com. Speaking of books, what about the little, little Ranger pamphlet that you had available on Amazon? Ha, ha, have you been interested in seeing what the numbers look like? Or the I haven't so far? looked at the numbers yet, but I plan to very soon. Uh-huh. I just want to see what it, look, what it comes down to. Um, I suspect it's going to do very, very well and namely because it's a subject matter that a lot of people want to know more about. I do have to get up there. I'll tell you an interesting tip. If anyone out there wrote a book on old-time radio and wants to get it sold more on Amazon, you could easily quadruple your sales by doing reviews on Amazon. That is, per se, if you, let's say you wrote a book on, I don't know, let's say it's a biography about Ray Milan. Um, and you cover his radio career. You go anywhere where there's Ray Milland and anything, a product, a movie, do a review and say, and I learned more about the movie by reading such and such book, also available from Amazon.com. Slipping them in, the reviews over a period of time, you can spend 20 minutes a morning for one week, and I guarantee you three weeks later you're going to notice a boost in sales because people who read reviews tend to go, oh, and all of a sudden you'll see people who bought this item bought that item, which is your book. And once that shows up, 
they all start boosting up again. So it really does make a difference, and I've done it many times. So if anyone ever wants to save, make more money in sale, especially old-time radio-related items, I recommend they do that and just go to a, a review and do a review about a particular uh, book on old-time radio. Mm. Let's say if someone wrote a book on Lux Radio Theater, anything that's Lux, even Radio Spirit's products on, on uh, Amazon, go up there and do a review and make note of the book. You'll be shocked at how the book sales will go up. And what, what do you think, of, how well you think the book did over the Christmas holiday, the one that you showed would help put together for Calamari? Did that, did... I think that went good because I've seen people out of the clear blue I've never heard from, mm-hmm. or I don't even know who they are on Facebook. Hey, look at my book I got, yada, yada. So they had a circulation numbers that are phenomenal. I wish there was something in the back of the book that would have said about the author where uh-huh. it mentioned the other books I wrote, because yeah. that would have boosted sales. Yeah. I mean, that was just phenomenal in sales. I was really surprised. Well, what makes you wonder is you can flag it on your website, and people Googling it might come across your other books. Who knows? I mean, you get to... Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that would be nice. Yeah. I mean, yeah. sales really were there. It was unbelievable. It's amazing. McCall Marley knows how to market. There's no doubt about that. It's just that is, and, and to be honest, that's what he does is market. Yeah. The difference between advertising and marketing. Most people don't know the difference, or that there was a difference. Advertising tells people the product exists. It's like a magazine. You paid for it in an ad, so you're telling them it exists. But like a commercial, it doesn't get them to get off their butt, go out and buy the book or buy the old time radio shows. Marketing is targeting certain people who would be interested. So you boost the percentages, and then you use, like, promo codes or a discount, free shipping, and you market that, and that's marketing, and that really does work. Carl Murray knew how to market, and when he ran Radio Spirit, I think you and I talked about this once, he had somebody in an office whose sole job was to contact QVC, contact Target, contact uh, Costco and Sam's Club, and just get sales. And people would say, well, I don't want to pay an employee to be sitting there doing that, it doesn't matter what the business is, but in reality, all you need is repeat business, or even let's say Costco says, okay, yeah, we'll buy 250000 of them. The amount of money you just made is more, is probably many times more than that annual salary they're paying for that um, marketer, which means the rest of the year he's paying himself, he paid himself off already. It's fantastic. So, yeah, that's what Call Amari does. He just simply uh, finds people and turns around and uh, gets uh, promoted. I know our friend Brian Henderson, he says some of the most successful startup companies he's been working with, okay, that's what he sure specializes in, they spend a lot of money on marketing, and it pays off. You know, you got you definitely have people that know how to market the product. It's just, it's a big boom to any company at all. Correct. They have to always be careful with the budget, of course. You don't want to go over a certain mm-hmm. budget and make most use of it, else money is wasted down the drain. Right. I did that a couple times myself and then discovered, oh, did that wrong shouldn't have done it that way but uh, the reality is that is how people make their money and uh, it's fantastic in fact when i get my coffee shop open which we have talked about my intention is to truly get that up when i have somebody in, responsible for marketing for a certain number of hours every day and then the rest they'd be doing another job but the goal is to contact businesses and say hey do you get coffee and donuts for your employees like once a week for a meeting or once a month or whatever uh, give us an invoice. We'll beat it, and we'll do free sh- delivery. And the end result is, you got that repeat business month after month after month. Mm-hmm. Wow, isn't that amazing? You know, it's like that is so worth it. And which coffee houses do that? I work for Starbucks. They don't. Yeah. Because Starbucks believes their name is enough. 
People will come in and uh, call and place orders for large quantity of coffee when they need it. And I'm thinking, no, that's not. You go out and get that business. Absolutely. So where are you going to be on the road the next month or two on the weekends? Any conventions, anything uh, people can see you at? Uh, none. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be in Buffalo, New York, though, to get some uh, research done at right. point. But that is it. I have no intentions of going anywhere except staying here to clean house, like <laughs> literally cleaning out the house. Uh, anything here that needs to be tossed, thrown away, I have things that I get set back and said, you know, somewhere along the line, I know I've got a copy of that somewhere. But it turns out, no, I don't. So it's a matter of, all right, toss this, get rid of that, yada, yada, yada. Just a bunch of things I'm taking care of here and there about the place. And I just want to get this stuff done and the house less cluttered and organized. More organized is better, especially going forward when I get other projects started. But my goal is this winter, Lone Ranger, finish mm-hmm. the first book, and Renfrew of the Mounted. And I, I will be very pleased with both of those when they get published. It will be. You, you have any feel about the Lone Ranger book? You think it's going to do well? What, what's your gut, huh? I think it will do very well. Yeah. I will also say that first book is going to be the best one, uh-huh. mainly because it's exactly what uh, is needed to help preserve the, the uh, subject of the Lone Ranger. And after that, people are just going to be hounding me about when's the next one coming out, when's the next one coming out, because it really is going to be a jaw-dropper. And I'm hoping that people will enjoy that. Um, It'll document and correct all the errors and oversights, and at least the book is out there. Whether people want to go to Wikipedia and look up all the mistakes or other websites, that's all up to them. But I've often said they get what they paid for, at the very least. Well, we see it on Facebook. Someone will ask something about old-time radio, and then they'll make a comment, and then someone else will go, where's that information? That's not what here. And then you'll get one guy who bought the book, he'll say, no, it isn't. It's this, this, this. And they got a little bit of detail. People are like, where'd you get in? Is this such and such book? Well, that's not with Wikipedia. And he goes, well, you're going to Wikipedia. Anybody can put that up. Sure. You know, and it turns out one guy's got the answer because he went out and got the book, and everybody else just browses the Internet. Proves the adage, 15 websites can be wrong. Because <laughs> oh. they borrow off each other. <laughs> So what's the latest news for Make? Are we at the same hotel? Do we have a hotel name? What's the latest for Make? Same hotel, same name, uh, new management. We had a threat of the hotel going up for auction. Uh, it turns out um, temporarily resolved. It's kind of under new management. That seems to be the temporary resolution. <laughs> um, we're still going to be there. The stars are all booked. We're waiting for one more signed contract. We will have the website updated in the next week or two, hopefully this weekend if I can get it. Uh, schedule of events and all that sort of stuff, and it will do very well. I believe we're going to have the largest crowd we've ever had this coming year with the celebrities we have, which I, sadly, that's what draws people through the door. But they do wander the convention, they attend the seminars, and so on and so forth. Um, we are heavily now emphasizing in emails all year, don't come in just one day, even though you may be coming for the stars. There's a lot of vendors, there's slideshow seminars, and we're using the phrase, Make the most use out of the money you paid. Don't let your admission go to waste. Most people don't realize they're not getting the full bang for their buck. And they be used to it at other shows, but ours, we give you more, more than your money's worth. And uh, I think we're going to try to keep people lingering around the, uh, the convention a lot longer for this, episode, for this year. And if it goes well, um, I don't know. I know we'll have the largest crowd, but there's a point where I kept saying we're going to hit a peak but we're going to level out and stay that way for a few years before it starts shrinking due to an aging fan base. 
this tonight, this in the coming year might be statistically, I predict. I could be wrong and be completely surprised. I think this will become the the uh, point where we hit the peak and we'll level out and stay that way for a number of years. But this is probably about as big as I could possibly see us getting. Um, could get bigger and surprise me, but I do believe this would be about as big as we're going to get. So in year that's that's a that's a prediction. So I guess the question would be. It might be the highest peak, but would would the next big tracking number to be the peak during the time to the day, or will the numbers be high throughout the whole day of the operation? I mean, that would be to me an interesting. I guess flow. I guess you know, crowd flow would be an interesting number Correct. to keep track of. Yeah, and that's always been my concern. Is you know, I know in the afternoon it's a massive, um, it's packed. Right. But then how far beyond that? Uh, exactly where does it go from there? Um, I'm not certain myself. I'd like to see it go really, really good, level, consistent from first to last, but I don't think it will happen. You get some people who they're not in a rush, they sleep in, they show up later. It's just one of those things. Uh, I'm just crossing fingers. It actually does, uh, I mean, it'll do fantastic, but there's a point where you can't handle crowds at a certain and you hope that they stay level enough that you can handle the crowd. You know, you get long lines for autographs, and we got to tell people, I'm sorry, you got to come back later, you know, and here's uh, here's some times, and they get upset. It's like, you know, you had all day, and you feel like telling that to customers at times, but we can't do that, of course. But, you know, those moments happen where you kind of want to tell them, you know, it's been, they've been here all day. I remember on Saturday we closed around 5 o'clock, I think was the official time, there would be two guys, I think one has his buddy driving in, and he'd complain. He comes in at 4.30, and some of the vendors are packing up a lot later than most vendors do at other shows, but that's common. And he was complaining, what gives? I did this. What happened there? Why are so many people packing up early? And I felt like saying, you're coming out and bold. <laughs> I was bold, and I just said, dude, seriously, this is like the third year in a row. We, quote, we advertise till 5, but some of these vendors are old. They need to be home by dark. This is the same as any other convention you go to. This is no different than any other convention. If you really want to, rather than tell me, and I can't do anything, I'm sorry, you need to come in earlier. Seriously, you cannot come in a half hour before. That's like coming into a restaurant two minutes before they close and expecting them to serve you. Some people have children they have to go home and put to bed. I said the, the waitresses can't stay overtime and the ten- and. Now, so on. I said, you can't do that. And then after that, I noticed he comes in earlier in the morning now. So, theoretically, if, if people stay around longer, that should be good for the dealer's room, right? Theoretically, it should. Okay. Um, if vendors do, people will linger around and make more money. But there's also a point where vendors do need to cover up and uh, pack up and go home. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they've done their best. The fact they wait till almost the last minute, most of them, I honestly believe it's because they were having a great weekend. Because if they're having a great weekend, they are not covering up. And they'll stay an extra night if need be. If it gets that bad, they'll weigh their options. If they're having a very bad weekend, they pack up first thing in the morning on the last day. I've seen that at other shows. Mm-hmm. And I realized, yeah, they did so bad. They're like, I've seen them pack up. If it's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday show, I've seen vendors pack up Friday night and go home. Because to them, it was cheaper an hour or two before to cancel the hotel room they were in and not spend another night because they did that bad in sales and yeah. don't want to spend an extra night. As in, it was cheaper to go home 
and get home late at night than to do it. And I'm sitting back going, wow. I mean, literally, sincerely, wow. Thankfully, we haven't had that at ours. So one to thank, the dates of make. Uh, the dates this year is September 13, 14, and 15. It is held at Hunt Valley Inn. It's the Hunt Valley Delta Marriott, I believe is now the phrase. Um, it is uh, three days. People come in on Wednesday night. I recommend you do that if you want to check out some things. We do have stuff going on in the background at the time, like uh, movie rooms and a couple slideshow seminars, just to pass the time for people to come in early. Um, there's a lot of people come in on early. And so it's, it's a lot of fun. And if they've never been there before, in other words, they're not even on our mailing list, drop me a line. I'll send you free tickets for your first year because I guarantee you, you will be coming year after year after year. So what about the presentations? Are they all booked right now? Are you all ready to go? Almost all of them are done. Um, the two that's a highlight are not even old-time radio-related. Mm -hmm. One is uh, the guy who is the historian for Rankin and Bass. So, of course, I would deal with June Foray and Paul yeah. Fries and all them. Um, the other is a man who discovered with the family of Bill Finger that um, Bill Finger was the co-creator of Batman, and Bob Kane was not the sole creator. And he did everything so meticulously and did his legwork and did it just the right way that even Warner Brothers Studios said, we are not going to refute this. We will give the family some money, and going forward, we will give them money. And thank you for bringing it to our attention. They do acknowledge Bill Finger in the opening and closing credits of TV shows now and movies that, are, that feature Batman. And he's the man who wrote the book and did the research, and he is providing a slideshow presentation this year on how he discovered this, what he did to discover all the information and dig it up. It's going to be a very fascinating subject for anybody who always thought Bob Kane was the sole creator of Batman. Fascinating. I think that'll be one of the most popular of the weekend, just because, for me, he said he's going to show the difference. Like I've always said, research is legwork, yeah. and he's going to show how he did the legwork, and I thought that's going to be really nice. Any particular movies or uh, presentation in the, in the movie room that you want to highlight, or is it too, too soon to figure out which what you think might be a major highlight? Uh, too soon, because we haven't decided what all we're going to be screening. Okay. We're just getting to a bunch of them now, so we're going to find out which ones are and are not. Um, it'll do very well. Mm -hmm. it'll, it'll do pretty good. By the way, if anyone here is on Facebook, I recommend they get on to the Old Time Radio Researchers page. Um, because sign up, click like, join the group, etc. Sometime this weekend, as I clean house, there's going to be some old-time radio stuff. i got spindles of DVDs I need to get rid of. I'm throwing them up there, and it's first come, first serve, and anybody on that group will have an opportunity to click a, click a button and go, claimed. And there's going to be some freebies and goodies. I just need to get stuff out of the house. <laughs> so if they happen to be on Facebook, get on to the old-time radio researchers page, and uh, keep an eye out meticulously over this weekend, sometimes Saturday, Sunday, Monday, because I need to get rid of this stuff. And you'll be surprised what I'm trying to get rid of, <laughs> just to make room in the house, sure. clean out the closets and stuff. So what do you think conventions are today compared to five years ago? Have they changed a little bit? What do you think? Um, they've changed a little bit. depends on the conventions. A lot of them, I think they're doing very, very well for what they are. Um, some hold their own, some don't. It depends on the thematic material. It depends on how many people have discretionary funds to make the travel. I believe convention promoters, uh, most of them are aware of it, or some of them semi-aware of it, that 
asking them to come attend the convention is a little tricky because they're basically we're asking them to devote not just time but money for travel, money for a hotel. I think a bunch of people have told me over the years that when they did the math in their head, they went, wow, it's costing me $1,000 just to go to the show. And there's a few people who have told me that same figure right off. So it's give or take about 1000 bucks to attend. Mm-hmm. So convention promoters have to keep in mind that they got to give enough to be worth the, tr- their t- the attendees' time and trouble to do that, right. attend the convention. Because like celebrities, we're not asking them to do a radio reenactment. We're asking them to give up some of their personal time. Yeah. And that's something that uh, I've always reminded my um, staff. They are not babysitting the grandkids. They put the dog in the kennel. They paid for a parking at the airport. We are asking a lot of them. The celebrities may be coming to make some money, signing autographs, and they are there for the fans to answer questions, but they are going out of their way. So it's kind of what I've often... I still haven't figured out a phraseology. I've been working on a business playbook for this it's not by the numbers but i've often believed that a lot of people look at something from the opposite ends of the spectrum an example would be if you own a retail business and a customer walks through the front door and they've got a complaint you get a lot of employees go i hope i don't have to deal with them or oh here we go again etc to me and where i work at starbucks and i hear over the speaker over the headsets like the shift supervisor saying, oh, I hate dealing with this guy, I will say something, I'll get it. And I go up there, and sincerely, I am eager to take care of that customer because, to me, when a customer comes through the door with a complaint or an issue, even if it's them constantly doing that, they're a conflicted person all, all their life, to me, it is an opportunity to make a customer of a lifetime. And I am approaching it from the opposite end of the spectrum, whereas some people approach it from a negative side. So sometimes running conventions, some people, I guess they say glass half full, glass half empty. I always approach it from a spectrum that is far more valuable, positive, and more motivational than some people approach conventions. And I don't know if that rubs off on my smile and personality mm-hmm. at Mank, or if I'm just too tired and I don't smile as often. <laughs> but there are people there I know, like my staff. They are tired in the evening. I tell them, go get drinks, tell them to charge it to my room. I don't think half of them do it. But anyway, it's just one of those things where I know they've put some effort into it. But during the day, it's not so much tired because of the physical labor as much as the mental labor Mm -hmm. of constantly being smiling, constantly helping a customer. If they ask where the bathroom is, they take them to the bathroom door. They don't point out and say, go down there, 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 and there, and you'll, you'll find the door. Um, the staff is there to do what's best for the attendee, but they're doing it with a positive reinforcement, and I think that makes a difference. So I think in running a convention, a lot of times the people who run the show are so fixated on the seminars and events and the necessities, they tend to forget the other valuable part, and that is interaction with the attendees, because just even giving 10 minutes devoted to talking to an attendee, that attendee will love the event so much they'll come back next year. Mm-hmm. And that really, I think, makes a difference, and they call it relationship marketing. Um, we, I went and got an oil change the other day on my car, and they had been bought out by another dealership, and now it's, like instead of Jones Honda, I think it's Bel Air Honda or whatever mm-hmm. they call it, but I noticed a major difference. When I came in, they took the key, here, come with me to the de- desk, yada, yada. They showed me the paper, it's here, sign here, no problem, we'll take care of it, et cetera. 
Um, then I sat there and I noticed a couple times when customers, they didn't call customer name, your car is ready, you can come over and pick it up. Instead, someone came out, asked the name, got down, and then I said, okay, we did this, we did that. They were socially interacting to make a personal one-on-one. And I liked that. Mm-hmm. And I, I could see it and said, whoever's running this dealership now knows that there's a reason why they just bought out the competition. They could afford it because of what they've been doing. Yeah. Interesting. Well, let me ask you this. The millennial generation, you think eventually they're going to be the one running conventions. Do you think it would be a totally different dynamic compared to what you and I are doing? I believe it will be. Mm-hmm. I believe it will be a different dynamic. It will be a different type of crowd. It will be operating differently fundamentally. They could be doing more streaming online and charging a fee. Um, you never know what some people... Older people do not embrace newer change. You know, they say change with the right. times, or the times change you. Right, right. Um, but I believe that conventions will be different years from now than what it is today. And it's just going to be a different uh, feel. But I'd be curious to see how it goes because I won't see it. The cool part about millennials is they think outside the box, and you cannot predict that. It just comes along, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's one aspect I never thought of. Mm-hmm. It'll be fascinating to see when they're running, running the show. Um, Correct, and that's what I want to see is how that comes out. Um, it'll be interesting. It really will. Uh, so, you think the convention business right now is pretty stable over the next couple of years, or you think we're still having more dropout? Um, I don't know. Yeah. Good point. Um. It depends on the conventions. I can see some things changing, some not, but it just depends on the people. It's hard to predict. Yeah. What about vendors? Are generally vendors older? Are there younger vendors? What's the dynamics of the vendors? Um, not the same. Uh, the older the convention, like the, what they're gearing to, the older the vendors. I mm-hmm. see a lot of younger people at Comic-Con because they're into the comics and science fiction and horror. And you see a lot of them at science fiction, horror, comic conventions. Um, I guess it's basically the demographic they're catering to for the majority is also the same demographic that's also vendoring. Interesting. And just another thought about Mink. What about the upcoming Saturday night dinner? Is that sold out? Should people go ahead and pre- pre-order tickets for that? Yeah, it's not sold out. They can order them now. That's the only tickets I always recommend people buy now because I can't guarantee, cannot guarantee they will be available in the long run. Um, those are first-come, first-serve. Their Saturday admission is always included with the dinner ticket, which is free. So I think that's a reason why a lot of people stay for the Saturday night dinner banquet, and sometimes even if they just come in for a day because, it's sadly, it's 50 bucks, and I think it's a bit pricey, but I do not set that. That is the hotel. And, but that is something that just does very, very well. The whole point where we've always sold out, we've never had a problem, and it seems to be the right number because if we add it even more, I don't think it's going to make any difference in number-wise, number of people. So before we play an old-time radio show, Martin, what's the dates of make and the location and the website and Facebook? It is September 13, 14, 15. It's at Hunt Valley, Maryland. That's north of, right north of Baltimore. Um, and they can visit the website at www.midatlanticnostalgiaconvention.com. That's the name of the event, midatlanticnostalgiaconvention.com. And the Facebook? 
Uh, same thing, Mid-Atlantic Nostalgia Convention. They can just type it in. Uh, they'll find it in a heartbeat. Right now we have a picture of Eric Estrada. I think we're going to change it to uh, uh, Robert Wagner, who is coming this year. So uh, it'll be easy to find and uh, should do very well. Show with that. We'll play a radio show, everybody. We're going to go to One Man's Family. So stand by. Three Martin Graham spot shell folder view. Oh, one man center. One man. F- one man. One man. One man. One man's family for the XX center. One man's family is dedicated to the proposition that the American family is the bulwark of the American nation, and that so long as family life as we know it thrives, this America will be a good place in which to live. Our story deals with the family of Henry and Fanny Barber. They themselves, their children, and their grandchildren. You're not going to meet all the family today, because, my goodness, there are 12 grandchildren alone, including one set of triplets and one set of twins. But you are going to meet some of the more important members. And to begin with, here is father, Henry Barber himself, a retired stock and bond broker, a man with a truly green thumb in his garden, and a great advocate of the American family way of life, Father Barber. Yes, yes. The good family. The happy child-parental relationship is the true solution to most of the problems in the world today. When homes are loose and slipshod and parents are selfish and inattentive, there you will find juvenile delinquency, bad citizenship, and bad parents for the next generation. If we have an inordinate divorce rate today, then follow the trail back and you will find the reason in the homes of the generation before. If I were to tell you... Now, Henry, that will do. Yeah, oh, Fanny, I've just begun. And it's all very good, but this is not the time and place to say it. <laughs> well, as you may surmise, that was Fanny Barber, the mother of the five Barber children and the grandmother of the 12 members of the younger generation. Please go right ahead, Mrs. Barber. I am very proud of my five sons and daughters. My eldest son, Paul, is my wise son and a strong right arm to the whole family. I'd like to introduce you to Paul... You know, he married in the First World War and lost his wife almost immediately afterwards. He's never married since and lives at home with his father and me. Come here, Paul. Ah, yes. The fond mother. (laughs) Is that all you have to say? Well, I might say this. Living as I do at the top of the family home in a studio of my own, I seem to be up where I am able to look out over the whole family and get a pretty fair perspective of family life and family relations. And maybe this sometimes gives me the opportunity of untangling a domestic snarl which those closer to it are unable to divine. Yes, Paul, I think it does. Introduce Hazel next, don't you think? Yes. Come here, Hazel. This is my eldest sister. She is now the wife of Daniel Murray, and they and their three youngsters live just three blocks down and two blocks over from the family home. Hazel, what do you have to say for yourself? I just want to mention that I'm sorry that my husband, Daniel, isn't here on this occasion... But he's up at Sky Ranch today, and my three children, Hank and Pinky, the twins, and Margaret, my young daughter, are at school. But you'll meet them all in the right time and right place, no doubt. Thank you, Hazel. Now, Claudia, she and Clifford were born twins, too. Yes, they run in the family, apparently. You'll meet Clifford in a moment, but first Claudia, or rather, Mrs. Nicholas Lacey. She and her husband live six blocks straight down from the family home. <laughs> we certainly do, Paul. I suppose I should apologize also for not having my husband, Nicky, here, too. But like Hazel's Daniel, Nicky likewise is up at the Sky Ranch. And my youngest daughter, Penelope, and Cliff's young son, Skippy, 
who's like a son to Nikki and me. Out of school, too. However, Joan's here. Joan's my 16-year-old daughter. Hi. I mean, Natch, I'm here. After all, where would a practically grown-up daughter be if not right in the middle of things? You know, sometimes I think it's a great big old hairy deal the way grown-ups try to push growing daughters around. But as long as it all comes all out right in the end, I guess it's okay. <laughs> well, that's quite a speech. Yeah, well, isn't it? All right, now, Claudia's twin, Clifford. Cliff's been married twice and has lost both wives. His first wife gave him one son, Skippy, who now has become a permanent part of Claudia and Nikki's family. Cliff hasn't getting along so well of late, with himself or with the family. Is that anybody's business but my own? For Pete's sake, Paul, does everyone all the time have to be throwing it up in my face? I suppose it's my fault I'm not a better father to Skippy. I suppose it's my now, fault. please, Cliff. Well, you started it. I didn't. I'm sorry. Well, okay. Family, family, all the time up to your armpits and family. Yes, I'm sorry about that. But as I say, that's Cliff at the moment. Now, my youngest brother is Jack. He just amazed himself and the rest of the family recently by cooperating with his wife, Betty, in producing triplets. Jack, what about that? That's right. Abby, Debbie, and Connie. Abigail, Deborah, and Constance, Jack. Okay, if you want to be formal about it. Oh, yeah, this is my wife, Betty. Hi. Don't forget our three older daughters. How can you possibly forget them? She's talking about Elizabeth, Sharon, Ann, six, Janie, four, and Mary Lou, two. The triplets are just new. Hardly used at all. <laughs> Silly. Well, that's the barber clan in the main. There are others whom you will know and get to like as much as the family themselves, but I think this is enough for now. Hmm? One man's family, one man's family, 411207, book 40, chapter 10. A new incident in the matter of Irene Franklin. War bulletins on One Man's Family 411228, Book 40, Chapter 13. One Man's Family 420816, Book 43, Chapter 7. The Man Who Lay With His Face in the Leaves. One Man's Family 421115, Book 44, Chapter 07, Second Half. Enter. And, underlying the various phases of reconstruction, would be the principles which have brought a high measure of equality and public well-being to us here in the United States? Yes, I don't know. A large order, it seems to me. Mm. Not too large, and there's so many who want to help. Are there so many? Why, of course, Dad. It's a chance for all these European Americans to bring America to their people in the old country. To tell them, to show them the opportunities and the security, which are a part of democracy. Yes. Huh? You think the job is too big, can't be done? Yeah, there's always a way if there's the will to do it. I only say that more of us ought to know more about this plan. Well, read Atmix's book. The whole plan's there in great detail, waiting to be read in two-way passage. Yes. Leave it here. It's on your desk in the library. I left it for you months ago. <laughs> I've been busy in the garden. Are you two still sitting at the table holding a powwow? Yeah. You want to shoo us out of here, Mom? Well, don't you think it's about time? Oh, yeah. Sit down again and dally with us a little, huh? Come on, down with you. <laughs> oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> Was that your laundry man? Yes, and it looks like we're going to be doing our own laundry before long, Henry. Yeah? What's happened now? Well, laundry workers are going into defense plants. Driver says he can't get help. Yeah. That's all that's required of us to win the war, wash our own clothes. Yes, what's been required of us up to now is little enough. Yes, yes. 
Uh, Fanny, do you suppose there's another spoonful of that deep dish pie in the kitchen? <laughs> what in the world, Henry? I've sat here so long, I'm hungry all over you. <laughs> well, here's a sliver I cut off my piece. I couldn't eat it all. Uh, cream for her, Dad? Certainly. Pie without cream is like a coat without buttons. <laughs> <laughs> say, what time is it? Yes. Uh, ten minutes of what? Oh, I was supposed to make a phone call 20 minutes ago. It's important. Oh, it's liable to be. Excuse me, huh? Of course. I'll be down again presently. Oh, uh, Fanny, if you have any choice of winter vegetables you want planted, speak up. I, I'm putting a few things in this week. You've decided then to use some of your flower beds for vegetables? Why, that's Clifford. Huh? In the breakfast room, Clifford. Uh, uh, come in, boy. Come in. There's a draft from that door out there. You betcha, dear. Hello, family. Hazel, you too. How nice. Hello, Mama. Hi, Dad. I trust we are not too late for lunch. Certainly not. Certainly not. <laughs> we're finished and we're just sitting here dawdling. You children haven't eaten? Oh, Mom, you're marvelous. You spotted our hungry expressions. <laughs> That's why we're here. It's a bad influence on me. He suggested this. Well, I'm glad. Hazel, you tell Cook to fix you each a plate and then sit down with us. No, well, I don't need a second invitation for that. Back in a minute, Clifford. Yeah, sit down, boy. Sit down. Yeah, you bet. We just had a scrappy lunch, but there's plenty left, I know. The remains don't look very scrappy, Mom. As you should know, what your mother calls a scrappy meal is the best kind of all. Made up of odds and ends from the meal before. We had hash today. Oh, boy, that's for me. Mm, you know how your father loved hash. Hash is a fine institution. If there's anything unsavory to my palate from the last meal, it's so disguised that I never recognize <laughs> it. And anything delectable is magnified a dozenfold by the addition of all those little odds and ends. Mm, Dad, on the subject of hash. Oh, Hazel, did you get everything? Cook didn't forget the vegetables. I should say she didn't. Here you are, Cliff, all too. Mm, I can hardly wait. Mm, will you cast your eyes on that plate? Boy, am I glad we just happened in at lunchtime. <laughs> <laughs> is that your mm. normal appetite or one you borrowed for the day? Mm, it's a regular one. I think Irene's cooking has developed this capacity for food. She works away like a little beaver planning her meal. Irene has a natural talent for cooking. Should see her study up on vitamins and calories and nutrition and all that stuff. She takes it big. Yeah, well, good for her. Well, I should be in the garden instead of sitting here, so if you'll excuse me, Fanny. Henry, is it that important? Yeah. You might sit and talk a little. Well, I have uh, work laid out in the garden. Oh, go along with you. Yes, well, I'll see you before you go, Clifford. Okay, Dad. Work in the garden. Is that all Dad ever thinks about? What does he do that takes so much time? Oh, just to look at the way his garden's kept should answer that. No weeds, not an uneven row of anything. Every flower and leaf almost hand-polished. Mm, hand-polished is right. Mom, uh, do you suppose there's any more of this lovely hash, this uh, caviar hash? I wouldn't be surprised. Here, give me your plate. Oh, no, Mother, you sit still. I'll get it. There'd be no profit in having you for a border, young man. <clears throat> I'm so glad you came in, Clifford. Are you and Irene keeping busy at the ranch? Mm, busy? You've heard about the one-armed paper hanger with a hive? Clifford, such a dog. Well, that guy was on a vacation compared to me. And Irene? Busy as a bird dog. Oh, thanks, Hazel. You are a woman with a kind heart. <laughs> Mother, anyone who feeds the brutes appeals to them. I, um, I hope Paul might be home today. He is home. He went to his studio to do some telephoning right after lunch. Well, for Pete's sake, let's get the guy down here. Oh, he'll be down again as soon as he finishes. He won't be long. We tried to get Teddy to come back with us, but she said she was meeting friends for lunch. Yes, the three of them get together once a week. Sometimes at the tea room and sometimes in their home. Are they the three you had here for lunch last week? Yes. Well, Clifford, that certainly disappeared in a hurry. 
Are you ready for dessert? It's pie. I saw it in the kitchen. Pie. I never eat the stuff in less than ten-ton lots. And what is the delay? Rush it in. What about you, Mother? Could you eat just a little more to keep the company? No, thank you. Well, I'll just carry these dishes out then and be right back with great hunks of pie. Hmm. Uh, did Paul have anything in the way of news, Mom? No, nothing. Yeah. Well, Fish is a talkative individual compared to Paul. I guess that's the best way in this man's war. Ah, Hazel, what a beautiful woman you are, especially with pie in your hands. How oh, you do go on, Fish. <laughs> Food seems to make him a little giddy. It must be because I'm so healthy. Right after each meal, I start thinking about the next one. Oh, that's the hardest part of housekeeping for me, planning meals for my family. Although the children all have such good appetites, I never lack for a warm reception no matter what I cook. Mm, you get a break with the dishes anyway, Hazel. That always helps. Oh, yes, the boys are really very good helpers. They clear the table and they can do things nicely when they want to. <laughs> yes. Rebellion does sometimes interfere with junior dishwashing. Well, I think there must be a stock set of squabbles handed from generation to generation that children use over the dish pan. Every mother knows them by heart. Yeah, but it takes at least two kids to fight while they're doing the dishes. That's why I'm a firm believer in big families, so there can be more and better excitement in the kitchen. How about young J.D. down there all by himself? Well, he seems capable of amusing himself. If he had other children to play with, though, he'd be a better setup. I think so, too. Irene's swell about joining in his games, and he tags after Dan by the hour. And never was a finer place for a small boy than a dairy ranch. Oh, yes, Hank and Pinky miss the ranch very much. Maybe it's old-fashioned to feel that the country is the best place for children, but I do feel that way. Your father would say that anything which gets human beings closer to growing things is good. Well, speaking of growing things, if we're all through, why don't we have a look at father's efforts? Would you like to? Your father glows all over when anyone takes an interest in his garden. You have time, haven't you, sir? Well, I did want to see Paul. Oh, he'll be down in a few minutes, I'm sure. Okay, then. If I'm at the machine shop and get the pump by 3 o'clock, I can make my bus nicely. <laughs> well, come along with you. Mother, why not a little oil on this door hinge? Oh, I never noticed the squeak. Well, I never did either when I was living here, if it did squeak then. Probably it did, but you were as used to it then as I am now. Hey, there's Paul out there with Dad. Well, how in the world did he get out there? Hi, Paul. Hello there. He certainly looks in top form. Yes, isn't his uniform becoming? You really are proud of that uniform, aren't you, Mom? Why shouldn't I be? Oh, yeah, Hazel. Why don't you drop from Cliff? Yeah. Better ask yourself that question. You're the one that's always dropping from the skies. <laughs> oh, it's good to see you, Paul. Yeah, this is a break I wasn't sure I could count on. I thought you might be flying from pillar to post or wherever you do fly. Well, not from pillar to post, exactly. But it's working out so I'll be able to get home once in a while, at least. Yes, we have so much to be thankful for. Yes. Makes Teddy pretty happy, too. Maybe we can keep her home also if she thinks that Paul will be here occasionally. Now, Henry, don't start worrying that bone again. Yes, you're in the army yet. Father, your chrysanthemums are simply beautiful this year. I really envy you. Yeah, well, they're quite a success, I'm pleased to say. Now, Mom, there's a real spice smell. If you could only work that into your cooking. It would be yeah. something, wouldn't it? <laughs> mm, chrysanthemums make me think of Thanksgiving. And football games and brisk, cool fall afternoons with a harvest moon showing faintly in the five o'clock sky and... And a feeling it'll frost before morning. Why, George Hazel, that's a pretty good description of that. Oh, a doggone poet she is. Yeah, I'll get a bouquet for you. And you can have a little of that fall afternoon, harvest moon feeling in your own home. Oh, thank you, Father. Just a few, please. Yeah, uh, Paul, those shears, please. Yeah. Yeah, Dan. Clifford, that reminds me, I promised Irene a start of chives for an herb garden. Herb garden? 
That has a culinary sound. Well, this border all along here is older. Hey, no kidding. Yeah? Your own project, Mom? Yes, I've only had it a few weeks, but it's doing very well. well. I should say so. Oh, Father, that's enough. Well, I put them all. Young woman, I'm picking these flowers. This is my gesture. <laughs> well, a less extravagant gesture would be appreciated just as much. Oh, what all have you got out here anyway, Mom? Oh, here, I can read the tags. Chives and rosemary, tarragon, marjoram, sweet basil, and, oh, here's thyme. Thyme? Time for what, may I ask? <laughs> Time for Father to stop cutting chrysanthemums. <laughs> yes. But this is not what I would call a real showy bouquet. Hey, what's this woolly stuff, Mom? Parsley, of course, there. Hmm. I know it when I see it resting on a turkey's chest. <laughs> this is sage, isn't it? Looks like Dad is going to have a rival in the garden. Uh, well, herbs do well enough for their purpose, but I'd rather have something beautiful to look at myself. Well, I don't pretend to be in your father's class. I do enjoy this little plot, though. And you've done wonders with this family, a regular spice shop. You can get your bay leaves from the tree down in the corner by the seawall, Mom. Uh, what's there? Well, that's mint, Cliff. Mint, she says. It's good for lamb and Kentucky kernel. Oh. Uh, Clifford, hand me that little trowel. Oh, uh, this? Yes, thank you, Mom. Mom, quick, come over here, quick. Here's Jack on the back porch over next door. What is it, Jack? It's Elizabeth Sharon Ann. Hurry. Hurry, she's bleeding. She's got a hemorrhage or something. Jack, what are you talking about? Where's Betty? Your mother, don't try to run. You'll hurt yourself. Yeah, let me help you. Oh, please, hurry. Careful of the steps, Mom. Careful, Mother. Jack, what did you say? It was... She's bleeding. I left her in the basket in the kitchen a minute. When I came back, there was blood in her face, and she's lying so quiet. Oh, what in the world? You wait here a minute, Mom. Betty's upstairs asleep. I was afraid to call her. Oh, never mind that. Come on in. Oh, Paul. Paul, what is it? Ketchup. What? Not blood, it's ketchup. Hey. Bottle on the drain board tipped over and ran into the crib. Oh, for goodness sake. Jack, Barbara, I could shake you. But, Mom, she's all right? She's sleeping like a kitten. She's a little high from ketchup, though, I must admit. Ladies and gentlemen, Professor Jack Barber, standing before his audience in the living room, will lead the family in the evening's classwork. And now, students of the domestic and allied arts class, will you respond in unison to the following questions? Quiet, sure. Sure. <laughs> uh, quiet, quiet, please. First question. What are three natural foods containing the entire B-complex vitamins that are so necessary in adequate quantities to good health and happy dispositions? One. Wheat germ. Two. Liver. Three. Yeast. That old student. <laughs> and which of these foods is the only one of its kind that contains added amounts of vitamins A and D? Fleischmann's fresh yeast. Amazing. Even Clifford knows the right answers this evening. I get a gold star, teacher. <laughs> well, maybe if you know the answer to this one. What tastes good when stirred up in a glass of tomato juice? Salt and pepper. Quest. <laughs> Fleischmann's yeast is good in tomato juice. What is Fleischmann's yeast in tomato juice called? A vitamin cocktail. And why is the vitamin cocktail so worthy of high recommendation? Why, Jack, everybody knows the answer to that. It's because the vitamin cocktail, Fleischmann's fresh yeast in tomato juice, contains every vitamin known to be needed in human nutrition. And only two vitamin cocktails give you the entire daily minimum requirements of vitamins A, B1, C, and D, and a good supply of all the vitamins in the B-complex group. Now, folks, I'm going to ask a question. Do you know how to mix the vitamin cocktail so that it's smooth and delicious? Well, I'll tell you how. Just break up a cake of Fleischmann's yeast in a dry glass with a fork. 
Add just a little tomato juice and stir until smoothly blended. Fill the glass with tomato juice, give it another stir, and drink it, America, to your health. You have just heard Chapter 7, Book 44 of One Man's Family, written and produced by Carlton E. Morse for the makers of Fleischmann's Yeast. Chapter 8, entitled Thanksgiving at the Dairy Ranch, will come to you next week at this same hour. time treat tomorrow, serve your family royal butterscotch pudding. Be sure to get royal, because that's the kind most folks prefer. In a recent test we made, it was voted better in five important ways. And royal saves sugar, too. One Man's Family comes to you from California. This is the National Broadcasting Company. One man's fam, one man, one man's family, 411228, book 40, Chanter. This is the Red Network of the National Broadcasting Company. One Man's Family, brought to you by Tenderleaf Tea. family is dedicated to the mothers and fathers of the younger generation and to their bewildering offspring. Tonight we present chapter 13, book 40, entitled The Last of 1941. This is the season of hospitality, and this year more than ever before, tenderleaf tea balls are adding to the enjoyment, making more friends every day. Yes, in the short time they've been available, tenderleaf tea balls have become the largest selling tea balls in America first choice because they really are such a vast improvement. They're made of special filter paper, which has the great advantage of being entirely tasteless. Your tea is filtered as it's made, filling your cup with amber delight, unclouded, without a speck in it, and absolutely free from any foreign taste. So you enjoy only the finer flavor of the choice tea leaves, small, young, and delicate, the top leaves of the tea plant. Stock up with these better tea balls for a festive new year. Your grocer has them in boxes of 8, 20, 50, and 100. Each tea ball kept scrupulously clean in an envelope all its own. Ask for Tenderleaf brand tea balls, the largest selling tea balls in America. It's a bitter rain-drenched night out on the edge of the Pacific in the area known as Sea Cliff, where the Barber House stands on a brink looking directly across an expanse of open water to the Marin Hills, 
and with a golden gate visible just to the right, that is, ordinarily visible. But on this last day of the year 1941, there's too much weather boiling and brewing even to see one's hand before his face, and no indifferent weather either. On this afternoon of New Year's Eve, the rain came down angrily, bucket on bucket, and the minute it let up along about dusk, a thick, soupy fog closed in, but only for an hour, because hardly had the ocean edge become neatly blanketed in, when a sharp wind blew in off the Pacific and whisked the fog away, uprooting eucalyptus trees and smashing windows. In one breath, it blew away the fog, and in the next, it blew in bigger and better rain clouds, so that now at 10 o'clock at night, the whole area is splashing and sloshing like a sluice box. And within the big, comfortable living room of the barbers, the lights turned low, and before a glowing fire flickering on the walls and glinting the woodwork, are gathered all the family except the very young generation, all here together to receive the new year at midnight. Jack, close that window. Yeah, okay. Ooh, ooh. I feel wet to the skin just hearing it. Oh, boy, what a night out. Not fit for man or beastie. Yes, a wicked ending to a wicked year. Oh, I say, Father Barber, how poetic. 1941 is dying as it has lived, violently. Yes, undoubtedly, 41 will go down in the annals of history as a cruel, dark year. It'd be very interesting to read a hundred years hence just what sort of signpost this past year is. What do you mean by that, Paul? Well, will 41 be called the darkest year, the climax of many unsettled years? Or will historians refer to it as the curtain raiser on a new dark age? Oh, golly, Paul, do you think it might be? No, Betty, as a matter of fact, I don't. But I do know whether the world gets well or whether it sinks into a dark abyss of ugliness and cruelty and famine and pestilence depends upon whether the United States and England and their allies win this conflict. Yeah, I believe that. And I believe something else, too. I believe a lot of us have got to get into a different frame of mind about this thing. I mean, there's too many of us standing on the brink, confused and appalled and wondering whether to turn back or plunge in. I'm saying it badly, but... Go on, go on. You're doing fine. What I'm trying to say is that war's a terrible thing for God-fearing and peace-loving people like us, and it pretty violent shock to some of us to find ourselves in it. And what those people who are shocked have got to remember and keep remembering is that the war we're in now isn't a drop in the bucket to what the horrors and terrors would be if we were defeated. You make it sound like a bad dream, Cliff. That's just it. It's not a dream. It's stuff that's hanging over our heads. Right out here a few miles from our own back door, Japanese submarines have been prowling this past week. Exactly. People would just get it through their heads that it's true, it's happened, it's... Boy, am I making a speech for myself. And a very potent one, too, I think. Right. But could I ask a question? It's an open meeting. Uh-huh. Well, but don't you think that the main trouble is that most people want to get in and do something, but they don't know what to do? Well, practically every newspaper in the country has stories every day what citizens can do in their own communities to help civilian defense. Yes, I suppose so. You don't agree, Teddy? Oh, sure, I know people have got to build up civilian defenses, but... Well, I just had the feeling that a lot of people are running around in circles, doing a lot of things that aren't necessary, and are, or interfering with the real defense of the country just because it's the smart thing to do right now. Yes, Teddy, that's true. There are always people like that on any occasion. Oh, sure, but the lame brains and nitwits are in the minority by a heck of a lot. Sensible people are volu volunteering their services and then sitting back waiting until they're needed. Hazel, tell them what you're doing down the peninsula. Cliff, I wasn't going to mention that. Why the heck not? It's important, isn't it? 
I think it is. Huh? What are you talking about? Well, I don't know whether you realize it or not, but the mountains all along the Pacific coastline are literally teeming with lookout stations. They are? Well, yes. Almost every prominent point that has a good view out towards the ocean has a station. A 24-hour watch is maintained by trained civilian volunteers. And every airplane that passes within sight or hearing is checked off and reported to a central office, where more volunteers keep records of all planes. And you're doing that, Hazel? Four hours a day, five days a week. Oh, I think that's terrific, Hazel. Couldn't I do something like that? Well, they try to get people who live in the neighborhood petty so that they don't have to travel great distances. But they do need volunteers in many districts. Why, in some places, the people are having to watch for eight to ten hour stretches every day because they have so few volunteers. Yeah, and if you think giving time and energy like that's being done because it's smart to do... Oh, no, I didn't mean that at all. Well, it's just that I've been kind of confused. I want to help, but I don't want to just be spending my time. Um, getting back to what Cliff was saying, I think the most important aid we can give, aside from putting all we can scrape together in defense stamps and bonds, which we take for granted, is to become thoroughly conversant with American ideals, with the great cause for which we're waging war, and to believe in it, to eat it and sleep it and keep it always before us. War is bad, but the dictator ideology is impossible. If we make that a personal slogan, and if every other citizen will keep that thought, the American civilian population is doing its greatest good for an assurance of victory. War is bad, but the dictator ideology is impossible. That's our thought for this war. Yeah. Didn't somebody once say, it's better to be fighting to the death in a free man's tattered rags than kissing a master's hand dressed in slavey silks and satins? Well, if no one ever did, he should have. Yeah. And more than that, I... Uh, just a minute, Teddy, huh? Hmm? Mom, you've been trying to get a word in edgeways for the last five minutes. Teddy will give you the floor now, I'm sure. Oh, sure, Mother Barbara. Well, I just want to say that's enough about the war tonight. Huh? Yes, this is New Year's Eve. For the few minutes that remain in this old year, let's make this more of a family party, not so much a sober-sided convention. Oh, yes, let's. We don't talk about anything else anymore. Which is not surprising, inasmuch as our hearts and our minds are full of this trouble. Nevertheless, I agree with Mother and Betty. No more talk of war tonight. Everyone agreed, say aye. Aye. All opposed? Yes. <laughs> and just to get your minds on something else, I'm going out now and wheel in the tea wagon. Mom, I thought you weren't going to bring out the food until 11. Well, it's only half an hour or so, and that's the only way I'm going to get your father's mind off the war. Getting to thinking about his stomach. <laughs> so, Teddy, will you help me? Mm-hmm, I should say I will. Well, come along, then. How about me, Mother? Sure, and me. No, Teddy and I have everything set out. It'll only take us a few minutes. Hmm. Teddy's got to be Mom's right-hand man around the house, hasn't she? Yes, I don't think they could be closer if they were mother and daughter. And how jolly for both of them. Yeah. Teddy's getting a rounded home life that I could never have given her alone. You know, when I look back on my unmitigated audacity in adopting Teddy and thinking I could give her all she needed, I'm amazed at myself. Well, how wonderful for Teddy that you did adopt her, though. Listen, didn't I hear something? Only the wind and the rain, Betty. Go open the window a minute. Do you mind, darling? Sure. Why not? What did you think you heard, Betty? I don't know. Here she goes up. (laughs) 
Why, Betty, you couldn't possibly hear any sound out in that Nelson. Sure, and if you had planes in mind, Betty, they've got more sense than to be out in a night like this. Right, even if there were any. Okay, Jack. Shut the window. Okay. Ooh, did you get that breath of cold air that swept into the room? Boy, you'd think 10,000 red Indians were whooping and hollering out there from the sound of things. Sure. Those are the rain devils who come out only at night. Rain devils? Sure. They have black wings like a bat's wings, only they're, they're like wet silk to the touch. And they have faces like monkeys with spike horns, and they come out on stormy nights and flap against the windows and make shadows on your walls and yell and whistle down your chimney. <laughs> oh, an infidel, huh? <laughs> an infidel? Your dog gone right. Anybody who doesn't believe in my rain devils is an infidel and is liable to be cut off without an inherited tax to pay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Gangway for a lady with a tea table. Wheel it right in here beside my chair, Teddy. Woo-wee, will you look what's coming? Boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Mom, a whole new unused cold turkey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it is a new turkey. Look, he hasn't been touched by a carving knife anyplace. Of course not. I roasted him this morning. I thought cold turkey would be a nice change tonight. Mom, you're a jewel of great pride. <laughs> oh, am I indeed? <laughs> yes, yes. And, and is that a new bread, Fanny? It certainly is. Yes, yes. Uh, make me a turkey sandwich, Fanny. A turkey sandwich and a glass of that ice-cold milk. My <laughs> <laughs> father, how can you like milk so much when you're so set against the source of supply, the cow? Uh, I refuse to admit to myself that there's any connection. <laughs> and it's very easy to do because it seems most unlikely that anything so delicious as milk could possibly come from anything so stupid as a bovine. Oh, I resent that. Yes, so do I, Father. Huh? Just because you've never really got close to a cow, Dad. Yeah, which is exactly to my liking. <laughs> well, just the same, though. A, a Guernsey cow is a gentle, friendly, and cooperative animal. I, I'm establishing some lifelong friendships down on the dairy ranch. <laughs> I've got tea poured for everyone. Help yourself. Mmm, such delicious things to eat, Mother Barber. Doggone right. Let the wind blow and the rain come down. With the three F's to protect us, who cares? What are the three F's? Fire, family, and food. The essence of domestic tranquility. Well, not bad. Not bad at all. Oh, uh, by the way, Paul, how's your arm? So you got it out of splints. Yeah, that's right. Just hang it in a sling around my neck now. Oh, then it's, that means it's getting back to normal, huh? It will be if his elbow doesn't grow back stiff. What's that? Teddy. I don't see why you try to keep it a secret. That's what the doctor told you. That your elbow will be stiff, Paul? Oh, I'm exercising it and have it massaged two or three times a week. And besides that, they're using lights on it. You have no business telling, Teddy. Well, I'm worried about it. Yes, now everyone will be worried about it. But, Paul, what happened? Well, it seems that sometimes a stiff arm results from a break at the elbow in spite of everything. Well, doggone, fella. Is it... is it definite? Oh, of course not. Well, no, for a couple of months. Paul, you should have told us. Now, uh, look, we were going to keep away from gloomy forebodings tonight. Has everybody forgotten that? <laughs> exactly. Uh, Paul, do you remember the story you told us a number of years ago about an experience you had the Christmas you spent in France in World War Number 1? Hey, yeah, Paul, tell it. Betty's never heard it. It's swell. I don't know what story you're talking about. Oh, sure you do. Uh, about the Christmas stick candy your mess sergeant gave away. It wasn't stick candy. It was candy canes. Okay, candy canes. Uh, that's the one you mean, isn't it, Nikki? Matter of fact, it wasn't. The one I had in mind had to do with popcorn balls. Oh, sure, Paul. Tell that one. Huh? Why don't you tell them both? I haven't heard either one. Go on, Paul. Gee. Oh. Oh, please, Paul. Well, stories of the First World War are rather passe today, I'm afraid. You know, it makes me feel a little strange and cold inside when I remember that many of the men fighting this war weren't even born when I was over there fighting in the last one. Now who's getting serious, Paul? <laughs> all right, the story of the peppermint stick candy. Oh, sure, it wasn't candy canes at all. <laughs> 
Well, this didn't happen exactly at Christmas time, but it did happen that our supply sergeant was very much the ladies' man. As you know, there was a shortage of sugar in the war area. Well, it got around that all the companies in our sector, with the exception of ours, had received an issue of peppermint stick candy. We checked up and found our chic supply sergeant had held out on us and was using the stick candy to win the feminine hearts of the French nation. <laughs> oh, boy, were those the days. Now you can't get a girl to walk across the street with you for less than a five-pound box of candy. And, boy, it better hadn't be peppermint. <laughs> <laughs> what did you ever do to the supply sergeant, Paul? Yeah, you never told us to pay you off. Well, that we won't talk about. Oh. <laughs> Not meant for polite ears, huh? <laughs> now tell the one about the popcorn balls. Yeah, oh. no fair. Huh? Here you people are, munching away on all the good things, 13 to the dozen, and my tea is cooling and my sandwich is unmunched on. <laughs> oh, go on. Tell them the popcorn one, and then you can eat while Dad talks. Huh? <laughs> well, sure, Dad. You were going to tell us about one of the early barbers, don't you remember? Who? One of the early barbers, eh? Sure. Was I, indeed? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of those wonderful aboriginal barbers. Along about the time the family was coming down out of the tree. <laughs> <laughs> the barbers spring from wonderful stock. Wonderful stock. A family tree with many and, and varied branches. Well, while you're deciding which branch to tell us about, Paul, you give us the popcorn story. Well, let's see. Uh, how does it begin? Huh? Well, how about starting... Did I ever tell you about the time our company cook tried to make popcorn balls for us on Christmas in France? <laughs> That's an excellent start. Yeah, and then we say, uh, we don't think you ever did, Paul. Go on, tell it. Yeah, and then you tell us in simple, direct English. <laughs> hey, you folks keep still or he won't tell it. Sure. You're talking right out of the mood. Go ahead, Paul. We'll keep still. All right. But, Betty, this is especially for you because everyone else has heard it. Thank you, Paul. Well, some good-hearted woman back home sent the captain ten pounds of popcorn for Christmas. Annie turned it over to the cook and ordered popcorn balls for the entire company. Our cook uh, was a Frenchman, and I don't suppose he'd ever heard of such a thing. Popcorn itself was a novelty to him, let alone all the complications of popcorn balls. Anyway, somebody told him to make a syrup and pour over the corn. But it wouldn't stick together. Cook was out of sympathy with the whole business of silly, infantile idea that might be expected from across the Atlantic. But if the captain wanted popcorn balls, Frenchie wasn't anyone to say he shouldn't have them, so he slipped into the adjutant's tent and got a bottle of glue and poured it on top. Oh, golly. <laughs> and did we have popcorn balls? Oh, Paul, you didn't eat them. Every morsel. But before the night was over, the entire company was standing in line before our hospital unit, holding its individual and collective stomach. <laughs> Between the stomach pump and the castor oil bottle, our medical staff did yeoman service that night. <laughs> <laughs> and what happened to the French cook? Oh, you, you wouldn't really like to know. I'm sure of it. <laughs> you know, from all the hints you throw out, you must have belonged to a rough-and-tumble outfit. War is a rough-and-tumble business. And a soldier's sense of humor gets pretty fundamental and violent at times. Hey, Mom, this is some of your better fruitcake, huh? Thank you, Paul. That's some I made last year. Oh, 1940 vintage, eh? I thought the flavor was awfully well blended to be this year's cake. Yes, and the older it is, the darker the color and the finer the texture. Yes, uh, uh, Teddy, would you hand me another piece? Okay. And how about pouring you some more milk? If you please. Okay. Okay, Dad. 
All eyes are focused on you. Huh? It's now your turn to perform. Uh, which one of the many ancestors of the Barber clan are you going to expose for us? <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder if I ever told you about my father's uncle on his father's side. A crotchety old gentleman named Brutus Barber. <laughs> Dad, it's not true. Huh? Well, there couldn't have been a barber named Brutus. Yes, yes, Brutus Barber. <laughs> One of your own uncles, three times removed. And each time he came back? Oh. Uh, very funny. Very funny. But, Jack? Yeah? I'm the one who's telling the story. <laughs> yes, indeed. And inasmuch as this is still the holiday season, I'm going to tell you how Brutus Barber came to our house on Christmas when I was a boy. He came every year of his life. Until they laid the old gentleman to rest in the moss-grown cemetery back in West Glory, Iowa, at the decayed old age of 91, in the year 1887. Uh, Fanny, why are you looking at me like that? Because I don't believe there ever was such a person as Brutus Barber. Fanny? <laughs> well, it's mighty funny to me. I never heard of him if there was. Yes, my dear woman. There are many secret niches in my life which you will discover if you are fortunate enough to live that long. <laughs> but go on with Brutus Barber, Father Barber. He sounds like a wonderful old man. You see, Fanny, I hold the interest of anyone else. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, old Uncle Brutus was a bachelor. A bachelor. A cantankerous old grouch with store teeth which he bought from a roadside peddler and which clicked and galloped like a pair of dice when he masticated his vittles. He had the hearing of a titmouse, but he pretended to be stone deaf just so that he could overhear conversations that he had no business overhearing. He lived by himself and pretended to despise the whole family. He'd have nothing to do with any of his relatives all year. Wouldn't receive one of them in his house and... And refused to set foot in there, except on Christmas. And then, bag and baggage, and with boxes and bundles, he would descend on our house like a swarm of locusts. Father, without an invitation? Invitation? He didn't know the meaning of the word. <laughs> I say, I'd have been inclined to tell the old boy off. Uh, both my father and mother tried it on a number of occasions. He wouldn't take the hint. Don't so deaf, he couldn't hear a thing. <laughs> but later, my mother would be talking quietly to father about the shortage of money... And the next thing we knew, Uncle Brutus had spread our financial condition over the whole neighborhood. Why, the old sinner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, Fanny, do you say there was no such person? Yes, I remember Grandmother Barber telling about such a person. However, I didn't remember his name being Brutus. Brutus Barber. <laughs> well, anyway, you say he brought presents along with him when he came. Uh, let me tell you about those presents. That's the best index of his character I can give you. Presents and the Christmas tree. He would always manage to arrive at our house before we could get our tree up and decorate it. Having arrived, he would take over the whole project. <laughs> Until Uncle Brutus died in his 91st year, never did I put a string of popcorn or a popcorn ball or a candle on a Christmas tree and have it stay there. Oh, <laughs> Uncle Brutus changed everything. Every last thing that went on that tree. As fast as we'd have the tree to our liking, Uncle Brutus would sneak in and do it over to his liking. <laughs> and inasmuch as his bulldog determination outlasted ours, the tree always ended up as he wanted it. Goodness, couldn't you get him out of the house anyway? Uh, I suppose force could have been used, but Father would say, well, he's an old man, he can't possibly last another year. This will be the last time. <laughs> My father said that at least ten years I know of. Before Uncle Brutus finally reached 91 
and his Waterloo in the form of a mule. <laughs> Father, did you say mule? I did. A mule just as stubborn as Uncle Brutus. The mule kicked at Uncle Brutus, and Uncle Brutus kicked back. <laughs> it's a fact. You can read about it in the back files of the West Glory, Iowa Journal. <laughs> Duel to the death. Uncle Brutus and the mule kicked it out. <laughs> and Uncle Brutus was getting much the better of it until the mule landed a chance blow full in Uncle Brutus's face and knocked his store teeth down his throat. <laughs> there, there were always two schools of thought. One group, a very small group, believed that it was the blow that killed Uncle Brutus. The majority, however, contended that he was too hard-bitten to be phased by the kick of a mule and that it was the false teeth caught in his esophagus that actually did the dirty work. <laughs> Henry, don't be so gruesome. Thanks, Fanny. I'm giving you historical data. Well, you don't have to wallow in it. <laughs> yes. But the Christmas presents, Father Barber, you said there was something about them. Yes, I'm ahead of my story. Well, back in those days, we hung our presents on the tree without wrapping them. No Christmas wrapping paper at all. Well, we'd never heard of such a thing. Well, sir, it wasn't enough that Uncle Brutus must arrange the decorations. He must shove all other presents to the back of the tree and display his prominently in the foreground. Dear Brutus. <laughs> <laughs> and, and such presents. I remember once... He gave your grandmother, Barbara, an old kitchen stool that had been in the family for years and had finally been discarded to the woodshed. Father, you're exaggerating. Nothing of the kind. He rescued it, nailed it together, did with whitewash, and put it under the tree for my mother. Oh, penurious, what? <laughs> he never bought a present in his life. Oh, he'd sometimes whittle something out of a piece of wood for the children, but, but mostly the gift was blatantly and obviously off some junk pile. And he wasn't ashamed. Ashamed? Why, no other person's presence amounted to a snap of the fingers. He wouldn't even look at what people had given him, no. But he'd praise his, his own gifts up to the skies. If all you're saying is true, Henry, I don't see how your mother and father stood it. Why, yes, I should have thought it would have ruined the whole <laughs> Christmas season. Yes, yes. So that's the kind of ancestors the present family of barbers sprang from, huh? Yeah, it's a wonder we're such nice people. <laughs> <laughs> well, just don't forget that you're half my side of the family, and I assure you the Martins were very dignified and proper ancestors. <laughs> and just for that, I'm going to have another piece of cold pumpkin pie. I think that... Hey, Betty, look at your plate. You haven't eaten a thing. I'm sorry. What in the world, Betty? Are you ill? Oh, Mother Barbara, I'm dreadfully sick to my stomach. Why, child, here, come with me. Here, I'll help you with her, Mom. But, darling, why did you just sit there? Why didn't you say something? I don't know. You want me? I don't care whether I have you or not. Well, now then, come along with Mom and me, Betty. Yes, and you stay there, Jack. I'm so sick to my stomach. Oh, you poor kid. Why didn't you say something? I don't get it. Ever since the war started, she's been sick to her stomach. Any little excitement. She looks so white. Just sitting here like that, not saying a word. Well, I guess I'm just married to a girl with a nervous stomach. Yes, and she's married to one of the dumbest husbands in captivity. Okay, so I'm dumb. What? <laughs> hey, you mean, why doesn't anyone tell me these things? Just as inevitable as Christmas or New Year's is that day between the two when we wonder if we couldn't exchange some of those less welcome presents. Well, this year, Jack has a scheme to avoid it. 
Who knows? This might become a great institution. Jack Barber's Swap Shop, or what size slippers do you wear? No standing in line. Satisfaction guaranteed. <laughs> okay, Jack, just how's this fraud of yours going to work? Oh, perfectly legitimate, Hazel. A boon to mankind. Now, uh, you received a beautiful brown handbag for Christmas. What you really needed was a black one, right? That's right. And Cliff got a purple plush smoking jacket. And what I really needed was a windbreaker. <laughs> hmm, this gets a little complicated. I don't suppose you two would care to swap, even Stephen. Uh, what in the name of goodness would I do with a purple plush smoking jacket? <laughs> Why, it's just the thing for these chilly mornings when you pop out on the porch to bring in the morning paper. Oh, no, thank you. And I suppose I should carry Hazel's handbag with me when I go to milk the cows. <laughs> That's a beautiful handbag, Cliff. It'll hold a lot of oats. Oh, Jack, oats for cows? Well, anyway, it's a big handbag. <laughs> Doesn't look as if your scheme is going to work out, son. Well, I'm not going to give up yet, Mom. You see, for hard-to-please customers like Hazel and Cliff, I'll have a stock of improved Tenderleaf T-Ball. Now you're talking. That's more like it. Simple, isn't it? Hazel gives me her handbag, and Cliff gives me his plush smoking jacket, and I give both of them Tenderleaf T-Balls made of tasteless filter paper. Largest selling T-Balls in America. Well, I'm going to need plenty of Tenderleaf T-Balls for New Year's. Will you take a pair of gloves that are too large for me? Why, certainly, Mom. How about candlesticks and guest towels? Oh, Jack takes anything. And by the way, Jack, what are you going to do with all the things you get? Oh, take them downtown and see if I can swap them for more Tenderleaf T-Balls. <laughs> Step up, folks. Bring on your white elephants, misfits, duplicates, and other horrors to Jack Barber's Swap Shop. And take away something everybody wants. Improved Tenderleaf T-Balls. Step right up, folks. Hurry, hurry, hurry. <laughs> well, here's hoping no one has to exchange any presents. But surely your holiday entertaining will call for Tenderleaf T-Balls, the largest selling T-Balls in America. So through the New Year's season, whenever friends drop in, and for the family, too, be sure you have plenty on hand. Yes, Tenderleaf T-Balls have become America's favorite. Made of tasteless filter paper, there's never a speck in your Tenderleaf tea. No foreign taste, but just the delicious flavor of the tiny top tea leaves. Ask your grocer for Tenderleaf brand T-Balls or Tenderleaf tea in packages, half pound or quarter pound sizes. Either way, it's America's choice for flavor. You've just heard the 13th and final chapter of Book 40 of One Man's Family, written by Carlton E. Morse for the makers of Tenderleaf Tea. The opening chapter of Book 41, entitled Jack Grooms Himself for the New Life, will come to you next Sunday at this same hour. Man's family comes to you through the courtesy of the makers of Tenderleaf Tea. Fleischmann's fresh yeast is not only one of the richest natural sources of vitamin B complex, it's the only yeast with added amounts of both vitamins A and D. If you bake at home, its vitamins A, B1, D, and G are not appreciably lost in the oven. They go right into the bread. This is the Red Network of the National Broadcasting Company. All that four. Alt-Tab, Norton Security, Button, Alt-Tab, 1, 1 man, Alt-F4, 1, 1 man, Button, Alt-Tab, Task Switch, Alt-Tab, Norton Security, Alt-Tab, Sound Forge, Alt-Tab, Norton Security, Alt-Tab, Sound for Alt-Tab, Norton Security, Button, Windows M, Desktop M, Folder VM, My Documents, Enter, Document O, one man, enter, item, one, one, one man's family, 420816, book 43, chapter 7, the man who lay with his, enter.
Items view multi select list box. One man, one man's one man's family, family brought to you by the makers two, of Royal Gelatin and Royal Puddings, the same people one who make family four tea. All Def 4. All Tab. Norton Secured. All Tab. Sound Forge. All Tab. One. One man. All Def 4. One. Desktop. Full. Jaws. My documents. Enter. Documents. I O. One man. Enter. One man. One man's family. One man. One man's family. Four two zero eight one six. Book forty three. Chapter seven. The man who lay. Enter. One man's family brought to you by the makers of Royal Gelatin and Royal Puddings, the same people who make Tenderleaf Tea. family is dedicated to the mothers and fathers of the younger generation and to their bewildering offspring. Tonight we present chapter 7, book 43, entitled, The Man Who Lay With His Face in the Leaves. On picnics sometimes, you've undoubtedly seen raspberries growing. You remember how everyone went after the plump, juicy red berries? It was thumbs down on the small, pale, half-ripe ones. By the same token, people pass up gelatin desserts that are pale, tasteless, and uninteresting. But watch them sail into a dish of royal raspberry gelatin. There's flavor in abundance there, such as many gelatins never have. Rich, glowing color, deep, zestful flavor that invites a second and even a third helping. Once you've tasted royal, you'll never be satisfied with any other gelatins. The seven glorious royal flavors are scientifically strengthened to give you extra flavor depth. And the flavor stays sealed in till you release it with boiling water. This week, enjoy several of the seven famous royal flavors. Be sure you get royal gelatin, nothing else. Earlier this afternoon, Paul was released from the military hospital at the San Francisco Presidio after a five-week period necessary for the breaking and resetting of his injured elbow. He was immediately brought down to the Sky Ranch for a 10-day period of convalescence, after which he will return to active duty either in the Air Transport Command or else assigned to one of the pilot training centers. Because of his flying record during and since World War I, he's been put back into uniform and raised to the rank of captain, despite his bad leg, a token from the Germans in 1918. But he has 10 days more of convalescence, and all the family is at the Sky Ranch today to enjoy it with him. Even the newlyweds, Clifford and Irene, are up from the dairy ranch for the day. Some of the family were down under the big oaks below the house where the shade was thickest and the grass greenest when Hank and Pinky came racing up from the creek, out of breath and excited, babbling of a man lying on the bank. A man lying so still he might be dead with his face buried in the leaves. Paul and Clifford went down immediately over Teddy's protest that Paul was still a convalescent and shouldn't exert himself after advising the women to stay close by the house and keep the children in. Claudia was dispatched to the stables to get Nicky and Jack, who were feeding and bedding the horses down for the night, but Paul and Clifford didn't wait. 
He should be lying along about here somewhere from Hank and Pinky's description. Yeah. Hold it just a minute. Not much water in the creek this time of year. Mm, Only in pools. Mm. This doesn't seem to be the place. Hey. Hey, wait a minute. Here he is, Paul. Oh, good. How'd you find him? Caught a glint of something in the slanting sun. It's the ring on his finger. Look at this, Paul. Hmm. Looks to be broken in several places. Yeah. Is he dead? Can't blame Hank and Pinky for thinking so. Have a look. You want to turn him over? No, he better not. Might start internal bleeding or something just as bad. See if we can dig the leaves away from around his face a little. Yeah. Hey. He's bleeding at the nose. Yeah, he's not dead. Bad? Mm, no. Matter of fact, now I look closer, it's it's dried. He must have been lying here for quite a while. Since sometime last night, pretty definitely. How do you figure that? It's obvious in the way he's lying that he fell from the edge of the canyon up there down here to the creek bed. Hey, mm-hmm. that's 30 feet and almost straight down at this point. Yeah, and he most certainly wouldn't have gone over the edge in the daylight. Boy, no wonder he looks like he was broken in a couple of places. What was he doing wandering around up there in the dark anyway? I don't know. Is he anyone you've ever seen before? No. But then I don't know many people up here. At least not the way Claude and Nicky do. Mm-hmm. Somehow he doesn't look to me much like he belonged in these hills. No native would go around falling off cliffs. No, I mean his looks. Yeah, look at his hands. Even his clothes don't fit in. Hmm. Well, we can't just leave him lying here, whoever he is. Oh, we'll have to. At least we can get a doctor up here. What do you mean? He's got a compound fractured leg and I think a broken pelvis. Anyway, something's the matter in that neighborhood. Wouldn't dare move him until he's been properly prepared for a stretcher. Well, hey, then the quicker we can get a call into Redwood City for a doctor. Yeah, well, do you mind, Cliff? I get a little weak in the knees when I move around fast. Oh, you bet. Only you'd better call the Stanford Hospital at Palo Alto. It's a little further, but they're more apt to be in a position to give immediate emergency service. Okay, here I go. Oh, uh, Cliff. Yeah? In case of any delay at Palo Alto, don't wait. Try, uh, both Redwood City and Menlo, huh? How about Woodside? Well, you might call there if you don't have any luck down below. Yeah, okay, I'll do what I can. Hey, Paul! Cliff! Hello! Where are you? Hey! Hey, Nicky! Is that you, Clifford? Yeah, follow the path down to the creek. The man's lying under the big cliff on the other side. I'm on my way up to the house to call for an ambulance. He's alive? Yeah, but man, is he fractured. Right, oh, we'll go on down, see what we can do. Yeah, Paul's expecting you. Come on, Nicky, let's take a shortcut. I say, I wouldn't do that. You're liable to end up at the foot of a precipice yourself. Hey, have you forgot that Tracy Baker and I have roamed these mountains until we know them inside out? Quite, but we're practically down now. Whoa, whoa. Boy, those leaves are slippery. (laughs) See what I mean? A man can know these mountains and still break his neck if he's careless. Yeah. Well, should we cross the creek here? I should think so. Okay. There. Not much water running in the creek. No, not much. Not too graceful, but I made it. Yeah. Up the creek a few yards. This way. Right, O'Fall. 
Can you see me? Yeah, we're coming. Very inconvenient place to get to. I say, doggone. He did come down in a heap, didn't he? Yes, he did. You know him, Nicky? Never saw him in my life before. Mm. You think he might belong up here in the mountains? Oh, I wouldn't think so. Certainly not a woodsman. Of course, there are a lot of people from the city with weekend cabins down this way. But he seems hardly the type, does he? Uh, I've been trying to figure out why he doesn't seem to fit. I think it's the way his hair's trimmed in the bag. Yeah, it's not exactly an American haircut at that. Well, where's he hurt? Legs and pelvis. Pretty badly, I think. Joe, what would anyone be doing wandering about the mountains like this? Yes, especially in the dark. You mean he's been lying here since last night? Well, he wouldn't have stepped off that cliff up there in the daylight. Oh, quite. Uh, look here, shouldn't we at least go through his coat pockets in an attempt to identify him? Chappie may have a family sitting on the edge of their chairs waiting for him to report in. Yeah, I think we can get at most of his pockets without moving him. It's really a job for the police. Well, nevertheless, if I were lying there, I'd thank someone to identify me, put Claudia out of her agony of mind as quickly as possible. Yeah, me too. And it'll be almost an hour before emergency can possibly arrive. Well, let's see what we can find, then. Right. You turn out his pockets. Jack and I will keep account of what we find. Well, uh, how about just dumping everything right in your hat, Nicky? All right, huh? Mm -hmm. Pipe. Leather tobacco pouch. Box of safety matches in this pocket. Uh-oh. Uh Wait a minute. Something interesting? There's something pinned inside his pocket. in his pocket with a safety pin. And such bills. Ten $500 bills. 5,000 smackers. Hey, you know something, Paul? Wherever this man was going last night, he must have been planning to make a deal. I think maybe I'd better put this back where I found it. Oh, I say you do? Yeah. And we'll put his pipe and other odds and ends back, too. This begins to have the feeling of something more important than just a man falling off a cliff. Well, I don't get it, Paul. I don't either exactly, but I think maybe the proper authorities had better do the searching. Hey, you mean because of his odd hair trim and, and this $5,000, he might be... I don't know. We're only a few miles from some pretty rugged coastline. We know there have been enemy submarines off the West Coast from time to time. And... Joe, you think this chap may have made a secret landing and came to grief making his way across the hills inland? Well, that's one guess. But let's just keep what we think to ourselves and... See that he gets into proper hands for investigation. Oh, yeah. Not a word to anyone. No. Not even Betty. Okay. Uh, Nicky, will you two wait down here? I've got to go back to the house and make a phone call. Right. Go ahead. We'll stand by. Yeah, or if you want me to run up for you, Paul... No, I'll have to do this myself. Uh, if Cliff got through, why, there should be an ambulance up here on the mountain in a very short time. No, Aunt Claudia, he didn't say a word. He just wanted Uncle Nicky's den in there and shut the door. Who went in and shut the door? Oh, hello, Teddy. Uncle Clifford. He didn't say a word. Hey, Pinky, he said he had to telephone for us not to bother him. Well, you don't call that anything, do you? And he's been in there telephoning ever since? Well, I don't think he's come out. How could he? We've been waiting for him right in front of the door here. He didn't say what he was telephoning about? No, he just said he had to telephone for us not to bother. Well, we won't bother then. Where's your mother? I don't know. I don't either. Hazel? 
Well, she's out at the swimming pool with Margaret and your three. Hazel has Joe and Penny and the very young Mickey out at the pool. Mm -hmm. And the skipper, too. All the little kids had finished their afternoon nap, so she gathered them up and took them out there to keep them out from underfoot. Mother Barbara's with her. Oh, swell. Hank, why don't you and Pinky go out there, too? Hey, Aunt Claudia. And miss all the excitement? For gosh sakes, anyway. Well, it was just a suggestion. Huh. Trying to shove us off with the girls and the babies. Besides, we found them, didn't we? Yeah, how about that? If we find them, we ought to get in on things, shouldn't we? All right, we'll leave it that way. You get in on things so long as you don't get in the way. Okay? Okay. Hank? Sure, okay. Goodness, Cliff's staying in there a long time. Yeah, he must be having an awful time getting hold of anybody. Well, maybe all the doctors have joined the army. Here he comes. Hi, people. Think I was never coming out? We were beginning to wonder. Well, I finally got the right combination. There'll be an ambulance along in 10 or 15 minutes, as soon as they can get up the mountain. Ambulance? Does, does that mean that he isn't dead? No, no, he isn't dead. He isn't? He sure looked awful dead to me. Yeah, he sure did look awful funny. And Paul thinks he's pretty badly hurt. Besides, he's been lying there unconscious since sometime last night. Oh, that's horrible. But what happened to him? It looks like he walked off a 30-foot cliff and fell to the creek bank where Hank and Pinky found him. I found him first. Hey, Hank. Sure I did. I found him first. Don't you remember? No. Sure you do. I said, hey, Pink, what's that? And you said, how the heck should I know? Just like that. Hey, Pink, what's that? How the heck should I know? <laughs> well, anyway, I was the first one to walk up to him. I was the first one to look at him and say, look, Hank, it's a man. I was the first one to say that. Well, I was the first one to say maybe he's dead. I said that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now, you're both number one as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> sure, that's credit enough for both of you. You mean we're going to get our names in the paper? Stuff like that? No, I doubt if that'll happen. Well, we ought to. Yeah, and maybe even get a medal or something. Goodness, how you two talk through your hats. Well, other people get things for doing stuff. We'll make you a garland of roses to wear around your neck. Oh, mm, roses. Hey, uh, let's go outside. Uncle Cliff, can Hank and I go back down with you? Definitely no. Hey. You mean we can't? Well, I'm not going back down. I'll wait out front and show the ambulance people the way down when they come. Is anybody else coming up? Yeah, I am. So am I. I guess we all are. Are you coming, Teddy? Sure. Out with you, boys. Don't let any flies in. Yeah. There. Hey, you just gonna sit down on the front steps, Uncle Cliff? Mm-hmm, until help arrives. Probably halfway here by this time. But maybe couldn't you help down there? I could show them down. Yeah, or what about Hank and me? We could show them down. There's nothing to be done down at the creek. Paul says moving him without medical aid might be fatal. Besides, both Nicky and Jack were on their way down as I was coming up. Yes, I went to the barn with Claudia and told them. Is... Is Paul all right? We seem to be. Why? Oh, after all, we just got him out of the hospital this afternoon. All this exertion and excitement. No, I don't think he's exerting himself much. Well, just going down to the creek. It's all up and down hill. Now don't fret, Teddy. Paul knows enough to take care of himself. Cliff, what about this injured man? You didn't have any idea who he was? Mm, complete stranger. Didn't even look like he belonged in this part of the world. Well, anyway, that's the impression you get of him. Isn't that rather queer? Hey, 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 look. Here comes Uncle Paul. I'll be doggone. I wonder what he's up for. Hey, Paul, anything happened? No, not a thing. He is too overdoing. Look how white he is. Paul, you're not strong enough to be climbing hills. Well, never mind now, Teddy. There's something I had to do. As soon as I put in a phone call, I'm going to rest. I should think so. Did you get through all right, Cliff? Yeah, ambulance is on the way. Oh, good. So 
Somebody slide over and let me help this step. Oh, yeah, sure, Uncle Paul. Thanks. You say you've got to put in a call? Yeah, it'll only take a few minutes. I'll be back out presently. Hey, Claudia, Uncle Paul's got on a soldier's uniform. Yeah, an Army flyer's uniform. He had it on earlier this afternoon when you saw him. He did? Certainly. Well, I didn't see it. Neither did I. Well, maybe it was because he was sitting down. Maybe it was because you were too interested in your cap full of tree toads. Yeah. Whatever became of your toads? Well, I don't know. I guess I just dropped him somewhere. Yeah, after we saw the man, I guess... Well, what about your cap? I guess I dropped it, too. Hmm. One more boy's cap charged up to profit and loss. Oh, we'll find it again, I bet. Oh, sure. All we got to do is look around a little. It'll be lying someplace. <laughs> you see. <gasps> Uh-oh. Look. Where, Claudia? I think I caught a glimpse of the ambulance. You did? Yes. Way down, just coming up out of the canyon road. You think you could see it from here? Well, I caught a glimpse of something. Well, where's the siren? Oh, there it comes, there it comes. Yeah, that's it, all right. Hey, does it give you goose pimples? It does me. <laughs> me too, Hank. Mm, must have come up that hill road from Woodside on two wheels to get here this fast. There it is, way down the road. Now you really can see it. Yeah, yeah, I see it now. Man, talk about your streak of lightning. Oh, they better slow down. They won't make the turn from the main highway onto our road. Yeah, they're slowing down a little. There she comes around the corner. Hey, look. There's a girl driving. Well, I'll be doggone. Hello? Is this the place where a man fell off a precipice? Yes, it is, but... We weren't expecting a girl to... I'm a trained nurse, perfectly capable of handling an emergency accident. If you'll take the bag for me, please. Yeah, sure. Thanks. There. Will we need a stretcher? Yes, he's pretty bad. Okay, we'll get that out of the back. Around this way. And he'll have to be carried quite a way. This stretcher will do. Here, here, let me. Thanks. Whoever phoned said there were plenty of men on the place. Oh, sure. There. All right, then. Let's get to him. Oh, just a minute. Something the matter, Paul? Yes. Uh, you in charge of this ambulance? That's right. The Army's pretty well cleaned us out of ambulance men and doctors to go out on call. Well, look, uh, I've just been in touch with Army Intelligence in San Francisco. They're very anxious that our victim down at the creek isn't taken from the scene of the accident until they get a man down here. Hey. You say Army Intelligence? Yes. You're to look at the man. If getting him to a hospital is a matter of life and death, then you're to take him in. Otherwise, give him first aid and leave him. Just as nearly as he was found as you can. I'm to use my own judgment. Yes. Very well. By the way, what's the matter with you? Why? You're too pale to look healthy to me. Oh, well, that, I, I just got out of the hospital myself this afternoon. I'm a little weak in the knees. You look it. You sit down in the shade someplace and take it easy. We'll do without you. Sure. Nicky and Jack are down with him. That's all the help we'll need. Good. Oh, just a minute. He's been lying down there for some hours, I imagine. Yes, undoubtedly. Probably suffering from exposure. We'll take a couple of blankets. Oh, may I get them out for you? No, I have them. All right. Will you show me the way, please? It's all downhill, but it's not too bad. Well, there's efficiency for you. Hey, was that a really trained nurse? Of course it was. Oh, Hank, how do you know? Well, you never saw any other girl ever act like that, did you? She certainly knew what she was about, all right. Oh, hello, Mom. We heard the ambulance round by the swimming pool. Have they gone down? Hey, Grandma, 
A trained nurse brought the ambulance. Yeah, and now Uncle Clifford's taking her down to the man we found. Is he indeed? Paul, sit down here on the porch in the shade, won't you please? All right, Daddy. You mean, you're really going to do what I ask for once? I'm afraid I am. If he doesn't, Teddy, call the nurse. You heard what she said. And don't think I won't. Now, will you eat a light sandwich and drink a glass of milk? I might at that. Goodness, he's getting more sense all the time. I'll go fix it right away. Is Hazel keeping the children out at the pool, Mom? Yes. We haven't heard anything. Is the man seriously hurt, Paul? Mm, pretty bad. He fell off a cliff. What in the world? What kind of an accident is that? Very unfortunate accident for him. Perhaps very fortunate for us. That's a queer thing to say, Paul. What do you mean? I don't know, actually, but certainly the circumstances are strange enough to make an investigation necessary. Didn't Nicky have any idea who he is? No. Then he is a stranger. We know everyone who belongs around here. Yes, I know. Uh-oh. Look, Hank and Pinky oozing out of the picture. And they shouldn't go down there. Oh. oh, Hank. Pinky. You calling us, Uncle Paul? Yes. Where are you going? Oh, no place. Just around. Yeah, just around. Well, you better come back here and stay with us. Oh, Jiminy Christmas anyway. Come on. I'm sure that's what your mother'd want. Come on back and stay with me. I'm not going back down either. I'm very sure they don't need any of us down there. Besides, they'll be bringing them up here in a very short time. How about it, nurse? Is he as badly off as he looks? Well, he's nothing to write home about. I wonder if we can get a little stimulant in him. Oh, a bit of a job with him lying on his face. Mm. Well, how about rolling him over? Oh, don't dare. Not until we've got him securely lashed to the stretcher. He's broken in too many places. Oh, uh, you mean tie the stretcher on his back just as he lays? Mm -hmm. Everything's strapped solid. Otherwise, a broken bone is liable to puncture some vital organ when he's moved. Hand me that second bottle from the end. Uh, this? Yes. Small injection seems to be indicated. Mm-hmm. There. That should keep him going. Uh, not a flinch. He didn't feel a thing. He'll be a lucky man if he ever feels anything again. Hey... Well, one of you bring the stretcher and someone else take charge of these rolls of gauze and adhesive tape. Here, you take charge of these. Oh, quite. By the way, my name is Nicholas Lacey. These are my two brothers-in-law, Clifford and Jack Barber. Good. I'm Mary Wagner. You stand by with the gauze and adhesive, Mr. Lacey. Jack, oh, you have the stretcher. Oh, yes, Miss Wagner. Well, first we'll get his legs and pelvis and shoulders strapped tight. You take one end of the stretcher, Clifford. You are Clifford, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Well, you hold the stretcher there at his head while I'm working on his leg. Some of that two-inch gauze, Mr. Lacey. Right, help. Thanks. Hardest part's going to be that pelvic bone. Boy, you sure go about that as though you knew what you were doing. I do know. All right, steady now. Hold the pole of the stretcher down tight against his leg. That's it. Uh-huh. Wonder the Army or Navy hasn't got you, Miss Wagner. They have. Oh, uh, I see. At least I'm registered with the Red Cross First Reserve. Oh, uh, is the Red Cross tied up with the armed forces? It's been designated by Congress as the official Army and Navy nurse recruiting agency. There. Now some adhesive. Right. Oh, uh, it's from this Red Cross reserve that the Army and Navy select their nurses? That's right. The nurses selected receive a second lieutenant's commission in the Army or ensign rating in the Navy. Oh, commissions. Are... Uh, this leg finished? No. I will need another strapping above the brake. More gauze. Oh, quite. 
I expect the services really need nurses now. Yeah. The rate of 3,000 a month. And that means trained graduate nurses, not beginners. I heard somewhere that they were urging girls to go into training to become nurses. And they are. Those girls won't be ready for service for three years. The crying need is for nurses right now. Joe, 3,000 a month. That's a lot of nurses. It is. It means that every registered nurse between the ages of 21 and 40 has got to register with a Red Cross to meet this country's needs. Hmm. I don't suppose you're really having much trouble getting nurses, though, are they? What do you mean by that? Here, hold that pole tight. Uh-huh. Well... Any way you look at her, a nurse is a sort of a heroine any time. I mean, she's dedicated her life to protecting the young and the sick and the helpless. Signing up to take care of our sick and wounded boys who are out there fighting the big fight must be right down their alley. Yeah, I see what you mean. Now, hand me those shears, please. Quite. Hmm. I mean, even the soldier boys are drafted into a new and different type of life, but... All that's being asked of a nurse is to advance in her profession to a more glorious and heroic field. Instead of administering to the, well, the lame and the halt, they'll now be devoting themselves to the strong and the brave and the heroic. They'll be serving the best this nation has to offer in young manhood. Oh, I say, not bad. Yeah. Too bad some of our stay-at-home nurses couldn't hear you say that. Do you mean that there are nurses who aren't signing up with the Red Cross? Doesn't seem possible, does it? There. There, that'll take care of that leg. Well, I'll be doggone. Can you imagine that, Nicky? Quite. I expect that some young women are just not molded of the stuff heroines are made of. Jack, bring the other side of the stretcher to this other leg. Okay. I, I was just wondering... How bad's the man hurt? Hey. I say, who are you? Name's Carter. Came over to investigate after word came in from Captain Ball Barber. You mean you got here from San Francisco this soon? I didn't come from San Francisco. What about him, nurse? Bad. Seems to have fallen from up there. Mm. Trying to get him strapped to the stretcher so we can get him out of here. He's lying just as he was found? Quite. Who are you, men? I'm Nicholas Lacey, owner of the Sky Ranch. That's the name of this ranch? That's right. Mm, I'm Clifford Barber, Captain Barber's brother. This is my brother, Jack. We're Nicky's brothers-in-law. Hmm. Anyone been up on the cliff above to see where the fellow fell off? Why, uh, no. We've been too concerned with getting him out of here. Mm -hmm. I'd like to go through his effects. Oh, can you do it while I'm working, please? He should be got out of here as soon as possible. Go ahead. Uh, can we be of any help? No. Oh. Hmm. You got any idea who or what he might be? Mm. Huh? What does that mean? It means the less you know about this business, the better you're going to be off. Well, if it's so all-fired important, how does it happen you're out here all by yourself? If it'll gratify your curiosity, young fellow, there are 20 to 30 men with Tommy guns within a radius of five miles at this very minute. resourceful when it comes to getting up a new game, Jack explains his latest brainchild to the family. Well, it's like this. You just take the initials of a person's name and make a phrase that describes that person. For instance? Well, take Hazel's name. Hazel Barber Herbert. H-B-H. 
Happy, beautiful housewife. <laughs> Isn't this a little personal? Well, make it about things, then. Something we like, like uh, royal tapioca pudding? Oh, <laughs> well, sure. Just take royal tapioca pudding. That isn't hard. <laughs> Keep your mind on the game. Now, royal tapioca puddings, RTP. What does that suggest? Uh, RTP. Repeatedly titillates palate. <laughs> <laughs> well, royal vanilla tapioca pudding's easy. You've got RVTP to work with, and you just drop out the T, put an S after the R, and that leaves you RSVP, which is French for let me know. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to stick to the initials, RVTP. Oh, I know. Rapid vittle to prepare. Yeah, very good. <laughs> <laughs> now, what can we do with royal orange coconut tapioca pudding? Eat it. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. Mm, R-O-C-T-P. Rich, opulent creation, tantalizingly piquant. Oh. <laughs> Our olfactory centers tickle perpetually. <laughs> yes, Cliff, every day royal tapioca puddings please more and more people. Rich, creamy tapioca pudding, light as a feather, made the modern easy way. Just add milk and bring to a boil. Cool to room temperature before placing in the refrigerator. And the result? Delicious. You'll find women buy more royal puddings than any other kind because they're truly time savers, money savers, sugar savers. Enjoy these delicious summer puddings soon. Royal vanilla tapioca pudding and royal orange coconut tapioca pudding. Just be sure you get the best. Say royal before you say pudding. You have just heard Chapter 7, Book 43 of One Man's Family, written by Carlton E. Morse for the makers of royal gelatins and royal puddings. Chapter 8, entitled... Further developments concerning the man with the funny hair trim will come to you next week at this same hour. One Man's Family comes to you through the courtesy of the makers of Royal Gelatin and Royal Puddings. For sparkling amber clear tea, ask for America's favorite tea balls, Tenderleaf brand tea balls. Enjoy the unclouded extra goodness of tiny, tender tea leaves. And remember, Tenderleaf brand tea gives the extra flavor you need for iced tea. One Man's Family comes to you from California. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Alt tab one man family alt tab one alt tab Norton C alt tab sound forge pro eleven point oh escape escape enter two point enter menu file leaving menus sound one star save as dialogue file name sound one edit S A T U R D A Y N I G H T S E C O N D P C I T A P A T R I C I A Four dash one four dash one eight. Save as type. Save button. Enter. Sound one star.
Jaws Professional, Apple Software Update Dialog, Alt F4. Alt-Tab, Skype Trademark 34 Walden, Alt-Page-Down, Alt-Tab, Replayer, Alt-Tab, Sound Forge Pro 11, Escape, Escape, so Enter.